Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Subani. It is your weekend free edition. Well, actually, this is going up really, really late on Sunday night, uh, which means it'll be up in time for your Monday morning uh, cooking session, your bath, your cleaning session, your workout, whatever it is you do on Monday morning during this quarantine. Throw your headphones on and enjoy what might be the longest podcast in managing major history. I'd have to go back and look through and see if that is actually true or not. But just to give you guys a heads up, it's three different segments and all three are pretty lengthy and really great and a lot of fun. So part one, Alex Goldberg, Chelsea Fan Supreme, host of the Byline podcast where he gets a bunch of great guests from commentators to current players to ex-players. Uh, we talk about his podcast. We talk about Chelsea. We talk about Eden Hazard and his best season and whether he can rediscover that form. We talk about Mateo Kovacic's turnaround at Chelsea, among other things. Part two, myself, Omarvin, and Matt Wilsey, we go back and watch the 1968 European Cup semifinal at the Bernabeu, the second leg where Real Madrid drew Manchester United 3-3 in what was a really, really fun game to watch. Um, the Yeye era versus George Best and Bobby Charlton. Um an incredible atmosphere at the Burnbow where 125,000 people packed like sardines going nuts uh, through an emotional roller coaster. So we talk about that, um, and that takes us a million different directions because it's a weird era, uh, a fascinating era, I should say, where a lot of things are just happening. Like players are overlapping with each other. Hento, towards the tail end of his career, is playing with the Yaya era, and um, Di Stefano and Pushkas are long gone. And uh, it's just kind of cool to revisit some of those players and some of the most underrated players in Real Madrid history. It's really fun to watch and revisit. So stick around for that. And then for sure, stick around for part three where Chris, Sam, and Ruben record the famous Castilla Corner. Um, and and uh, they always do an amazing job. You already know what they do. Things to note on managingmadrid.com right now, there is a ton of great content. Um that mailbag that I wrote a few days ago was still up on the on the on the top of the homepage. So if you missed that, if you got questions in on Patreon or Twitter or on Facebook, uh, most likely I, I covered or at least tried to cover. It. I hit a, I hit a bunch of questions and kept the answers relatively short. So that's there on the website right now. Also, Ewan McTeer wrote about Marco Asensio's debut with Real Madrid. Uh, Christopher McCormick has put up a Real Madrid history quiz, which you can take to test your Real Madrid history knowledge. Matt Wiltsey ranked the top three Italians and the only three Italians de facto uh, in Real Madrid history. That's on the side right now, so go check it out. Uh, and before we actually get the show started, I wanted to also just talk from the heart for a second here. I know a lot of you guys are going through a lot. This is a difficult time for all of us. Um, in a lot of ways, talking about football is trivial. At the same time, it's an escape. It's... We feel it's our duty to bring some positivity in your homes right now to to kind of revisit your fandom, remind you how how great football is, and and kind of put some smiles on your faces right now. It doesn't mean there are actually bigger things in the world happening right now that are more important, and people are just suffering at various degrees. So whether you know we're talking about people dying and and not being able to visit their loved ones or even on a smaller scale that if you're if you're really isolated and you're you're away from that kind of danger you know your mental health and and people are just are just suffering it's it's a very difficult and strange time 
we just want to let you guys know our hearts are with you. And this is a time to, for Mighty Deuces to band together and just be a family more than ever and support each other and love each other and, and, uh, and help each other, be kind to each other on social media. You guys already know this on a personal level. My emails are always open to anyone who wants to talk. Keon at KeonSobani.com. Uh, I know some of, some of us just don't have someone to talk to right now and, and that's difficult. So don't keep things battling internally. Make sure to reach out if you, if you need anything at all. And, uh, and I'd, I'd be happy to, to listen and, and, and reach out back to you. I may not respond immediately. Um, but you know, it's chaotic here with two kids, but you know, I, I will go through it, uh, when I can. So please reach out on another note. Uh, one of our fans, our beloved fans, uh, Neville from New York and the Maridista Pena in New York is, is beloved to us. You know, we've done podcasts there and they've helped us tremendously. We met a lot of them. They're beautiful, awesome souls. Um, our, one of the members of that community, Neville has contracted the COVID-19 virus and has, is currently in a coma. He has two young children. We are, we are wishing him a very speedy recovery and hopefully he comes out of this healthy and, uh, and his family can, can see a, a healthy father and healthy husband come back to them. Um, but he also needs your support and his family needs his support. They've set up a GoFundMe page and they are, they are raising money for the family and we have uh, we have the link, and it's difficult, obviously, to read out the entire link on the podcast. But if you go on the show notes, we're actually going to put the link there. You can click on it. You can share it. You can donate if you like. Um, and uh, for those of you listening, you don't really know how to click on it on your podcast app. Just go to managingwinter.com. On the podcast post, you can actually go and click on it there. Um, so, Neville, you're in our hearts, buddy. The entire Maridista uh, Pena family in New York, we love you very much. Pull through. Um, some things are bigger than football, but um, while football has brought us together, it you know life and everything beyond it will keep us together. And let's just help each other through this difficult time, and uh, and hopefully get through this much stronger on the other side. Uh, again, love you all, and let's get started on this podcast. Nice article in the Managing Madrid. Uh, blog, uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there, and worth reading about that man there. So he bets the man needs to rest. And the numbers reveal why. All right, welcome to part one of the Managing Madrid podcast. So thrilled, so happy, so excited to be joined by Alex Goldberg of the Byline Podcast, Chelsea fan supreme. I would consider him the Chelsea godfather. I, I imagine he is with the work he's doing and the guests he's getting on his podcast right now and making, I believe, his third time appearance on the show. Um, I believe that's correct. For sure, at least twice, but he possibly a third time. Alex Goldberg, how you doing? Uh, Keon, I'm great. I think you're spot on with the third time. I think there was definitely something before Eden Hazard came to Real Madrid. Yeah. I think maybe we talked about Kovacic. I feel like we talked about Hazard's moves. It's the third time. That's all that matters. I don't care what the context was. It's great to be on again. Honor for me. And yeah, it's certainly nice to still connect with people in the footballing world despite the no football. 
Anyway, it's, it's, it's what we got to cling to right now. Uh, my Skype history tells me we last chatted about a year ago. So a year ago in today, around April something, I guess we were talking about getting kind of closer to that Hazard to Real Madrid move. Like the inevitable, like everybody kind of knew yeah. it was coming. It was, you know, he's flirting with Real Madrid. In basically his entire Chelsea career. And we were also catching up on Kovacic. We'll do, we'll, we'll talk about both today too. Um, how's quarantine life treating you, man? <laughs> I, g- good, actually. I mean, you know, the first thing I have to say is obviously, I, I probably should say it's treating me exceptionally compared to others who are less fortunate, who either are sick, which would be the worst case scenario, but then there are so many that obviously are impacted with their job and their life has kind of been uprooted. So when you take that into consideration, I'm very lucky. My podcast, I can certainly do from home. I pretty much do it from home anyway. And socially or family-wise, I have a seven-month-old, and you'd be doing a lot of isolating at home anyway. You really would. I mean, Sure, he's kind of at the point now where it would be nice to get outside a little bit more, start showing him the world, but it's not like he's two or three years old, maybe like in your situation, Keon. So I would say that I'd be spending a lot of time at home anyway. Just the one thing, and this is obviously much less important than everything going on in the world, and it's just purely selfish, but Besides just football, I just miss sports. I mean, I just, I really miss sports. They are my reference point with everything. I always kind of just remember times and days by what game I'm planning to watch or follow to a loose extent. So that's, I know, not as important. But, yeah, it's, it's tough. Maybe the first week or two I was like, all right, whatever. It's just as if all these sports were on a all-star break or an international break yeah. or a summer break or what have you. But now it's now it's weird. You know, I'm 30 years old and this is just never I've never not had sports like this. So for a sports not like me, I think my wife would even I would say a joke, but I don't even think it's a joke. I think my wife would admit like, no, 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 give Alex to sports. I think he's probably more centered with sports. <laughs> but besides that podcast and son and family life pretty good and not too affected by this so yeah i'm hanging in there i'm hanging in there look it i think it it started off a a quite like you know it was humorous to an extent of like you know when everyone was doing all these different kinds of challenges on instagram stories a toilet paper juggling challenge people are you know listing off all the things they're watching on netflix you know this is great introvert stream and then it starts to kind of like hit you hard in terms of like the seriousness of what this actually is and how much of a shutdown we were actually in for. And it kind of started to shift a little bit from, oh, this is kind of funny and kind of fun to like, oh, this is actually this is actually affecting like everyone's mental health. Like the people who aren't dying and not able to spend time with their loved ones, um, all of a sudden also they're dealing with mental health problems stuck inside. I was reading an article today about from the Guardian about like in Spain how the kids aren't even allowed outside. I can't imagine like you have kids, I have kids. I can't imagine not just being able to like kind of go for a little walk. Um and that's that's tough. Um not to put not to put a gloomy spin on this entire podcast, but um I have until now refused to let it get me down. Um I'm I'm getting my workouts in. I have a two and a half year old, and then I have a three month old. 
The three-month-old oh. gets up like around between five and seven. And as soon as he's okay. up, I'm up, make a coffee, chug that down. And then I go up and down the stairs with him for 40 minutes. He, I put him in the carrier, get my steps in. Nice. Uh, maybe do some work on my iPhone or just watch something on the iPad and then do a little workout later. So I've, I've tried to make the best out of it and then grind it out. Um, for you, I imagine nothing good, changes. Good because workout of, idea. It is. It is. Yeah. I've started to get really creative. Do you, if you want another one, maybe I'm just really behind on this and it's not a workout hack at all, but... I have no weights at home, so I fill my backpack with with heavy textbooks like Tim Ferriss, like uh, all of his like big books he's yeah. written. I stuff the backpack with those heavy uh, heavy textbooks and and pull ups, push ups, whatever, whatever, you, whatever I can do. I have uh, I've tried to make it work. Very resourceful, nice. Um, I've been meaning to ask you this about your podcast because you have so many different like guests any every you know ranging from commentators to ex players to journalists how do you m- come up with the list of who you want to invite do you just go through and have like a notepad where you're like i'm i'm writing like 100 names i'm going to ask them all just send out all these emails send out all these try to make as many connections as i can how, do you have a method or a process when you think of who you want to invite yes and no I mean, in the beginning, when I launched my podcast, certainly, I had written down probably about 20 to 30 names that I knew I wanted to have. And they certainly were a wide variety of people, like commentators, parents of players, players, Chelsea Twitter accounts, journalists, et cetera, et cetera. And it was important for me to get like at least 75% of those people to say yes before I even launched because I obviously wanted to know that this would have some longevity. So once that happened and I had a good amount of people agree, then I definitely scheduled them in a way that would make sense. So games were still going on at that point last season. So I wouldn't want to have too many guests on that we'd be talking about pastimes. Like I'd want to always keep a current vibe to my podcast because while games are still going on, I think that that's the balancing act. I don't struggle with it, but I have to be cognizant of is all right. Well, if I'm doing a podcast twice a week and a good amount of my following is following me for Chelsea thoughts. And when there's two games, sometimes a week, there's a lot to talk about. So I'd only want one episode maybe where we're talking about more a player's career or we're talking about something more vague and broad. So that took and, – and when games are going on, that still takes a lot more thought process. I'll be honest. Now as a podcast host, when there's no football and it's kind of like during the summer, mm-hmm. I mean in terms of the scheduling, just anybody that interests me, I will get on. And I'll just think of and I'll reach out to them and everybody's got time these days. So I don't have this mastermind plan now. It's just kind of a snowball thing too with guests, whether I reach out to each one individually, which I manage to do a good amount of the time. But sometimes it's absolutely I get close to someone I've had on close enough and then I feel comfortable enough having them help me out with one of their colleagues or with one of their competitors. And I think with commentators recently, I had on like three or four commentators in a row. All in a row. Yeah, I saw that. 
Yeah, so I had I had Peter Drury on for the third time, and then Ian Dark on for the second time, and that was just a cool concept to me, like having them on together, mm. two definitely OGs in the commentating world. And I thought, you know what? Let's do something fun. Let's have people send in questions, and let's have them on the line to answer them. But then I kind of got the commentator bug, and I think commentators are great people to have on in general for both situations, games going on, fine. They can almost talk as a pundit and they yeah. can talk about the football that's happening. But when nothing's happening, you can ask them about still the situation, how they're doing. I mean, they can speak about anything because that's what they're <laughs> paid to do. But also, I mean, they can always reference like, what's it like to be a commentator? And then once I had those two on, I'm like, crap, I, I want more perspectives from commentating. So I got Derek Ray. And then when I got Derek Ray, I was like, well, I want Clive Tilsley. I hadn't had him yet. And what I really enjoyed about, normally I wouldn't want to do that to kind of answer your question a long-winded way. I wouldn't want to necessarily have all these commentators back to back to back, but I knew going into the Clive Tilsley interview, he was going to have some completely contrasting answers to Derek Ray. Derek Ray is probably a much more, I don't mean this as an insult to Clive because it's not, but he's probably a much more proper commentator where he wants to get every pronunciation correct. So how the mm. player would say it, not what country he's commentating in, but how the player would say his own name. And he views calls and, and everything as to each his own. And if you want to put a lot of flair on it, great. Clive is a little bit more old school pronunciations. He'll just do it in the English native tongue and calls. He thinks the eccentric ones are a little bit corny. So I knew going into the Clive one. No, if anybody listened to my Derek one, this will be great contrast. But mm. in general, um, I just try to get a balance. I mean, I just try to get a balance of, all right, I have. Chelsea Twitter account coming on. Now I want a journalist. Now I want a commentator. Now I want a parent of a player. Now I want a player. The whole thing is I just want within a month for my listener to at least say there were two or three episodes they, they had to listen to. That's kind of my goal. And you just pump out enough. You'll, you'll get that from your listeners. You'll get the listeners finding that the episodes were sufficient enough. And obviously you don't want to skimp on the quality but I got a lot of time right now, Keon, to make sure the quality is fairly good. Uh, just even like putting all the timestamps that you do is just an insane amount of work. I think we've tried that like once or twice and we're like, this is like, this is like more than creating a podcast. It's just putting timestamps on it. Um, that, it's, that's it's, a lot of level of detail. It's tiring sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Like, cause I don't even edit extensively the episodes. Like I wouldn't want to edit these episodes to where yeah. it wouldn't sound natural. I, I more just edit for like audio purposes, you know, just so my audio line. Add, add the and music and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I ended up like my editing is really just me listening to it once through. And then by the time I'm done with that, though, I feel like, oh, all right, I can upload. And I'm like, no, I got to do timestamps now. And it's it's a little frustrating, but honestly, it's just. For me, I've done it for every episode, and I know some of my listeners appreciate it, especially since my last three episodes each were two hours. I have to. You know, I have to. I can't expect that, even though we all have a lot of time on our hands, I can't expect for someone to 
sit there for two two hours or else I would have to have the guest on and I would have to talk about the main subject my listeners want to listen to and make it more like a half hour or 40 minutes, which is still great. But at this point, it's like, well, why wouldn't I just get the most out of my interviewee as long as it's not boring? I think I'm, this is a little known fact about the Managing Budget podcast, but in I don't know how many years we've been doing this podcast now, I don't think we've edited it ever. It's you. We, we basically once That's we have great. once we have the audio. Like even if there's like there was like one thing I, I recorded a podcast with Christian Jack on Wednesday or Thursday, and something embarrassing. I just made a total mistake. Like in this fantasy draft we were doing it that completely destroyed the entire game. And he was like, "Do you want to edit this out?" And I was like, "No, we're gonna leave it in. We're just gonna let people listen to to all my flaws and and uh, we're gonna bring it to the surface." But um, no, I like that because real quickly, I was kind of born off sports radio. I mean, that's how I got into all of this. And sports radio does not have the opportunity to edit things out. So right. I do like the raw and authentic feeling to all this. Um, Chelsea players. I know. You, have you gotten an actual current player yet? I know you got a youth team guy. Yeah, I got Reece. You got I Reece. mean, well, Reece. Reese James, you know, so I, I got, yeah, so Reese James is the main one in the first team. I certainly, yeah, so I mean, you know, I got Mason Mount's father and Fakayo Tamori's father. I have a mother coming out of a player soon. That's all I'll say. Yeah, so the other ones were like Trevor Chalaba, Connor Gallagher, who was Chelsea's Academy Player of the Year yeah. last year. He's on loan now at Swansea City. Um, always jogs my memory, honestly, to who I have got. Uh, I got Max Aarons from Norwich City, who's a legitimate player for Norwich City. But no, so I mean, I, I announced, so I've been now totally public about this. I, I had Mason Mount, and this is the only one that hasn't happened out of all the ones I've announced yes i announced mason mount mason mount totally ready he's still ready but i made the stupid mistake i mean it wasn't a stupid mistake because to this point it had never backfired but when mason said yeah let's do it i announced it publicly and i should have known that that tweet was going to blow up and chelsea saw it and they pretty much put a hold on it because Uh as a club for especially, you know, that was the start of the season and Mason started off well. And no matter what, he is somebody they like to market and he's well-spoken, he's English. So they get so many requests from companies and sponsors that obviously pay them. And I don't, never will only with my love and buying their kits and going to games. But yeah, so they have to turn down like 80% of the requests they get for interviews for Mason. And now that it's out there publicly, they just couldn't allow me to do it at that time. But, and so it's it's certainly happening. And I've even spoken to Mason many times about it. It's like, yep, just waiting, just waiting. But I, I could have in retrospect just not announced it and then done it and then released it and it would have happened. But how did I know? I didn't know at that time. And actually, it happened with Max Aarons, too, for North City. He and I just totally did it on our own, meaning scheduled it on our own. He was totally up for it. And North City saw it and, and delayed it. And then when all of this corona happened, he was actually the one which I was super 
humbled by he was the one who brought it up and was like maybe we can do it now and we could so that worked out well but yeah so they smell it'll it'll happen at some point and that's the thing with the chelsea senior players right now they just can't really not many senior players can during this during this time they can do their fifa tournaments like you're seeing all on youtube and everything but the club is kind of putting the clamp down on not just chelsea i think many clubs are on doing too many interviews with yeah with I, content creators like us <laughs> yeah no, I, and i think it's it's from my experience it's always best to go through the agent because the club will pretty much shut down everything and everything thousand percent, anything yeah. that's requested them i've had players agree to it or their agent has agreed to it and then like last minute they're like oh um the club wants it to go through them and then you message the club and they're like uh no or like message me in a few months and we'll see and you know but so that's yep. amazing that you actually got Mason Mount but then he didn't ha- he didn't feel the need to run it by the club and he said yes and then and then Chelsea saw the tweet so yeah totally i mean when i when i kind of began my relationship with a bunch of these guys and it was just honestly them reaching out to me for all the support i was giving them and everything and it was just genuine and it was just kind of a a slow building back and forth you know mason was at derby reese was at wigan i don't know where trevor i forget where trevor chalaba was but he's the younger brother of nate chalaba and he was in the championship and yeah i'm i'm forgetting people but there definitely were more people and it wasn't that big of a deal because sorry had a senior team at chelsea and these guys were not as much on the radar like Connor Gallagher was an academy player. So they hadn't probably even been fully run through. I think the course the senior players get run through of like social media and what happens when you have people approach you for this, this and that. And mm. I'm lucky that, you know, the relationship has kind of stayed completely away from the club and probably always will because I'm never going to go to the club and I'll just pick my spots with them if that makes any sense like i know a summer is a much better time for me to just kind of hit one of them up and be like okay you want to do this quickly but some clubs are not actually that overprotective but obviously a big club like chelsea or real madrid they get just so many requests for these players so you just got to get creative pretty much i've heard chelsea in particular are pretty are pretty closed off um so like I I remember yeah. writing a huge profile on Angola Kante for 442. And uh, it was a story I really wanted to write because it's, he's just such a likable guy, regardless of who you support. And uh, as you know, I'm sure. And he has such an interesting childhood, his background, everything. So I wrote a profile about him. And I asked him, like, it would be obviously amazing if we could just get him. And they were like, forget about it try to get as many other people as you can we we're not even going to approach chelsea because chelsea are the one club that just shut us out and everyone out there impossible to get into and so that was like yeah. two I've, three years yeah. i don't know that was like at least two years ago now yeah i mean it makes total sense that they, they definitely anybody i talk to like when i talk to reporters and correspondents who cover the team they're all about going through the agents. And I mean, some of them have to obviously ask the club for this, this and that, but yeah, they do kind of have a reputation within my circle as they're not going to help you. You know, they're certainly not going to help you and agents, you know, so my number one way to do it is just 
go to the player. Yeah. Build a relationship with the player. Have the player almost view you as a friend and then just do it that way. Or even parents have kind of been my agents before and then go to the agent. Because agents, you know, I think agents get a bad rap within the public. But most of the agents I speak to are really nice guys who yeah. want to help me out for no cut. Like, they just want their player to be on a good platform, you know, as long as they trust you and your content. They're more than happy to at least ask the player, their client, if they'd like to go on. And really, they're they're all about just trying to put their client in the best light. It doesn't always have to be a financial light, you know, a lot of the agents I've spoken to. So, yeah, they're great to go through. I mean, I still haven't had to go through many, but now I'm getting closer with a few because I, I am reaching out to players here, here, and there. And I've even had some agents see that I reached out to their player. They've hit me up first, but then it was – wasn't like they were even overprotective. They were just more as a formality, just kind of being the person to start the the talks. Like, because I just had Jonathan Panzo on, who is a young player who left Chelsea when Jaden Sancho left Manchester City. It was kind of when that whole movement was happening of young English kids saying, you know what, screw this, we're gonna go try something else out. Jonathan Panzo went to Monaco. It hasn't fully happened for him yet. Still just nineteen, but I reached out to him and his kind of representative hit me up first and I was like, Oh crap. He's probably just going to tell me like in an overprotective fashion, Jonathan can't do it. And no, quite the opposite. He was just more like, yeah, you know, what, what time are you thinking? And then he put us in touch. So yeah, there's a couple more examples of that, but agents, I, I feel like probably get a bad rap in the fan base community, etc. Well, the, the agents we think about are like immediately Raiola uh, Barnett, of course, uh, Mendes, these guys, and the reality is like most footballers are just not the level of those, those the agent, the players that's of those the 1%, agents. Really. Yeah, and that's the one percent. There's a lot who just need to get their player out there, um, get some good PR, yeah. get some get some momentum going. Um, have you have you been to a Chelsea game yet since you've done this podcast? I imagine it's you so, get in this press pretty easily. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not going to have trouble once I can travel. I was I was supposed to be there now. I was supposed to be taking in about at least two games, probably three. Uh, my wife and I were, were all ready to go, but obviously we understand why we can't be there right now. There's not even any games happening, obviously. So, nope, that's totally on hold. I've been to Stamford Bridge once, but it was not for a game. So, yeah, many people just can't believe that with as loud as I am about Chelsea and now as kind of connected, if you will, as I am within the community that I have not been to. I mean, well, it doesn't really count. I, I really hate that I've been to this game because of what happened in the game. But I, I was there last year in Foxborough, Massachusetts, when Chelsea traveled to play the New England Revolution for an anti-Semitism game, which was totally a good cause and a good reason, but it was a poorly timed game where they had that before the Europa League final and Ruben Loftus-Cheek ruptured his Achilles. But that was nice. You know, got to meet up with people like Reese James and Trevor Jalaba and talk to them a little bit and even the chairman, Bruce Buck. But yeah, I totally would take away my experience to take away Loftus-Cheek's Achilles injury. Um, the Stanford Bridge's press zone. Um, or their press room, whatever, um, 
it has like a mythical reputation f- uh, at the Bernabeu anyway. Because sometimes when you know we're talking at the Bernabeu, like how stingy they are. First of all, they don't give us food; they give us like bottles of water and stuff, and sure. and cold instant coffee. Um, <laughs> and and now Champions League, UEFA fo- for- forces them to give the journalists a meal, so they'll give you a little lunch bag with some some fruit and, and a sandwich. And some pasta or something. Um, but then, you know, you, you hear people, journalists complaining about it. And one, there's always one or two journalists who are like, you know, I, I hear at Stanford Bridge, they have like a, a chef cutting roast beef and stuff. And they're like, wow, really? I mean, I, they all start talking about Stanford Bridge's uh, food. So if you go, let me, I, I'm curious to know if it says, if it actually lives up to the hype. Just let me know. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a depressing matter. Okay. You got Very it. pressing. Very important. Um, <laughs> Would you say Real Madrid and Chelsea are like unofficial allies? That's an interesting question. We haven't played each other somehow in all these years. I can't think of an encounter, but you always play against Barca, and we always have your back in those games, and we know about the scandals. Yeah, Uh, We supported you guys against Bayern in the final. I did anyway because I did not want Bayern to win after they ripped ripped our hearts out. Um, Trying to think. I mean, Kovacic, Hazard. They're just like things. They're like things that are unofficial, but that p- kind of yeah. bind us together a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I have a decent pulse of how at least the Chelsea Twitter community feels about Real Madrid. And I mean, Chelsea Twitter is going to be toxic. So any team, they're going to say negative things about once in a while, as I'm sure. Sounds There's going to be that for all, all fan bases on Twitter. But I think I see the least when we talk about big teams, I don't see much for Real Madrid. I mean, obviously, and I was, I was huge at fault for this too, but Courtois did leave Chelsea in a very bad way. So there, there was a lot of cynical laughing anytime Real lost. And it wasn't really about Real though. It was about Courtois. And even that has subsided. I think a lot of fans, including myself, and I had to put my hand up immediately, just, we decided enough is enough. I mean, certainly he played a lot better this past season for sure, but it was just like, all right, he didn't kill anyone and he's moved on. And I think Eden obviously being at Real Madrid made fans look at Real Madrid a little bit kinder again. But also, I mean, the Kovacic thing happened. Not only did he have a great season for Chelsea and we're like, okay, thank you. But I think just the whole way that happened happened very smoothly and swiftly between the two clubs. Like there was no, there was no BSing between the two clubs. It felt like it, it was very fluid and even as our deal, I mean, I know technically to some people it dragged on for a long time because it was inevitable, mm. but still like it happened. There was no drama behind it. So I think from a business sense, I think the clubs get along for sure. And yeah, from a playing standpoint, you're right. Like it is always Barca that is pissing us off because they beat us with Iniesta or we've beat them. Like, it's definitely Barca between the two uh, Spanish. Well, I could say three. I mean, at Letico Madrid, we certainly dislike more as well. I just had Mark Schwartzer on my podcast, who was backup goalie in the 2013-14 season. Petr Cech got injured. It was the semifinal of the Champions League. And Atletico beat us 3-1 in the second leg, I think it was. So, 
Yeah, I definitely think Real Madrid for the Spanish clubs is the most well-liked. But really, when you, just, when you just think about the big clubs in general, I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. And listen, I mean, it would even be stronger if Eden had the season that we all hoped and thought he was going to have. But yeah. I also think I raised it a little bit with my Benzema propaganda. I think I think also that in my reality, my reality is that I covered, I didn't cover, I I watched Chelsea almost every game last season because we were covering Kovacic. I guess, was it last season? Right. It was last season, right? Yeah. Time is yeah. a weird thing 18, to me right 19. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we watched a lot of, so it felt like Chelsea were part of our lives and I also would see your Benzema propaganda. So it just felt like, you know, we were kind of on the <laughs> same page in my reality yeah. anyway. Um, it's funny, like, during this whole quarantine thing, a lot of football that we watch is just history, right? So it's, and you see a lot of these, like, on this day, posts and tweets of like this yeah. happened and that happened so I've, i think today was hazard's goal against manchester united a few years ago with the oscar assist and um some other stats and another another a stat that i saw today that squawk put out was that hazard has the most six most successful passes in the final third since 2010 behind Lionel Messi. And that was an outrageous number to me. And it took me back to, like, how good he was and still is. And, like, it, you know, last season, maybe you could answer this better than I could. I think that might have been his best season ever, Hazard, right? Like, he just – his the way yeah. he was carrying that offense, especially, like, before Sarri brought out, like, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Callum Hudson-Odoi, it was – it really felt like Hazard just, like, was, was a one-man offense, offense on his own. So – and then you you kind of fast forward and see how it's played out. And obviously, there's unfortunate injuries um, that, and hopefully, he'll recover from it. How much does Chelsea miss that player? Because I know you guys are kind of riding some success now, and it's it's, an, it's a different vibe now. But how much do you do you think he would make a difference now for Chelsea? I mean, assuming it's an Azar, like still an yeah, incredible keep... difference. Yeah, I mean, and it's just because Chelsea even though this season has been better than most expected, the biggest fall, the biggest thing missing was that playmaker, that guy who can decide games. And I know some critics will say, well, Azar needs to score more. And Chelsea's maybe biggest weakness this season was finishing off a high number of chances they created. But Azar will still be clinical in the final third. Like, Actually, if you want to look at his XG and what he finishes off of and you want to get, like, really nerdy with stats, he's actually quite clinical. Now, a lot of the times he just chooses not to take the shot and he chooses to go for the pass. And I think over years that wasn't always the right decision because the people he was passing to were borderline inept. And it was often Willian or an older Pedro or a striker that had no confidence when it wasn't Costa. So I think that was where a lot of criticism was put in. But mm. really, I mean, Eden has always been a very efficient player in the final, final third. It's really irrelevant whether it's a dribble a pass or a shot he's quite lethal there and that's what Chelsea have missed in the final third so I wouldn't necessarily say this is why like I struggle and I'm slow to answer the question because how much better would he improve Chelsea from their already fourth spot well I'm not going to get crazy and say they'll be challenging Liverpool because Liverpool had 
a historic season. So definitely not that. And that's not a slight on him, but they would still need a little bit more than that to be a Liverpool status. I mean, City are still, well, you know, I would say, I would say past Leicester, I would say third. I would say you would have Chelsea in third, maybe second. Because like City, City have been good this season, but they have not been great. So yeah. maybe second, you know, because also I, I think an argument someone would want to counter if they disagree with me saying, oh, he would improve them a lot is, well, who would he be sitting? Who would he be benching? Well, no, he would be benching somebody like William because, yes, on paper, Chelsea had Christian Pulisic and Callum Hudson-Odoi ready to be the wingers this season. They never played together because one was injured. So, I mean, they did play a little bit together, but really I don't think they started a Premier League game together, if I can recall. I don't think so. So it was just bad timing there. So trust me, Azar would have been benching more of a William, and then you would have had a Pulisic or a Hudson-Odoi being opposite side of him, and it would have been fantastic. And Lampard continued a very attractive style of play that Sarri had. It wasn't obviously the exact same football, but there would have been no issue. It was very direct football this past season, and Eden would have been tremendous, just tremendous. And obviously to... Harp on what you said about last season being maybe his best season ever. I mean, there's certain, like statistically in the Premier League, it was 16 15 in the Premier League is outstanding. And I think it needs to be remembered who he did that with. I mean, he had 16 and 15 in the Premier League with William, Pedro, and no real striker. Like Chelsea did not have a consistent striker last season, they had Morata completely fall on his face at the yeah. start of the season. Then they even had Azar play false nine a little bit, and he still managed to get assist in that position. Yep. Then they had some Giroud, but Giroud is more of a Europa League guy, actually. He, we joked he was Thursday night Ronaldo, but he hardly ever played much <laughs> in the Premier League. And then Gonzalo Higuain was brought in, but he really never hit the ground running. So Eden got 16 and 15, with really no other consistent attacking star, well, definitely not star, but even performer, except for when Loftus Cheek played. But like Loftus Cheek was still being managed with his constant back problems, so he played almost just as much Europa League as he did Premier League. So, I mean, it was an incredible carry job. It was almost fifty percent of the goal contributions last season came from Eden, and obviously he didn't play a lot of the Europa League in the early rounds against lesser competition. But then later rounds, he comes in and he won Europa League Player of the Season or whatever, and obviously tore Arsenal apart in the final. So it was probably his best season in the Premier League. I mean, he did win Premier League Player of the Year under Mourinho in the. 14-15 season. Yep, that's correct. And he was great under Conte when then they won the Premier League. It wasn't as great statistically. Now, Keon, I don't know what your listeners and you think of Ligue 1. Obviously, it's a step below. I, I think some people forget just how damn good he was in Ligue 1. Like, we talk about Mbappe and, and Neymar and what they do in Ligue 1. Eden was doing really the same thing. I mean, Mbappe puts up insane stats as well. But Eden had 20 and 16 just in league in his last season for Lille. And that's just, that's phenomenal. 20 and 16. And the year before, he had a very good stat line and won them the title. So, you know, he, he's had great seasons, obviously. But when we're talking about 
the context of last season having 16 and 15 yeah that probably takes the cake for me yeah i mean 11 12 with Lille remains his best goal scoring season but i think the case for 18 19 being his best season ever beyond the stats which like 15 assists is actually crazy when you think about like for all the reasons you mentioned like who is he feeding because there was no there was no pure goal scorer playing consistently. William, you never knew what version of, he would show up. You're not really getting goals from the midfield because Kante is not going to. Right. Kante was, you know, probably better in that position than I thought he was going to play. But you know, Jorginho Kovacic was offensively was a zero that entire year. Now he's awesome. But um, just like the the surrounding pieces and him, like I remember him playing false nine against Manchester yep. City. I think it was and yeah. His entire job in that game was like to get the ball at the halfway line, carry the ball by himself, and try to score. Yep. And he almost did. Yep. Like he was, he was actually really good. Um, yeah, I, I, it's no wonder why this guy in the off season says enough is enough and eats a little bit because he's just he's so tired from what managers make him do. I mean, listen, this is an insanely durable player for really all of his career he has always been somebody that's played heavy minutes and he might not get like a workhorse reputation like uh, N'Golo Conte obviously but when you talk about the work that managers have made him do I mean Conte did the same thing Antonio Conte he'd play him at false nine against a team like City and I mean he would just park the bus but nonetheless like this guy's been used and abused for a long time yeah um that we Ram Japan just got some anxiety with your comment about he he's gonna he's eating in the off season because now we're all worried after this quarantine what's gonna happen. Well, no, I I, I would tell fans if he's talking about hamburgers because I think he mentioned buns like you can't stay out of the pantry. Yeah, I don't know what that buns meant. Stuff. Buns could be like hamburger buns or like buns are they like hot cross buns? I don't I don't know what what they refer to. Yeah. But but I'm, I promise you, if hamburgers are involved, like that's that's okay. Now he's not. I don't think he's going to turn into a tub again. But he give him his give him his pasta and hamburgers, and he'll give you a good season. I think it was pizza that got him last summer, and and that's that's a little much. But you know, listen, I, I can. I think the whole weight thing with him is probably a little like overblown because no you can't say that on this podcast because we were the the entire fan base is really still mad at him for showing up the way he did it took him so long to get going no i mean listen i totally get the frustration there i just think the documentation of this being a problem in his career is actually not that deep i think it happened it's happened once before and that obviously was it's a very similar situation when it happened he had an incredible year he was the premier league player of the year chelsea won the pl title Mm. and chelsea as a team in general heading into that next season under Mourinho, just kind of felt like they couldn't be touched like they felt like top dogs and it wasn't just azard it was costa and sinsask and Mourinho and so many and i think the drive from them the next season was just a little bit less and yeah i'm sure edin just ate a couple too many slices of pizza and had a few too many bowls of pasta it was just kind of off the mark and the reason why i I, i'm not saying real madrid fans are blowing it out of proportion but why the narrative is and it's twitter so obviously people can banter as well and you'll see people photoshop pictures of him and everything but 
he got injured very early on that season in 15-16 when he had that dreaded year. But that was when Jose Mourinho, I'm not sure if you remember, eventually got mad at the female trainer, Eva Carnero, for yeah. attending to Eden, who was down on the pitch. And eventually, Eva was sacked. She was fired for disobeying Jose's orders. Jose thought Eden was just kind of, eh, pissed that he didn't get the call from the referee and he was just sulking. But no, he was injured. And there was a little animosity at that point now between Jose and Eden. And Eden ended up playing for pretty much the whole season and just was clearly visibly injured to anybody that was around him and the team at the time. And he just kept playing. So he was never really able to get back into the shape he wanted to get into. So it was a real bad snowball of a season that really could have been salvaged had that instance been handled a lot better. So Mm -hmm. obviously now rival fans and even cynical Chelsea fans will make jokes and everything, but it was just one occasion where, yeah, he did show up similar to this season, not in peak fitness, not in top, top shape, but he could have salvaged that, that season if he didn't keep playing injured. His father, Thierry, Adar was pretty outspoken about it. Like he was not too happy about the way that was all handled because Eden was kind of scapegoated that season for that. And I parallel it to now because yeah, top dog, not, they didn't win the Premier League, but he was phenomenal. Won the Europa League, bossed it, you know, cigar after the game. Sorry, obviously the whole just smoking vibe. Everybody felt good. And Eden knew he was getting his move to his dream club in Real Madrid. And I just think the summer was more all about the move and all about him being happy that the move happened. And yeah, you want to impress your new team a little bit more, but just didn't happen. And I totally get my, get my fans would be frustrated. Just also Keon, like, wasn't much of a preseason for him to get going really either. So it, very unfortunate the way that happened. And yeah, it, it just sucks though, because he did, did get in better shape this last time. Like I think yeah. I saw it from your whole fan base. He looked fit this last time before he got re-injured with that ankle. Like he looked slimmer Yeah, he looked like he was in good shape. Yeah. No, I remember I, one of his like last games before he got injured, I remember we actually talked about on the podcast, like he, his jawline actually looked really, really sharp. And it was like noticeably sharp, sharper than it was. And, you know, it was, it was unfortunate because this whole season kind of just sucked, honestly, because from his standpoint and all, from all of what we were expecting of him, and it's not really his fault because once he, he really got going that PSG game at home where him and Benzema mm. just torched PSG, like on that left flank. And then mm-hmm. Mounier... Munye is the one who injures him, doesn't even get a card. Um, and Hazard is out for, first it was like one month and two months and like a couple months passed. So I like, actually, he's not going to be back until 2020. So it just got, the diagnosis just got worse and worse. And then he came back and he got injured. It was just unfortunate. It sucked. It really, it really sucked not having Hazard because he was the guy. He was the difference maker this season that, you know, we needed. We hadn't had last season. Um, What's the what's like the equivalent for a podcast host? Like if you if you if, if when your job finishes and then you have summer vacation and you just don't work and you kind of come back to it out of shape, what's the equivalent for us for a podcast? I was like, do we have like an off season where we just stop? Like we just forget how to interview people? Like what is it? I don't know if there is an equivalent. <laughs> 
I would say like, and I'm not saying I've done this, but you know, I think some people who are hosting radio or podcasting don't always do them sober. I think a lot of people have usually enjoyed a drink or maybe something to puff on, if you will. So I or would they just say roll that, up. Yeah, exactly. So maybe somebody who does that consistently, but then they're having to wean back or they have to cut cold turkey and their content, their ability to speak is a lot drier and more stagnated. So, I mean, that would be kind of my thing. Cause you know, I mean, I, and I promise I'm not speaking from experience, but when you are in the zone on a drink or if you like to get recreational, sometimes your words just move fluidly, right? You got rhythm, you got pizzazz, you got snap to everything you're saying. And then I think if you're to kind of go the other way and just be totally sober for the exact same thing you're doing, there's just a little less life to it. So maybe that would be the equivalent. I don't know. Like, I think the whole thing that David Amoyal taught me, who I do a podcast with for Serie A, is yeah. work ethic. Keep putting out podcasts, put out two a week. So always stay consistent. Always have your listeners know they're going to get two episodes a week. So if you always do that, then there is never going to be that long layover like footballers have in the summer. Yeah. So we're, we're lucky on that front. Well, I think if you just, if you showed up to your, one of your Twitter, famous Twitter videos one day, but like you hadn't shaven in months or cut your hair in months. I think that's happened just, before. <laughs> um, by the way, that, the, the lesson from David there and the, the consistent, that's, that's the biggest Honestly, advice, I think, and I think you would agree. People ask, like, how do you do it? How have you do this so long? Like, consistency, man. Like, you see so many podcasts come and go, come and go, because they do it once or twice. They lose momentum. They, you know, they remember to do it, like, a month later. And, you know, it's just yeah. you got you to gotta grind it out constantly, constantly, constantly. Um, totally. It's a lot of work. Um I uh, I just looked at the time. I didn't honestly didn't think we were going to go with this song. Kovacic right now is one of the best dribblers in the Premier League. No surprise there. He left Real Madrid as one of the best ball carriers in the league, best dribblers. But he kind of like in that in that season under Sarri, he didn't really show much of it. He didn't. He wasn't as daring with his with his dribbling. Now he's one of the best passers in the final third. One of the best dribblers um, in the league. How much of a turnaround have you seen from Kovacic? Did you expect him to be this uh, be this prominent in the team, given that a year ago he was kind of on the fringes behind Ross Barkley? Yeah, the famous Kovacic for Barkley, Barkley for Kovacic, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to describe it is not necessarily a turnaround because he did show flashes under Sari. It was just a culmination of reasons why it could never be consistent progression from Kovacic. I mean, some of it was, it was his first season in the Premier League. So there was an adaptation. It also was Sarri's first season. It was a very new format, a new style team, a new situation for the club as a whole. So no one except for someone like Eden could really have a lot of momentum to build off of. And I think Kovacic also is just being used as a square peg in a round hole. Like you mentioned it, Jorginho and Conte are not going to be very helpful in the final third. 
I mean, Conte will surprise you there, but they're not going to consistently help in any way. And I think that team specifically was looking for maybe the third midfielder to help in the final third. And Kovacic is just not going to be that great, at least with goals and assists. Like maybe he can link the midfield to the attack, but it's not going to be in a statistical goals and assists way. Mm. So I think it was a little unfair what was being asked of him and the adaptation, like I said. So fast forward to the decision to sign him permanently. Like I'll admit all day that I was on the fence about it because I could only go off of what I saw. And I did know he had talent. Like I've always known Kovacic kind of had some really impressive raw ability and talent from yeah. the inter days and from any time that he really did play for real. Like he always did impress me in Croatia, et cetera. But we can say this a lot about a lot of players. Okay. They have talent like, all right, we need to see this talent really kind of make the player have a significant identity. And I felt Kovacic was lacking that. Like all I could say was, well, no, he has talent. I know he can dribble and he's a CM, you know, he's a center mid. And I don't even know what that means because I still can't fully figure out where I like him best. But I have to give him massive credit for obviously he seemed very motivated to stay at Chelsea and to be a bigger and better player for Chelsea and in the Premier League in general. So, I mean, he clearly worked on his game and then you have to give credit to Frank Lampard. I mean, I tweeted it when preseason had started saying that, all right, well, it looks like right off the bat, Lampard does not consider Kovacic at all the same position as someone like Mason Mount or Ross Barkley, and that's a great sign. That means Lampard understands that Kovacic is going to do what he does best. He's going to be a little bit of a free roamer in a way where let's let him dribble. Let's not tell him there's an area he has to stick to because that's technically his position. Let's let him use his strength fully to his ability, but let's make him tactically aware and let's make him know that he has some defensive duties here and there because he's got some aggression and grit. And Lampard clearly had some great conversations with him in preseason. I remember right off the bat, there were a couple photos of them talking and training and Lampard said, no, I really am enjoying working with Kovacic. And I think if there's anybody who can identify a midfielder with talent, I mean, wouldn't it be Frank Lampard? Like, they're not the same midfielder, obviously, but just because Lampard was a goal-scoring midfielder doesn't mean he can't identify what a good midfielder looks like in general. And I don't know, maybe the one thing Lampard was missing was that amazing dribbling ability that Kovacic has. So I just think the puzzle pieces kind of fit there. And Lampard just... Saw, I mean, I think also you have to remember Lampard saw how sorry used Kovacic. Lampard was in England. He was with Derby County. They played each other in the League Cup, I want to say. Yep. Hmm. So he definitely was watching Kovacic from afar and probably liking some things and not liking other things on his usage. And just right away, I mean, I'm convinced, and I still don't even have this on a source, but I'm convinced like Lampard has definitely whispered sweet nothings into his ear, saying things like, you can be one of my best players. Because just the vibe that I get from Lampard is that if, even though he did sit Kovacic for a few games in the middle of the season and pissed off so much at Chelsea Twitter, it's clear he rates him as a jack-of-all-trades midfielder 
Whereas like all of a sudden last year, much of the fan base wasn't sure if they wanted to keep Kovacic. You fast forward to now, we are okay. Some are okay with possibly selling both Jorginho and Conte. A lot are okay with the idea of selling at least one. Still, some don't want to sell either. But like all of a sudden, Kovacic, by most of the fan base, is rated as the most important midfielder out of the three. And like that's crazy to have that type of a leap from one year to the next. But age is on his side. This year progression is completely on his side. And even the fact that he put in a couple goals, like why why shouldn't he be able to score a few goals? Because everything else, everything else he does is so smooth. So. And also, by the way, some of his teammates say and this I cannot believe, and I think they're lying, but some of his teammates say that he hits free kicks in training, which makes no sense to me because, like, he doesn't hit the ball that well in games at all. But he really should be somewhat capable. He's had a couple this there. season where it's like, whoa. Yeah. Because, like, he, had, he hadn't scored, like, ever. And then he had, like, two in the span of, like, two weeks or something or two games. or I could be exaggerating the time yep. frame, but... It was very close together. No, the those two, two were goals. very close together. Yeah. They were really close together. They were both well taken. And honestly, like, I think the last step for him is just mental in the final third. I think it's totally uh, just calming his body. And he has at least the technique to, like, slot home. He obviously might not be able to hit the ball in a variety of ways like goal scorers do. But he totally has the ability to just kind of slot home some easy finishes. And I think that's more mental. Like, he easily could have had a handful of glosses, like wonder solo goals, where he literally dribbled up and down through players, mm. just totally taking the ball himself. And then he couldn't do the easy, fizzy thing at the very, very end. So he's close. And the way Lampard talks about him, it's like, well, he's got to keep working, keep working. Because, sure, I think I think he's 25 now. Uh I'm usually really good with ages, but nonetheless, like he's a young 25 or whatever he is, because I still think now that he's a consistent starter finally, you know, cause he wasn't really at real and inter it's just, that's so long ago and it was just different. And, you know, last year, fine. He was, but I, I think Lampard views this as just the beginning for him. So yeah, I mean, listen, you ask any Chelsea fan who the player of the year was for Chelsea. It's a unanimous, like it is unanimous that it was Mateo Kovacic. Interesting. Um, this whole thing has been fascinating with the whole Lampard experience because a lot of like unexpected twists and turns. And you think about all the narratives that were coming out at the time of the transfer ban and then Lampard coming in. They're like, oh, they're trying to, they're trying to find their Guardiola and Zidane and you can't trust Lampard. And, you know, there was the other contingent be like, hey, you know, just give him a chance, see what he can do. And like, you know, you never know. I, I was kind of like, just like, let, let's see in the let's see boat. Um, but I certainly didn't think that given the transfer ban plus losing Hazard, um, and on, honestly, I was I was in the camp of not firing uh, Sorry too because to me Sorry they were just trying to f- they were just starting to figure out Sorry Sorry ball like towards the end of it and it made no sense for me to cut that project sh- short all of a sudden but apparently um, Sorry also wanted to go to Juve or something there I don't know if Chelsea had everything to do with it but so I was in the boat of like leaning towards well this is probably not going to be good news for this club. But then you see all the young talent coming through and Lampard getting the best out of them. I, I think it's been fascinating. So I guess just to summarize this question that I'm, I'm trying to get to, 
was it a blessing in disguise to have the transfer ban? Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it wasn't really even a disguise for me because I was, and a lot of people make jokes, well, yeah, that's because you want the youth to play. But no, I was just in the boat that, all right, well, you've done this. Like you're, you're getting some type of a penalty here. And is it the worst thing in the world that you're going to be prevented from maybe making some rash signings? And at the exact same time, you might be in this situation where you're going to be forced to have discipline and not do anything that you have a really special crop of youngsters. Like you've always kind of had a special academy, but now you might have the cream of the crop, the real, real special youngsters knocking on the door for a chance to have a look. And I was under that same realm of thought, even if sorry was the manager, like I was adamant. I wanted Reese James in the side this season. I was adamant that Mason Mount at least got a good look in preseason. If it was sorry, which I was being told was going to happen, at least for preseason, I was adamant that Tammy Abraham at least got a shot at being a backup striker. Obviously, Hudson Adoy was going to be with the team anyway. So I think the only one that kind of I thought was probably going to be elsewhere would be Fikayo Tamori. Maybe Billy Gilmore, obviously, might have been further down the pecking order if sorry was there. But like I still thought that a good amount of these youth players should have had their chance this season anyway under Sari. So it just felt like, all right, you're losing Eden, and it's insanely hard to replace him even if you do have the ability to make signings. But also I think people need to remember, like City and Liverpool play a role in this. Like they did for me. If the Premier League didn't have such top dogs like that, I would have thought more of a win-now mindset. Like I would have thought, well – Who's who's the favorite? Like we get one or two players, even if they're not Eden, and we can win this thing. But no, that's not the case. Like you've known, you knew heading into this season, it was City or Liverpool. It's like everyone did. So that played a massive role in in my thought process, and the fact that obviously Chelsea have just been a very unstable club for a long time, and they've been a very successful club. That's been that's been the part that really divides the fan base is. The goal is to win trophies. So if you're really upset with the instability, you can't be too upset because every other season they seem to win a trophy. Or really every season, even in bad seasons, like they win the FA Cup in that horrible season with Conte. They win the Europa League in a very tumultuous season under Sarri. So there's trophies throughout all the toxicity and dysfunctionality, if that's even a word. But really, we've needed stability and you can't do the chop and change with managers forever. You can't ignore the youth forever. So it just felt like it was time to at least give a look in and accept this transfer ban to some extent. Like they appealed it, but they didn't ask for it to be frozen, which was a huge sign that, you know what? They're going to realize that this is the time, if there ever was a time, to give the youth a little bit of a chance here hire the manager. If sorry, really does want to go to Juve, hire the manager that, you know, would manage you at any point now, five years, 10 years from now, but hire the manager that did have a pretty good, impressive first season. Yeah. It might be too early, but he's going to be the guy that is going to connect with these young players the most, but also respect and be able to use the senior players, which he did very well. Also his assistant, Jody Morris was the manager of all of these young players at Academy level. So it's not like they were starting from scratch. Like there was some familiarity and city and Liverpool have the title. So Mm. 
you don't want to have to always lower your standards, but your standards were lowered for you. Like they weren't, they weren't Chelsea waving the white flag. It was the wave waving the white flag was, was happening on Liverpool and city's end to everybody else. They were just telling everybody else, you guys can fight for third, fourth, fifth, what have you like, this is ours. And I think, think that helped massively. And I think other clubs probably should have, I mean, they didn't have a transfer ban, so maybe they needed that blessing in disguise. But I think Chelsea used this opportunity for all the reasons I just said, the context given, to maybe take one step back, to take many steps forward. They didn't even end up taking that many back, but it was just, it's time to build a foundation for Chelsea. It doesn't mean you have to have the replica because it's so hard to replicate of Terry, Lampard, Jack, just that whole foundation, Ashley Cole, that you once had. But it would be nice to have a foundation of young players that could be stars, but at least good players. And then, you know, I don't want to get into finances. I'm going to end my answer in a second. But I think a lot of people forget that when you play homegrown players, players that come from your team, they're free. They're free. There's no amortization. You don't have to pay an annual fee for those players. So besides what you pay them salary-wise per week, they allow you to then actually go on the market when you finally do have that chance. And Chelsea got a little bit earlier than originally thought. We thought it was a two-window transfer ban and ended up being one, but they didn't do anything in January anyway because, by the way, they were staying the course. I know a lot of fans were upset, but they were staying the course. They were going to keep kind of reserved and continue with the foundation and not make any rash purchases. But anyway, when you have these young players, they allow you to then go out and get the big fish or try to get the big fish because they save you so much money. So you do have more money to spend on hopefully quality signings. So, you know what? I'm proud of Chelsea. I haven't said it many times in the last handful of years, except for when they ultimately win trophies, but they did something that's hard for big clubs to do to kind of admit, we have to rebuild a little bit here. They hired the right manager for it. They've had the youth players now there to start to build the foundation. All I ask is they stay the course. They stay the course. They don't jump ship at a little adversity. Obviously, now it's time to sign players, and we have that ability, and that was the plan all along. See what you have this past season. See where you still need players. And I think even if the season's over with Corona, we'll see. But I think you now know where you do need players where you don't and continue the progression and like i said maybe city and liverpool have made it easier by being so much further ahead but that in and of itself could be a blessing in disguise for the future no look i mean i think it's been it's been a fun ride for a chelsea fan and it seems like even like from outsiders looking in it's a it seems like it's just a stable club to just kind of secretly root for or just you know feel good about because it, there's so many youth products in it. And, um, you know, I, I think they've dealt with this about as well as they could have losing in the, 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 the post hazard era, the post sorry era, the transfer ban, everything considered. Um, it's been, it's been interesting now, obviously the champions league, um, you know, if it does resume, maybe it doesn't look so, so, so great for you for that second leg against Bayern, but, um, you know, it, it seems like more of a future project more than anything, more of a win now thing. So I, I think that I think you'll be reasonably happy with with how this season turned out. Um, we're over an hour into this. I think I've taken up enough of your time. Um, appreciate you, Alex. Everybody, go follow 
Alex on Twitter at Alex Goldberg underscore. Um, go to patreon.com slash the byline and pledge to his podcast there. You can go, you can go and listen to a bunch of great interviews um, and, a, and a bunch of great guests. Alex, thanks so much for doing the show, my friend. Hi, uh, Keon. Always a pleasure. Definitely just purely fun for me. So thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I mean, I'll say it. I wish all the best to Real Madrid. I really do. I, I like on record the players now. immensely. <laughs> yeah, only that goes totally out the window, obviously, if they were to face Chelsea. But against any other team, absolutely. Absolutely. I wish you all the best. And most importantly, Keon, during this tough time, and to all your listeners as well, just I hope everyone stays safe and stays healthy and we can get through this time together and hopefully we find, I can't say normal, but a new normal very, very soon. All right, welcome to part two of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are recording this on Sunday night. Um, the coffee is flowing here at the Sabani household. Oh, Marvin has his chai masala in uh, contacting us from Virginia. And uh, Matt Wiltsey at the crack of dawn on the West Coast probably is, uh, is loving life right now. He's, it's not too late for him there. Uh, we're all here. We are revisiting Real Madrid's game against Manchester United in 1968. And I'm really excited to talk about this game with you guys. How are you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. I mean, uh, another weekend here in quarantine, but uh, these uh, historical games are helping us get through it a bit. Um, you you chose this game. How did you how did you decide on this one? So I like kind of want to hit upon all of the important decades and if we're thinking about kind of like the forgotten decades or not forgotten but i guess the less looked upon less remembered decades like you know it, like we know the the quinte the buitre from the 80s you know we we talk about like you know the end of the 90s early 2000s galactical period obviously we know like the current period and then like the uh, five times you know champions league winning teams but like we don't often pay attention to the 60s and 70s and so yeah, I was looking between those two eras and it was like, you know, who do I want to watch first? And like, I was really interested in seeing a Mancio. Um, I know he's one of the all-time legends at Real Madrid. Um, you know, I've heard of him all the time about being an excellent dribbler, you know, really good with the ball, a good kind of like the creative force, the creative hub of the team. And I was like, all right, I want to, I want to watch this guy and see what he does. And, you know, part of it was down to like, you know, what what games of these are available on Footballia, yeah. and then it was, you know, what were you know decent quality. I, I originally wanted to do the '66 Champions League final, um, but the, the quality was pretty one, right? bad. We might, yeah, we might eventually, um, we might eventually get to that. Um, but I was like, yeah, I, I want to go easy on Keon and Matt and pick one that's like, you know, a little better on the eyes. So. I went with another significant Champions League game, 1968 Champions League semifinals, second leg. Um, this was this was pretty historic for our opponents, Manchester United. This is when they won the European Cup. They had a hell of a team, um, and this was kind of like the end of kind of like the the yeah yeah era. So like the era I picked, the 1960s, Real Madrid won the league eight times. In the 60s, out, out, out of 10 available league titles. Absolutely insane. Only won one European Cup within that time span, though, which is why I think it's a little less remembered for kind of current generations. Um, and this was kind of like the, the tail end of the Yeah Yeah era. 
Um, and I can like go ahead and give like kind of like my full rundown of the background, but I don't know if you guys had kind of like some initial thoughts you kind of wanted to um, poke in first. Matt, did you want to pepper anything in here? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe you're going to touch on it, Owen, but just to give our, our listeners a little bit more uh, background on the Yeah Yeah era, um, <clears throat> it was basically, it started out as, it, it's an all-Spanish team. I think that's something to note. Um, mm-hmm. It was, and obviously, if we remember with Alfredo de Stefano, Puskas, it was just international superstars. But the Yeah Yeah era was all about this Spanish dominant team and like you said they won so many La Liga titles um, it was led by Miguel Munoz who was the manager and they had a group of young Spaniards that they brought in uh, Piri, Sanchez, Zoco, uh, um, Amancio, Grosso, Manuel Velasquez so all these guys that came in um, and formed this core of a team and uh, interesting to note, I actually looked it up before the podcast because I was wondering where they got the name for the Yeah Yeah era. And it actually um, came from a Beatles song, She Loves You, uh, when the chorus, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. And so and during that era, all those guys had like long hair because of the Beatles and um, everything was influenced by the Beatles. So that's where they got their name. There's a, there's a famous Marca cover. I, uh, I, I, was, I think it was after the... It was the 1966 European Cup final, and some of the players they're posing for a photograph, and uh, Marka publishes publishes it the next morning, and they look just like the Beatles, like standing next to each other with their haircuts and stuff. Um, it's kind of fuzzy to me where the Yaya era starts because I, I don't know where the exact clear line is because basically you have Di Stefano and Pushkas actually there for some of it, and like they're they're there. The tail end of their career overlaps with some of the younger Yaya eras, and they, they helped them win a couple of league titles in the early 60s. Um, but then I think in 1964 is kind of is when they win the European title finally, and they do it without those two legends. Um, and only Gento is around, really. So it's, it's uh, I, I would say like mid 60s. 66. Maybe? 66 is, it was the one they won. Yeah. Yeah. Sixty-six is one. Six. Sorry. Sixty-four is one they had to play without those two for the first time, and then sixty-six was when they won the title. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, guess around mid sixties, would you say? It is very fuzzy because if you go to like the Real Madrid website and stuff, like they just they just tend to consider the entire sixties like right. the Yeah Yeah era. But I would say kind of like getting towards the mid sixties is when you truly saw a transition to that team. Um, it. It really is kind of like the Yeye era is funny is because it really is kind of just a story of transition throughout the entire period, kind of like, um, and it, it is completely overseen by Munoz. Munoz, of course, took over um, the team when they won their like final, you know, Champions League trophy of that of that five year run in the fifty nine sixty season as coach, moving from player to coach. Um, Di Stefano played until 64. That was his last season at Real Madrid. And Pushkas played until 66. So he was actually there in the final. Oh, he did, okay. And Paco Hento, Paco Hento was the one who kind of transcended that entire time. From the very beginning, you know, when Di Stefano kind of arrived and was building that team all the way till 68 and then three seasons after. So he, he, he was there the entire time. In, in this game, he's 35 years old and he's starting. He's the captain of the team. 
So it's it's kind of the entire period is kind of like a transitionary period, interestingly. And there's like never, I think, one season where you can point and say, well, like this is when all the old stars went away, primarily because Paco Hento was there the entire time. Some of the some of the some of the players that became key players now, like Pashin, actually started the 1960 European Cup final when they were really young. But I would say like where we are now is kind of where like. I would say it's kind of like the final glory years of like the Yeye era. They would win one more title in 69. That was it basically until 75 when an entire new generation, when Piri would kind of like take Real Madrid into a new era with like Juanito, Del Bosque, Laurie Cunningham. So yeah, it, that was, it, it was super interesting to me to see like Hento play this game. Um, I, I didn't think he played particularly well, but it wasn't because he was like physically out of it. He was still insanely fast. Um, some notable exceptions to this game. There weren't really any notable signings, but some notable exceptions was I mentioned Pashin. He did not play this game. And then Fernando Serena was, you know, one of the top right wingers for Real Madrid. Um, and he did not play this game either. Um, you already mentioned, we mentioned Manuel Sanchez. Did we mention that he was Manolo Sanchez's dad? Yes. Um, and and it needs to be mentioned that Lucas, we, we all owe Lucas Navarrete an apology <laughs> for for ripping into him on the on the all time draft where we uh, we didn't we didn't like his choice of choosing uh, Manuel Sanchez Manuel Sanchez's father but he was pretty damn good we'll talk about it but he was good yeah yeah so he was good and he was part of the Real Madrid team this year that ended up winning the league title by three points interestingly enough their opponents Manchester United lost the league title this year this is when still when you know the english league was for was a 42 game season they lost it to manchester city by two points but this was still a really good team that ended up winning the champions cup obviously manchester united also in a super interesting period because obviously this is kind of the rebuild phase you know post munich air disaster um 1958 and we're essentially fast forwarding 10 years later to kind of like the final product of this rebuild under another legendary coach, Matt Busby, who I think really like Miguel Munoz, Matt Busby are like basically counterparts. I think they, they really like represent kind of like integral legendary figures that kind of built the early legend of these clubs. Um, in, in this period, of course, he had what he called the Holy Trinity, Dennis Law, Bobby Charlton, George Best. This was George Best's best season probably. Um, pun intended. Um, he scored 28 league goals this year. He was top scorer. Um, Dennis Law didn't play this game, and that was not just due to like you know just uh, uh, like a singular omission. It was down to the fact that he had like regular knee injuries throughout the season. So this was kind of like him not really in his peak. Bobby Charlton, I think, was like 31 years old at the time, but this was still like because George Best was playing so well. This was like one of the best United sides ever. Um, yeah, and because Dennis Law wasn't playing, new signing Brian Kidd um, ended up replacing him in the team this year. So, like, we're we're truly talking about legendary team versus legendary team, two teams that are pretty equal strength, you know, in both kind of in, like, the final products of their transition stage going up against each other and, you know, vying for a place in the Champions League final. So, like... You know, just kind of like from the narrative of it, like when I picked this game, it just all of it sounded really good. And I was like, you know, I I, I really can't do worse than picking a game like this for one of these segments. 
No, I thought you did. I yeah. thought it was a great, great pick. I really did. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think uh, to your point, Om, I, I mean, I was when I saw the lineups, I was excited to see Bobby Charlton. I was excited to see yeah. George Best, Brian Kidd on the other side, and and even on on our side, I was excited to see what Hento could produce at thirty four years old, thirty five years mm-hmm. old, and just uh, Amancio and all these different guys that you heard you heard about, but you hadn't um, really gotten to see play a full full match. And so, uh, no, that that. That was what made this such a fun pick. Yeah, totally agree. So I don't, so I don't know if your if your perception of or your excitement or hype died down after you finished watching the game. Mine remained high, but I'm wondering if I'm wondering where I compared to you guys on that. So, on a scale of one to ten, I guess how much did you enjoy this game? First of all, um, I enjoyed it more than I. Th- thought I would just because I don't know I thought um maybe the first five minutes or so I thought it would be kind of brutal to to get through but then as the game went on I, I, I really enjoyed it so I'd give it uh maybe six or seven hmm. um? yeah I I think I hyped I think I hyped this up too much in my mind like I wouldn't say I found this unenjoyable I, I I enjoyed watching I didn't find it very difficult to sit through but I would put it kind of at a six just because I think I hyped it up so much in my head kind of like you know I, I want to see Amancio I want to see best and like to be honest I think Amancio we got to see a fair bit of him like it probably wasn't his greatest ever performance but like you definitely saw some moments where you're like okay this boy has quality but in terms of like United especially because um Busby, like, famously in, like, the first 20 minutes, like, in, in his in his pregame talks, the first 20 minutes, just hang on. Don't try to concede. United, you didn't see that much of United this game, and therefore you didn't see as much of Best. Like, Best had his moments. He, like, made an impact on the goals, but I didn't see as much of him as I didn't want, as, as I wanted to. I didn't think Bobby Charlton had a particularly good game, and, like, that was kind of disappointing because I wanted to, like, really see him at his best. And I, I think overall, like, maybe, like, the passing, you know, was just a little off in terms of, like, you know, what I'd, like, seen in the 1960 European Cup final, which I think maybe says something about what Di Stefano's impact was like, which we can discuss later. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think it was just mainly I was setting – I like, I was setting this up in my mind as, like, this is going to be, like, the greatest game I've ever seen. And it wasn't, but it was still, you know, a perfectly enjoyable encounter and, you know, anyone listening to this, if you haven't watched it already, if you set, like, moderately realistic expectations, I think you'll be pretty glad you saw this one. Not just because this is such an important piece of history, but because, you know, this is pretty fun and you get to see, you know, Amancio do his thing. You get to see moments where Best does his thing. You get to see young Piri. And surprisingly for me, Manuel Sanchez, like, every time he touched the ball, you know, it looked like he was going to do something pretty special. I think it's maybe because you hyped it down for me on Slack after you watched it. You were like, I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember your wording, but you were saying something like, <clears throat> you know, maybe it wasn't the greatest game ever. But I watched it, so I watched it with very, very low expectations because you know it's like, oh, it's black and white. Even though it's the late '60s, like, come on, can we get at least a little bit of color in here? And and uh, obviously, we know from watching other historical games, or like the camera only will show you so much. And you kind of have to guess. And then the broadcast tells us that both teams are playing like a, 
a two, <laughs> what was it, a three two five or something? Transfer yeah, market yeah, actually <laughs> transfer market actually lists our lineup that day as a one four six. <laughs> so so then you yeah you, I disagree, you, I disagree with all of those, but we'll we'll talk about that. Later. Yeah, so you know you have to go into this game really trying to figure out what the hell is going on, and you have to ignore what they're showing you on the broadcast. So all of that, I I was like, okay, this is I have to do this. I'm like it's going to be like homework. But then I actually really enjoyed it. Like I would put my excitement level and like enjoyment level at an eight, I think, because it just like it felt like even though it was so f- long ago, it felt relatable. It felt, you know, the Burnable atmosphere was awesome. There was one hundred and twenty-five thousand people at that time in that stadium. Yeah, it was like the people were like on top of the pitch. Uh, the chaos of like Kento and Piri scoring. The cameramen like can go wherever they want. They're like running up to the players, taking pictures of them celebrating. Like the atmosphere was great. Um, it had that feel of like a, a magical European night where Real Madrid had to come back because I don't know if we mentioned, but they lost the first like one nil against Manchester United where George Best scored. So they had to do the whole comeback thing. They were up at halftime big, but then they they let in these three goals, all of them with these like one of them an own goal, the second one piece of bad defending, the third one um, maybe a little bit harder to decipher what was going on, but ultimately George Best creates it with some dribbling. And it felt like it kind of reminded me of like those collapses before Real Madrid starting before Real Madrid won La Decima, where like you can go back to going up two 0 against Bayern in, in 2012 with Ronaldo scoring. You're like, okay, we're in the clear, but then they choked that lead. And it kind of reminded me of that. It kind of like it, it felt relatable. I don't know if I was alone in feeling that, but it, it felt a little bit relatable somehow. Well, I mean, I, I think it was I, – I just couldn't get over how big of a choke it was. I mean, they were up 3-1. They were kind of cruising. I mean, they were on their way to a year, another European final, and they really – I mean, they just – they let it all go. I mean, it, I did, I wasn't – to Ohm's point, I wasn't overly impressed with Manchester United, especially I, – I expected a lot more out of George Best than what we saw. Um but Ohm, I wanted I wanted to see what you what you made out to be the formation for Real Madrid, um, where you had guys because I, I have what I have written down, but I want to see what you have written down because I'm not sure I had it fully figured out. Okay, so I I, I think I have you know Real Madrid's more figured out than United's. I mean I think I have United's too, but mainly David Sadler's position positioning kind of threw me off, so I didn't know exactly what to do with him. But with Real Madrid. I had it as a 3-3-4, and I'm more confident about this because I know, like, Miguel Munoz kind of, like, always liked variations with this. Like, when Di Stefano was playing, you know, it would be, like, a 3-2-1-4. But, like, he always kind of wanted, like, the three in midfield, and Di Stefano obviously was everything. So that's when, like, he could kind of be like, all right, like, I'll I'll go with, like, kind of a hybrid slash forward central midfielder because I get best of both worlds. So here I kind of saw it as, obviously, Betancourt in, uh, in, in goal, a back three of Manuel Sanchez as the left center back, um, Fernando Zunzinegi as the central most center back, Gonzalez Ruiz as right center back, um, Ignacio Zoko as the defensive midfielder, Piri as the right central midfielder, Manuel Velasquez as um, the left central midfielder. And the formations on screen, they kind of showed him as a striker. But I, I think in my, my mind, he was pretty clearly playing like from midfield on the left side. And then you had a front four, from the left wing, Paco Hento, um, Ramon Grasso in center forward, um, Amancio, who was like really more of like kind of like a false nine type player, and then Miguel Perez at right wing. Um, I don't know, Matt, if you saw it that way. Um, yeah, I, I, 
I have it more or less the same. I think uh, the last quiz I had as well as like a hybrid left center mid, left mid attacking me. He was just kind of all over that left side of the pitch. Right. I, I saw it like almost as a like a a three 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 one. So you had the three defenders and the three midfielders with Piri, uh, Zoko, and Velasquez, and then um, Hento and Perez wide, and then Grosso. I really felt like was dropping deep a lot, almost as like a central attacking midfielder or even like sometimes it looked like they had a midfield of six and then Amancio was just kind of isolated as the striker up top. Yeah, it was, it was a situation where Grosso and Amancio were both doing a lot of dropping just because I know like the role Amancio was supposed to play. I guess I just like in my mind naturally positioned him deeper, but they really were both dropping a lot. There wasn't, we didn't really have a focal point up front which to me was an issue, which we can discuss later. Um, you know, Keon, unless you have any, any any other comments about how you perceived Real Madrid's formation, I'll just, like, quickly give a rundown of what I thought United's was, and then we can mm-hmm. get into kind of, like, the, the meat of the discussion. Sure. All right, so I saw United as actually, like, the 3-2-1-4 that, like, was kind of how Real Madrid operated in um, when Di Stefano was there. So Alex Stepney in goal... Um, Pat Crerand at right center back, Shea Brennan at at center back, Tony Dunn as left center back. And it's worth mentioning that, like, in my in my opinion, on screen, they messed up United's formation a lot more than Real Madrid's, like, switching, like, center backs, like, from flank to flank. But, yeah, anyway, I saw, like, kind of like a double pivot-ish, if you could kind of, like, say that existed back then, of Bill Folks and Nobby Styles. Nobby Styles, obviously, a legendary defensive midfielder. Um, I saw David Sadler as kind of a number 10. He dropped deep quite a lot alongside that double pivot, but he also, like, roamed forward, so I just kind of decided he was a number 10. And then I saw the front four of of George Best on the right, though he roamed quite a bit. Brian Kidd as the focal point of the attack. Bobby Charlton as, as pretty clearly a false nine who wanted to drop deep and orchestrate quite a bit. And then John Aston on the left wing. Um... I don't know if you guys saw it that way as well. Um, I found United a bit harder to tell, maybe just because I'm less familiar with these players, but I thought that was kind of a decent interpretation of what was going on. Well, I think with United, it's it was... I, I don't know if it was easier or more difficult because they didn't have much of the ball. So it was it was kind of like with Real Madrid. Yeah. With Real Madrid, I think it was almost a little bit more difficult to tell because they had so much of the ball. And you had like like Matt mentioned Grosso dropping deeper, but also you had like Grosso in the box often, not really knowing what's going on, or Zoko playing as the deepest player at times. And you just like it was it seemed very fluid. And I guess that's it's it was similar to you know watching that that uh, 1960 European Cup final where it's just like Di Stefano's a goalkeeper now. Now he's a striker. It's like it's just it's kind of it, there is a little bit of a chaos to it. Uh, beyond like the the starting eleven, you, you know, you you, you kind of see where they are, and then you saw Mancio even like you know switching flanks quite a bit, going down the middle at times. Um, Sanchez at one point in the second half was on on the on the right wing somehow. I don't know what. So it it, it seemed a little bit fluid. Um, and Manchester United, I don't think they they it sounded like you know they didn't they were not it's not like we're talking about a press here, and it's not like they put pressure on the 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 ball coming out of the back for Real Madrid. So I, I felt like for Real Madrid, it was a bit more difficult to tell, actually, to be honest with you. And then beyond that, I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really too concerned about where every Manchester United player was, to be honest with you. 
Um, there was there was a couple ones that I was really looking forward to seeing, like Best and Charlton. I was really disappointed with Charlton. Best actually at least did stuff. Yeah. Charlton, I felt like was really disappointing, but um, yeah, that's know. that's probably fair. <laughs> I mean, at this stage of his career. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Kian, I think uh, the word fluid is just the perfect word for Real Madrid's formation because honestly, you had if you followed the uh, the broadcast formation, you had quote unquote forwards that were dropping all the way and defending just outside their 18. And um, like Velasquez was, I mean, I couldn't get over his work rate. I think he he really put in a shift and kind of kind of almost like had a role that Di Maria did for Real Madrid when he played that left center mid role. Actually, and, good comparison. Yeah, and I, I think he. Uh, I thought in the first half he was much better than in the second half. In the second half, I thought he was a little bit sloppy. But in the first half, I thought he probably impressed me the most because um, I thought he had a lovely touch, like just an elegant player, kind of ahead of his time. And just uh, I thought he was one of the teammate, one of the guys at Madrid who could combine well with everyone. And um, I, I was impressed with him. Um, <clears throat> I was also. Pleasantly surprised with Real Madrid's play here. I, I thought I thought like the build up was good, the the vertical passing out of the back was good, the dribbling was good. You know, it was it was fun to watch. I th- I thought they were they were more entertained than I thought it was going to be. Um, so I was I was pleasantly surprised with that. So, um, all right, where do you want to start? There's like three million different ways we could. I mean, it's not. I mean, we're 25 minutes in the podcast. It's not like we haven't started yet. But like, is there any <laughs> from here to, from here on? Is there anything that you you guys think you want to bring to it? Uh, so people's attention first. Maybe we maybe we uh, start with just Real Madrid's kind of uh, attacking tactics or what we thought were the main attacking game plan. For me, what I saw was Madrid were looking to as quickly as possible get it wide. Um, and take a man on 1v1 and then get a cross in. Um, usually, and if that didn't work, it was trying to find Amancio. And, uh, Amancio sometimes would, for me, I was a little bit frustrated. I'll be honest. I was a little bit frustrated by Amancio because I felt like he, especially in the second half, he would just put his head down and go. He never really was looking to connect with teammates. He was kind of trying to do it all himself. And United's defense, credit to them. I thought they were, they were pretty good. Um, and they dealt with Amancio pretty well, but, I mean, you could clearly see he's one of the best players on Real Madrid, but I felt like he was almost trying to do too much himself. Yeah, I I think that's, that's a really good assessment, I think, of kind of what Real Madrid were trying to do and then kind of some of the reasons they were struggling. Um, I think, and I mentioned this earlier and I said we're going to touch upon it, so why not touch upon it now? I think what this shows is the kind of impact that Di Stefano has because it's it really is something to me that – when I watched the 1960 European Cup final, I thought we were playing better, more organized, more advanced football than what I saw eight years later. And really the only thing, maybe there's some other reason that I'm not taking into account, but the, really the only thing in my mind that like kind of like is the, the differentiating factor is Di Stefano himself. Like when Di Stefano played, he would create these organized attacking patterns himself, right? He'd drop, you know, near the center backs, you know, he'd play layoffs to the wings. He'll get the, he'll receive the ball back from the wings. He'll play it to the center, play it to the other wing, receive the ball back in the center, combine with Pushkas, move forward, play it out to Hento, and now we're in the final third. And like, he did that 
every single play. And we always had an organized way to get into the final third because Di Stefano had the ball control. He had the passing accuracy. And more importantly, he had the tempo control. He knew exactly when he needed to slow the game down. He knew exactly when he needed to speed it up. And Real Madrid just frankly just didn't really have that this game. I thought too much of it was about individuals trying to dribble through, you know, the the Manchester United defense by themselves. And I thought Styles and Folks did a magnificent job of handling that. And also, the, you know, the one thing that I thought was better, but did, it didn't come off, was like the vertical passing that Keon was talking about. But most of the time, whenever like a Monsu or Grosso tried to receive between the lines, they were pretty well dealt with. So like, I just thought, even though we had a lot of the possession, there just didn't seem to be that much kind of organization um and and control on the ball despite despite actually having quite a lot of it um and that's where i think a lot of it like matt was saying fell on fell on amancio to do and amancio obviously is a supremely gifted player you know we we saw what he could have potentially done even though this wasn't necessarily his best game but he wasn't Stefano. like no no one is no one was and you know, this was still a very good team, but this obviously wasn't as good as the teams of past when Di Stefano was in was in his prime conducting everything. He kind of um, <clears throat> he I kind of saw a hint of Figo in him in the sense of just like that. Matt said like you know getting the ball and just going. Figo was like basically the first thing he would do was just try to dribble past like eight players, and he was damn good at it uh, until he started to decline. But um, I think the Amancio point is interesting. Uh, he's not Di Stefano, obviously. You know, I agree with that. And I think it's interesting to even kind of analyze his role in the Yaya era and just to point out that even though he was, let's say, would you say maybe the most technically gifted, Gento, you know, obviously was a bit older at this stage. Um, I, was I would re- say he's the best player. He was a star player. He was a star player. I there was a, I was reading the Guardian archives, the post match and pre match for this game. And in the pre match, the entire article is about like, you know, because uh, Amancio didn't play in the first like he he wasn't able to play. I think he was suspended. I don't even think it was injury. I think it was a suspension. Um, and you know they were saying like Manchester United need to now deal with Amancio, who is the heir to Di Stefano. And you're like reading that, and it's just like kind of cool. But <laughs> but at the same time, it's um. I felt that 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 Yaya era, even if Amancio was the the let's say the poster boy or whatever, it wasn't. It didn't still didn't have that superstar. Now maybe we were spoiled because Di Stefano and Pushkas were scoring like twenty goals plus a year, and in, in at that time those were those are pretty big numbers. But I mean, if you look at the Yaya era, like year to year, it's it's actually like the, the goal scoring is quite distributed. So like, you know, there are there's two seasons where Amancio leads the team with 14 and 16 goals. And actually that's enough to put him at the top of the entire Pichichi race. Um, but, you know, in other years, like the the year they won the the European Cup final, 66, Grosso led the team in scoring with 11 goals. And next season, Amancio, Piri, and Velasquez had 10 apiece. Um and so, I was just looking at this. After Pushka scored 21 goals in the 66 season, <clears throat> the club didn't have a single player that cracked the 20-goal mark for another 11 years. And so, I think, like, it's interesting just to note, like, how much maybe things got distributed after Pushka and Di Stefano left. Even if Amancio was that guy, he just couldn't be that guy because no one can be that guy that was Di Stefano or Pushkas. And it it just seemed like there was... 
obviously you have a regression in your superstar role, but you have a bunch of these like really good players to make up for it. Yeah, and that that's a really important point um, because I actually thought kind of this lack of a push gust in Di Stefano. Obviously, I mentioned Di Stefano's influence over the control of the game, but in terms of presence in the box and goal scoring, I thought the lack of those two showed a little bit despite the fact that we scored three goals. Um, Amancio, like my understanding of Amancio before watching him was this guy was a right winger, um, and you know I should have known never to really trust those because like the descriptions of positions of players back then and when I go and watch them, they, like, they never really match up. Like, Amancio, like, definitely dominated the right half space, but, like, he was probably more of, like, a number 10 if you were trying to, like, translate that to, day, to today's terms. Um, so, like, he was always kind of the creative force, and he was never going to be, like, an outrageous generational goal-scoring talent, though obviously, as Keon mentioned, he had enough talent that he led the league in scoring a couple years. So if you look at... Um, if we if we look at it kind of like step back and not just look at like the individual scoring numbers, but look at it from a team in the 62-63 season, which is when I would kind of say is like the final years of like peak Pushkas, peak Di Stefano, we scored 83 league goals. After that season, you know, going all the way up to the 64-65 season, we dropped all the way down to the 60s in terms of league goals. And mm. we're talking about still top three scoring the league, but we're talking about a difference between us Athletic Madrid Barcelona is like two, three goals scored. After the '65 season, we're in the 50s in terms of goal scoring. After that, still near the top of the league. But when you think about that drop off from 80 some some goals, which was like 70, 80 goals, was consistently what we were doing. You know, you know before '63, and then you look at like the 50s now that that we were scoring like you know in this season, a couple of seasons before. I, I think it shows that, like, yeah, what Keon, you're saying, like, the drop of the star power, like, missing, you know, Pushkas, missing Di Stefano, it, it really mattered. And Hento, obviously, was a really good player, but he, he was primarily an assister. He he had decent goal-scoring numbers, but he was an assister. And so, Grosso, a good player, but in this game specifically, which is why I, like, kind of linked at the overall goal-scoring numbers, there was a lack of a focal point that I think ended up affecting Real Madrid because even when we were able to like penetrate and get into the final third, when we tried to cross the ball, no one was really there. And I think that's kind of why Matt was saying he saw Grosso moving so deep because he did. And there was no one really kind of interchanging to replace him. And so if you think about what, what made Di Stefano great and allowed him to score so many goals that people like still call him a striker, even though he wasn't really a striker, it was that, yeah, he would do all this stuff outside the box. But every single time he's making a late run into the box to like overload the box. And when he does that, you have Pushkas in the box all the time. And on top of Pushkas, you had another striker pair, paired next to him. You know, that was whether that was Del Sol in the 60 European Cup final, that was Hector Real, you know, beforehand. So we always had options in the box and our crossing game, which is kind of like what defined most teams in this type of era and continues to define teams, you know, in, in the current era, as we very well know, we always had players in the box all the time. Whereas in this game, we hardly had anyone in the box. And Amancio was not going to be that guy. It had to be Grosso, but he was dropping deep quite a bit and we lacked that. So like, yeah, in terms, so, so it doesn't surprise me when I look at it that way and then see like, there was basically, we're talking about like a 30-40% drop in goal-scoring production as you kind of move past the Di Stefano Pushkas era. Mm. And I think I think um, the lack of the focal point really um, was pronounced in the second half. I think that whether it was Manchester United being better organized or Real Madrid just 
struggling to find the right spots on the field. I think it was, you could tell it was, it was a bit more frustrating the second half watching the team, but I think maybe um, we give our listeners just kind of a rundown um, of when the goals happened. And especially specifically, I wanted to talk to you guys about um, kind of that 10 minute chaotic. Um, it kind of reminded me of the last game we watched uh, in the cl- the Classico where there was just like 10 minutes of all action. And it's kind of similar here. Starting in the 31st minute, um, Piri scores a great goal from a set piece who runs near post. And I had noticed that um, Real Madrid were playing a lot of their set pieces near post. And um, it actually yeah. worked at that time. And they left, Manchester United uh, didn't Piri. defend those well, to be honest. And that, yeah. But then that finally they capitalized on that, on that Piri goal. Yeah, yeah, no. So it was it was good to see that he leapt over his marker, really good, good header. Um, and then before we get to the next goal, did I, I'm kind of like missed this or something? Did some guy pass out in the stands? Like the <laughs> yeah. the cameraman no randomly cut to that. He got stretchered off. I had no yeah. idea what was going on. Initially, I thought it was a player, and I I think it was a fan at the end of the day. Yeah, I was like, why are they showing this? Like, honestly, bad looked, for the guy. It was so weird because first of all, I was a commentator German, and I, I I don't know. I assume yeah, it sounded German. I think so. Yeah. So I have no idea what's going on, but there's all of a sudden the camera cuts to like five soldiers like carrying rifles and also like escorting a guy who's passed out. It was really strange. And then that was it. There was just no context. It was gone. Like just. Like I also, that. I also like, I also like that the uh, German commentator always called George Best the best every time he got the <laughs> ball. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then following up on that, ten minutes later, after uh, Piri scores, I think it's the forty-first minute. Um, Velasquez plays a great ball, and Hento finishes it. So Real Madrid go two nothing up. Hento. I mean, to your to your guys' point, I mean, he still physically looked really good, really fast. That's what surprised me. At 34 years old, uh, he was he he could still burn guys, and um, his shot was a rocket. But literally, it was right at the keeper. I think the keeper should have done better. But did you another thing to notice? Did you guys notice that the none of the goalkeepers were wearing gloves? Huh. Yeah, I didn't notice that. No. I mean that that makes it a lot harder. I wouldn't be able to save that shot either if I wasn't wearing gloves. Well, if you look at <laughs> the way fair, he lets that go in, went right at his legs. But like, if you look at the way he he like... tried to defend that, like the way he let that in, looked like the way I would try to stop a ball <laughs> yeah, at a park. Yeah, yeah. Like no interest. <laughs> like okay, you can score this one. I'm gonna go grab my watermelon here. Like I, he he looked like. He just looked so bad, and it looked very amateurish. It was very strange. Yeah, I agree. Let's, let's not let's let's also not let the United center back Brennan off the hook for missing that interception. That like Velasquez did really well, but like I don't think there was really an excuse for letting that pass go through, and it just kind of like slid over his foot, and then Hento was away, and then that's when so like yeah, it was just kind of like a comedy of errors, and then Real Madrid scored. Like I don't know the, the shot by Hento. It was like. It was a good shot, but it's just every time I see that shot, I'm just like, there's no way this is going in. And then it goes in, and I just don't quite understand how it happened because <laughs> the goalkeeper, like like what Keon was saying, it's like if, if like one of us had to do it, like I'm, I'm, I've never been a goalkeeper. Obviously, Keon hasn't either, but it's I don't even understand what he was trying to do because it looks like he, he hadn't even set himself up, like he didn't see the shot. 
And then when the shot came at him, he, like, opened his legs. And, like, I don't even know what happened. Initially, I thought he was a defender, like, with the goalkeeper somewhere else because of the way he defended that. And then I realized, no, that's the goalkeeper. And it was, yeah, it was just a really weird moment. Yeah, and then three minutes after that, in the 44th minute, United score. And uh, United put a lofted ball into the box, and Zoko mishits it and scores an own goal. And so that's, I mean, right there, encapsulated ten, in ten, within 10 to 15 minutes were three goals and just a ton of action and a guy passing out. <laughs> and then two minutes later, we score again. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I completely forgot that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last Which, five minutes of the like... half. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Well, I'm sorry. But just the last five minutes of the half, Sanchez, um he was did some incredible work down the left, like really skillful yeah. for a defender, and uh, put in a cross, and then there was like a scuffle in the box, and Amancio smashes home the goal. So, yeah, there was just so much action in that period, and I was I was just like, oh my god, this is crazy. Possible foul Watching there, like there was a, on that goal, a, a Real Madrid player who I'm not sure who it was, like basically kicked a Manchester United player in the chest. And Amancio just pounces on it. I don't know if was, you guys see that. It was hard to see. I, I couldn't. I don't even know how you decipher that. Like I just couldn't see. I wouldn't even know Amancio had scored the goal if like the commentator hadn't said it. Like it just it was just way too blurry. I don't even know. I don't even know who took the shot because like Sanchez puts the cross in. It's rebounded. Someone takes a shot from distance. I don't know who that is. I was thinking maybe it was Piri, but I'm not sure. Once that shot rebounds. Like hits hits like players and it's like falling towards Amancio. I have no idea what's going on until it's in the back of the net. Um, so at this point, we should be noted that Real Madrid are dominating the game. Like even the goal came against the run of play. It was a known goal that Zoko really should have done better with, or just probably left it for um, for uh, Betancourt. Uh, I found an interesting interview. Uh, David Sadler in 2013 talks about the final, and I think it was just worth reading this anecdote on the podcast. Um, He says, it was my first game against Real, but we weren't intimidated. If you're a footballer, you want to play in those sort of games. By halftime, we felt a bit differently. We got absolutely slaughtered, taken apart, and we were lucky it was only 3-1 because it could have been 5. The only way we were going to score was that ridiculous own goal, and no one was more shocked than us when it went in. But we left the pitch with our tails between our legs, and we were certainly in the depths at halftime in the Bernabeu. Sir Matt, Jimmy Murphy, and Wolf McGuinness were pretty quiet. There never was any ranting or raving, no hair dryers, hair dryers, nothing like that. Not that they couldn't do it. I had it from Matt and Jimmy Murphy, and they could burn the ears off the side of your face. But for whatever reason, this time there wasn't. There was an understanding of what had just happened. Um, and then they have like a pep talk, basically just as they're coming on the pitch, like, okay, it's only one goal, we need one goal, one goal. But they felt like completely demoralized at halftime. Um, and honestly, it, I, it really was a domination. I, I, Matt says it was a ridiculous choke job. It actually, yeah, it really was. They shouldn't have lost this game. It was, I, it, I don't know how Manchester grew back into this game other than, um, I guess we can talk about it now. Second half. They, they had their chances, but it all started when in the uh, uh, the 73rd minute, David Sadler scores. Uh, he pulls one back when Sanchez, for some reason, just doesn't challenge him at the far post. He just looks, I think he thought Betancourt was going to do it. Betancourt's furious 
but of course furious on on the first two goals anyway but just but Zoko and Sanchez wasn't it Zunzanegi who didn't I'm sorry that's didn't yeah Zunzanegi yeah I even asked asked okay. you that on Slack and you answered that I, I don't know why I said <laughs> Sanchez yeah Zunzanegi is the one who just does not challenge Sadler at all at the far post yeah and this is kind of where Best makes his like first real impact right because it's a deep free kick Best actually flicks it on like toward the far post and the only reason the only explanation I can have for why Zunzunegi wouldn't go for that was because he thought Betancourt was going to come out and obviously Betancourt expected Zunzunegi to like go to the ball and so like on the blind side Sadler just comes out of nowhere and literally just taps it into the near post so it's like just two completely avoidable goals where like mistakes are being made like honestly that's that is the reason, like, they got back into the game. Like, there were there were some moments where, like, on the counterattack where, like, much later in the game where Best, like, you know, he got a one versus one that he missed and stuff. But, like, aside from that, if you're – if you came into this expecting to kind of see what is so great about this Manchester United side, this, this game wouldn't have told you as much because this wasn't one of their best performances. And obviously you don't judge a team that, like – that is way back like we, none of us have seen any other real games of them unless you guys have you don't judge them based on this but i would just advise like if you're really looking for like the greatness of this manchester united side you'll have to find another game maybe even the first leg where uh, george best ended up scoring a really good goal because in this one it was you know you guys mentioned it with the choke job there was really no excuse for losing this game it was really just real madrid just giving it up and handing it straight to manchester united yeah, and I, I was kind of pissed afterwards because I was thinking to myself, like, Real Madrid were clearly the better team. They could have, this could have been another European Cup. Like, this potentially could have been another title. They would have been at least in the final. And so I kind of left a little irked. I was like, oh, you got. But even, I mean, Om, I think you made a good point that best, you kind of saw what he brought uh, towards the end of the game in the goals. And especially the third goal, I, mean, I think it was it was it was hard to tell, but I think it was best who carved Sanchez up down yeah. the left and then slotted the ball back across goal. And so um, though he started to come alive a little bit more in the second half. Um, but yeah, I mean, to both your guys' points, I think just complete. I mean, the second goal, United's second goal was from a set piece. So just switching off, lack of concentration. Third goal, kind of similar. Like the team was just disorganized, miscommunication on both goals. And that's how many times have we seen that from Real Madrid over the years? But it was just so frustrating to see it happen when they were dominating so much. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit surreal that they did, they, they did lose this game for sure. Um, I also think like the 3-3, three, three, the, the third goal that Manchester United scored. It's uh it was one of the rare moments that Best actually got the the better of Sanchez. Like Sanchez I think for the most part defended yeah. Best pretty well. Uh but that moment even though I th- I think Sanchez even got a little bit unlucky with the bounce there, but um Yeah. He got he did get caught, but it was a bit unlucky too. But that was probably one of the one of the few times Best actually was able to get past Sanchez. Who, uh, as good as he was on the box, he was pretty good on defending it too. And I don't know. I don't know if that's why Best went to the left wing so often. Like maybe that's just what he did because you know he was the best player on the team, so he had the freedom to roam like Amancio did. But 
there were quite a few moments, especially like first half, beginning of the second half, where Best would just completely swing over to the left wing, and he had a little more success there. Like I think he, he had a nutmeg at one point, like trying to dribble from that side. And yeah, I don't know if that was just because he was just trying to get more involved or because he was losing his duels against Sanchez. Like the only other time I remember when he had a run on the right was when like it was like a kind of a counterattack, and Hento was defending him, and he just like cut past him, and Hento just kind of like barely stuck like the weakest leg out and just let best run past him and kind of like run all the way into the final third play some combinations and eventually get kid into the box which you know was eventually stopped um hento yeah since i talked about hento like i was really disappointed with him this game like physically obviously you could tell he was super fast but aside from the goal almost all of his touches was just lost possession you know this this is like you know you could really tell like that he was old not because like he was slow but because he just he just had a he had a horrible game on the ball and like we're talking about a player and we saw him in his prime one of the most technically gifted players we've ever seen who was like all sorts of flair all sorts of confidence and really he was just mainly a passenger throughout this game and was really quite lucky to do that misinterception to get that shot on goal otherwise he really wasn't doing much and i wonder you know if we would have felt maybe a little differently about like kind of like the help amancio got on the day if Hento had one of his better performances, because otherwise it really was like, you know, Grasso, Amancio, Perez, and then I forgot Hento was there a lot of the times, and the only times I remembered him was when he was, like, trying to attempt to dribble and he failed. Yeah, I think... Yeah, and I think... Go ahead, Matt. No, no, you go ahead, yeah. Well, just to piggyback on the, the Hento point, if, you know, if, I think, first of all, Nabi Stahl had the had the task of defending Amancio a lot. And I think, you know, while Amancio had his moments, Nabi Styles actually did pretty well too. But um, Gento, I think, like, I, I'm i almost surprised he even got this far in this career, to be honest. I think it's an incredible longevity. And if we... Well, he was the captain, so I think it was, like, almost you had to, like, play him. Okay, well, like, sure. But, I mean, like... Obviously, his his influence grew less and less. You know, by seventy seventy one, I think he mm-hmm. only played seven times or in the in the league or something. But um, I I do think it's worth pointing out that I think it's incredible he even lasted this long. I mean, he's the only player to have he played until seventy seventy one, and he's the only player at that time who who had played in every single edition of the European Cup since it had started. So from fifty three to seventy one, I mean, you do the math. That's a lot of mileage and. He looked fast, but it's weird because he looks totally out of shape if you look at him, his physical frame. He looks <laughs> – he has a severe case of dad bod here. And <laughs> uh, it's – I mean, if you even go back and look at his pictures, I mean, Iguain had nothing on this guy. It's just – in his, in his like, latter years – What about Pushkas? Well, that's – I mean, Pushkas is just in a special case, but um, – <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's – so I don't know – it's. I think it's remarkable that they looked so. They they played like as if their fitness had hadn't really taken a dent, even though they didn't really look it. So I wonder how much he'd be keep be able to keep up now. But I imagine that they'd have to be on top of him all the time. But um, you know, if you if you look at his his stock pictures from early in his career, where you can like his jawline is chiseled and like you know he's clearly skinny, and then you look at his pictures from when he's older it's just it's his jawline is completely faded and he's that the the shirt really snugs around his waist and and uh yeah it's it's pretty remarkable um I, Ma- I, 
Matt, your point was far more important than me going in on, on <laughs> Chichento's body. So. No, no. I mean, the only thing I wanted to say was just uh, kind of to Ohm's point earlier that, uh, I mean, after we watched the 1960 final, I just, I was so... I think Hento impressed me the most just because I wasn't expecting um, him to be such an explosive player and to be such a good player. Like, obviously, we've all heard of Hento, but I just, I don't know. I wasn't expecting him to be as good as he was. I was expecting it from Puskas and Stefano, but Hento really surprised me, and I kind of had an affinity for him after that. And to see him in this game, to your point, I think there were, but I I don't know if it was just him too, because there were, I had in my notes, there were moments in this game where a lot of players would just take a terrible first touch. Like the ball would pop Mm -hmm. up. And I thought to, I would think to myself, God, these guys would be merc, just punished mercilessly at the top level today. If you take a touch like that, like you'll be pounced on. Um, or even when a player would do a step over in this game, it was like the slowest step over I've ever seen. And you compare that to Rubinho or Ronaldo some 40, 50 years later, and it was just night and day difference. I wonder, I, I, I always wonder what definitely... the ball is like. Like if we were to take a yeah. first touch on that ball now. Yeah. What does it feel like? Is it is it like a brick? Is well, it what is it like? Di Stefano talked about it. I think when he was like he he did this one like Ronaldo achieved some milestone and they had like a picture together and like you know Ronaldo was making jokes about how many goals he would have scored in his day and Di Stefano was like you know I, I wonder how you would have fared like trying to kick a ball that felt like a rock when when it rained because of the way like the water soaked into it. So that was definitely an element. Like I, I again, like we've discussed this before. I, I'm always of the opinion that like players, tactics, everything gets better as time goes yeah. on. But there's a sense that like the the equipment, the conditions, I think, kind of exacerbated the fact that like just the pitch. It's like hard to overstate just how terrible the pitches were. Like this idea of like these cleanly, finely manicured, you know, glass pitches where you can like finely pass the ball that just didn't exist then. And so like. It's it's not so much controlling the ball as just kind of trying to manage it, which is like I'm always trying to like really carefully watch, you know, the supposed best dribblers of their time, like a Monsio best. And when I watch them dribble, it's just not as clean. It's just not as measured as like the dribblers we see now. And I think that's just a lot of it is because, you know, it's it's a lot choppier, a lot shorter movements. And I think that's just because they know the ball can go anywhere. And so they're just always trying to like adjust like their foot at like the fraction of a second, a fraction of an indication that the ball is going to go elsewhere. And I think like you kind of have to partly take that into account. But having said that, I think this game was just kind of a case of like, a lot of the players, top players, also not playing that well. Like, we talk about Bobby Charlton, you know, not having a good game at all. Like, yeah, I think the pitch maybe was the reason he missed some of those passes, but we're talking about one of the best players in United history. Like, he could have done better than that. Like, so I think it was the fact that, like, yeah, we have some improvement over time. You have the conditions. And then also the fact that, you know, some of the players maybe weren't at their best, like best himself, Charlton, Hento, 100%. You know, those are those are all good points. I think we have to factor those things in there too. Um, should I guess we can note that this was a huge win for Manchester United. Like, um, Busby said that this was it was the the biggest night in Manchester United history. There's a whole article about Sir Bobby Charlton crying, and and he said years later that. 
that was the most em- emotional match he's ever played in. Um, Sadler also talked about that it was the most important goal he's ever scored in his career. Uh, I wish we kind of got to see some more of the close-up like <clears throat> footage, like after the game, where we just kind of you don't really know what's going on; it's just kind of chaotic. But uh, it would have been cool to see that. Uh, yeah, it's a big night for Manchester United. Obviously, they went on to win the the, the final too. Uh, all right, what do, what else do you guys got? Um, I guess like going back to Sanchez because like basically the only moment I could say he didn't do well was like on obviously the third goal, but like even then, as you mentioned, Keon Best kind of had a lucky bounce. I wondered whether I just have to wonder now whether he played his entire career as a defender, um, or whether like he just did it on the day. And if he did play defender his entire career, why he didn't play upfield more? Because he was so good on the ball. Like he, Piri, Piri was I, was pretty good on the ball, and he's always been pretty good on the ball throughout his entire career. But you know, he was one hundred percent better than Zoko on the ball. Like I just thought, like that skill set, especially because he was dribbling into midfield a lot. He was making those passes into midfield. He was taking long shots. Like why not just play him in midfield? Why not, in fact? Play him, in, play him in defensive midfield where Zoko is playing because, you know, he has a quality on the ball that is not not just good for his position. It actually looked rather elite. I don't know if you guys kind of wondered, you know, maybe why he didn't play further upfield. Or I don't know whether Miguel Munoz just kind of looked at it and it's like thought it thought at it from like a futuristic sense and was like, if I have that kind of skill at the back, I'm going to have no problem progressing forward and I can have overloads coming from like the wide areas with the center backs. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I think uh, I'm not, I'm now. I'm curious to see more of his games. To be honest, yeah. I think yeah. this is uh, unless I'm really, really drawing blanks. I think this is the only time I've seen him play. And now I'm curious. It's a good question. I don't know. So for for you guys, who was who was the man of the match on Real Madrid for you guys? Sanchez. Sanchez and then Amancio after that. I, I Sanchez for consistency. Um, Amancio just there were too many moments like you were saying, Matt, where like he he would do something and then he would just keep going when he had the chance to release someone else. Like it's like we it's like we were so close to seeing like him completely dominate the game and we just saw like flashes. Um, but yeah, I think it has to be Sanchez. Um, yeah. In terms of United, I don't know who you guys thought was the most impressive because they didn't have the ball a lot, but I thought Nobby Styles was probably the best player. Like just in general, yeah. I thought Styles and Folks did a pretty incredible job of keeping like that space, like zone fourteen right in front of the box, extremely secure. Mm. Um and Styles, yeah, like Keon mentioned earlier, he handled Amancio pretty well throughout the game, which was basically like the critical factor to trying to like, you know, hem in Real Madrid's attack. Yeah, and um that Guardian article that Keon mentioned, I mean, Styles was was highlighted as kind of the key figure for for Manchester United in, in handling Amancio. Mm. And I mean, for me as well, I think Sanchez was man of the match for Real Madrid, and so I was just really impressed. I also really liked Piri. I got to say, I really liked Piri. But mm-hmm. uh, Lucas, you should have kept Sanchez in your team, man. You should have kept Sanchez in your team. <laughs> did uh, Is- did anyone end up taking Amancio? Don't think I don't so. think so. I said, I said I came Amancio. Close. I came you should close. have taken I him over Juanito. Over Juanito. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was gonna do, and then I changed oh, my mind. Oh, like all-time team. Yeah. Yeah. I think I even mentioned that in the all-time team that you could have taken a monster. Or maybe I'm just imagining that now. Forever, we're going to just mention players that Matt should have taken over his team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I struggled with that. One. <laughs> I have a lot of regrets guys, in the draft. <laughs> do you guys think Piri is up there for one of the most underrated players, not just in Real Madrid history, but history in general? Because we're talking about a guy with a resume that has longevity that few players have had and I think few modern players will ever have. Like we just talked about Hento, what about Piri? Like, you know, being part of the Yeye era and then taking you all the way through this era with Juanito, like winning those yeah. five straight, you know, league titles. So like in totally like won around ten league titles. Um, you know, and he played almost every single position across midfield and defense. Like he started in midfield, ended up attacking later on and then moved back into like a central defensive position. Like we're talking about when we talk about the great central midfielders and we talk about how we haven't had that many in history, like Piri is like kind of the one who like covers two generations of having a great central midfielder before we kind of went empty and like basically waited until like Modric and Kroos. I think that's a really, really good point. I think I, I completely agree with you. I mean, the other thing to consider too is he was – an international for Spain for 12 years. I mean, the, the longevity that you talked about. And I think that's something I noticed with all these guys too, like Amancio, Piri, uh, Grosso, uh, who else am I missing? Velasquez. They played for Real Madrid for like 12 years almost or, or more, a yeah. lot of these guys. And uh, that's what, that's what kind of surprised me. I was like, wow, just the longevity of all these guys. It was, it's, in a way, I thought it, it's kind of like the Quinta of its time. You know, yeah, they're all yeah. coming from the youth team. They're all Spanish. Um, not all of them came from the youth team, but a lot of them did. Um, Piri also, Piri is underrated because if you factor in his longevity, 16 years, he has the ninth most appearances in club history. He's incredibly versatile, could play in midfield, could play in defense. Um, consistent performances, a million titles in that in that time span, league titles, European Cups. Yeah, I, th- I think he qualifies as one of the most underrated, for sure. Yeah. Um, great header, too. Great header to open the scoring. Um, yeah. Trying to see what else. I don't have too much. What do you guys... Present, what- but, yeah. I guess, like, the most impressive offensive player was actually probably Brian Kidd to me. I don't know what you guys thought of his performance and, like, how maybe replacing him with Dennis Law might have changed things. Like, I I thought Kidd actually, like, he offered what we lacked, actually, which was, like, consistently being a focal point. And, like, Charlton, like, when he was dropping deep and trying to release those passes, which really was, like, kind of United's main way of attacking, this was mainly in transition, it was either to Best running down the wing or it was to Kidd up front, who I thought actually did like on plenty of occasions, a decent job trying to hold up the ball and he just didn't get the support he had. And I don't really know what Dennis Law was like, but if, you know, he was as great as people said and he hadn't been injured the way he had that season and played, I don't know, maybe if he just turns those transition moments, which were more plenty in the second half, like he he uses them more efficiently and suddenly like best is like running at us one versus one a lot more. Um, so like, yeah, I guess I started off with kind of saying kid did well and then ended up saying like, well, if we had Dennis law, he could have done better. But yeah, I thought 
kid was maybe kind of the one reason that United had any moment kind of outside of the goals, essentially. I have never seen and him I, start play, I, so I, I, I don't know what the replacement would, would be like, but obviously Trent Purdy is a good player, so, yeah. And I think what um, I, I, I agree with you, Omen, I think what I kind of noticed about Kid was he was only 18 in this match, and he played well beyond his years. I mean, I thought he, mm-hmm. he, he was really good on the ball. I thought um, just dribbling, I thought he was probably one of United's best dribblers. I don't have much to add on that. Um, yeah. Honestly, I guess last thing, last mm-hmm. question. In, in the goal that Piri scored, do you know who it was that took the set piece? Because somewhere I read it was Amancio, but when I was watching it, Miguel it really Perez. looked like it was Perez. Who yeah. Took, yeah, it was Perez, right? I, okay, from yeah. what I saw, Miguel Perez took everything. And I that's I might as well bring that up. That's one thing I didn't. I think Miguel Perez's set pieces were actually all pretty good. Like, even before the Piri goal, thought- he has that one that, where he swings in and Amancio hits the crossbar. Um, I think overall, his set pieces yeah. were pretty good. And, and I thought he was actually... Yeah. Yeah. I thought overall, he... Like, Go ahead, Omen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a feeling you're going to disagree with that, Matt, but I was just going to quickly say, um, like, I also thought his overall play was decent. Like, dribbling, he was quite good. And I thought, like, because he stuck to the touchline, like, where everyone else was kind of roaming... Because he like stuck to his position, he offered like a Mancio that space to kind of work in on the right hand side. Um, so like yeah, I thought he was one of the more positive players that we like really didn't mention at all. So that was worth that. But Matt, Matt has a point of contention. No, no, no. I'm actually. I all I was gonna say was that he kind of reminded me of Lucas Vasquez or like a young oh, okay. Jesus Navas, just like you said, hugging yeah, the wing, yeah. then coming in, taking his man on one v one and getting the crossing. Yeah, and. Uh... And some good, pretty good balls he played in too. Um, all right, I'm I'm at the end of my notes. I've looked over a few times and I can't find anything worth. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else. Um, just that. Can I take uh, Varun's questions. Yeah, let's do that. Oh my god, I was about to wrap it up before uh, we take Varun's question. Varun, <laughs> our patron, uh, has uh, sent in nine questions he wants us to answer. I we're going to just do this rapid fire. Um, we don't need to put in a huge analysis on our answers right now. Um, we'll start with Om, Matt, and then I'll answer. Okay, so Varun says, following questions are for our fantastic trio of Keon, Om, and Matt. I request all three of you to answer these. First question, the best match you've ever seen so far in football live in or on TV? Yeah, so this is just way too difficult. So I just like went with one of the most memorable. And for some reason, this game just always sticks in my mind. And it's Real Madrid 3-2 Manchester City. First Champions League game of the 2012-13 season in our group. Um, It just, I was a thrilling match. Like, you know, it's one I ended up breaking down thoroughly. Yeah, like it, it was just a, it was just a fun as hell match. I like you know, you got to see Pete Ronaldo, um, Di Maria, you know, Higuain before Benzema came on. Like, and yeah, it was it to me, like the way when I like watched, I built it up in my mind. It's like, this is a huge encounter. This is us facing like the Premier League champions. I was actually quite scared going into that game because we had not been playing well in the league up until that point. And we like dominated the first half, went behind, unfortunately, and then just won in like the very final minute of the game in the most thrilling fashion. So like, yeah, that will that, that game will never leave me. All right. Um, for me, I, 
just what came to mind first was Real Madrid versus Bayern Munich at the Allianz, where we won for nothing. Um, and then I also had just like in terms of best 45 minutes from an individual player, I think of, I always think of this performance from Guti in 2006 when he came on at halftime to completely turn the game against Sevilla. Um, we were losing and then we came back and won 3-2 and it was literally all Guti. Uh, I'm just going to say, um, the best match is obviously very subjective and I'm just going to go give, just put the match that gave me the, the most memorable emotions and that was La Decima. So I'm just going to say the final in Lisbon, uh, even though it may have not been the technically the best game ever, like the most, but like in terms, in terms of pure emotion and what it gave me, I'm going to just choose that one. Um, question number two, name three of your favorite football clubs after Real Madrid. Um, so Tottenham, Napoli, and then after that, like, I guess I'd say Dortmund. I mean, I really like Leipzig as well. Um, but that's like a more recent thing Whereas, like, I've always kind of respected Dortmund since like the Jurgen Klopp years. I mean, the truth is I don't love any of these clubs. Like my only team is Real Madrid. Like I, I can't say I'm a fan of these teams, but I really do quite admire Tottenham, you know, had enough, like I've, I've always liked Dortmund. And then with Napoli, there's just been so much like Real Madrid connection with them from like the players we sent, the coach they sent to us. And then the coach we eventually sent to them that like, I found myself rooting for Napoli for basically like the last decade or so. Okay. For me, um, number one is definitely now after this year, um, probably going to follow them after he leaves is a uh, Real Sociedad. I've just fallen in love with them. Really like the club. Uh, I actually visited San Sebastian, um, uh, with my now fiance last year and, uh, just loved it. Beautiful, beautiful place. And so I, I have a soft spot for them. Um, and then the other, the other two and three, I probably get roasted for saying this in Seville, but, uh, both Sevilla and Real Betis, I like, I like them both. And I just, I can't choose between the two. Interesting. Um, I would lean towards Real Betis if I had to choose one of those two, but, um, I don't, like, I don't really have, like, the answer to this question for me changes almost year to year because I don't really support any, I don't yeah, support yeah. any club outside of Real Madrid unless it's a national team like Spain or Iran um, or Canada, but I've never, I don't know anything about Canadian football or soccer. So, uh, Do you guys feel Leipzig, though? I like As Dortmund like, more like than Leipzig. Dor- Dortmund more than Leipzig, yeah. for sure. I think it, the... It's for me. It's like where are the Real Madridonies, and which one do I gravitate yeah. towards? Like I loved Alaves when Marco Sirente was there. I Dortmund is hella fun to watch to play. So I, I I do I do like watching them play Real Sociedad this year. Obviously, I remember being a kid. I I loved Val, I loved Valencia and River Plate for some reason. Um, Valencia because Chelsea I thought Valencia was too. super cool, but um, with Mendieta and and Aymar later. But River Plate because they had so many good talented players coming through the ranks that, you know, that eventually became great. So only reason I said Leipzig real quick, is just cause like analytically, like they're way ahead of almost every other team, you know, bar Liverpool basically. And like tactically they're super, super intriguing and they have like Nagelsmann. So just in terms of like one of the new teams, like I just had to mention them. Um, Aren't they also yeah, like, like universally of, like, hated because of, yeah, they're universally 
universally hated in Germany because of the way they were like funded and like their association with like Red Bull and all of that. Yeah. Um. But like, I I don't really care about that. Whatever. Like, get <laughs> mad at me if you want to. Like, they, like I definitely have like much more emotional attachment to Dortmund. But in terms of like the years going on, Leipzig will be one of my favorite teams because like I think Nagelsmann is going to build a great project there, and he's building upon an already extremely good foundation not just with the previous coach, but with the coaching staff and like some of the most innovative like techniques that they've been using, like their signings are incredible always. And like some of the best players will just keep coming out of there, like Nabi Keda, et cetera. Third question, name three football clubs that you dislike apart from Barcelona and, and Atleti. Oh yeah, it's me. I just talk so much. I thought of someone else. Um, <laughs> Bayern Munich would be like the one I would say aside from Barca and Atleti that I just don't like as an institution. Um, whereas with like my other two, Juventus and Liverpool, it's more about the fans. Like Liverpool, like I like the team, I like the coach. Sorry, just just can't handle your fans. And like it's kind of the same with Juventus. Like people have forgotten real quick how the Juventus fans reacted to a completely legitimate penalty. And still the 2018 talk about it, as if, like something happened. And they, and they still talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Like it was some huge robbery and the way Buffon reacted to that, it was just like massive respect loss. And like I, I actually like, you know, I I grew up in the era where like Juventus's like whole like match fixing thing was like that was not part of the club's image for me in terms of, like I knew it was there. But I didn't associate it with them. And that was the only thing I could see when I saw Juventus, which might be different for you guys. So, like, I was like, I like the players. I like Pirlo. Pogba is really cool. You know, I like Allegri. And then that moment happens and it's just like, nah, like, you guys, you guys embarrassed yourself there. Um, But, yeah, with Bayern Munich, there's just so much arrogance. Like, I just don't like the way they run the club. I don't like the way they think, like, they They'll, 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 if you ask them if like they ever need to sign Ronaldo and Messi, they'll be like, no, we'll never do it because you know we have our own way and our own way of doing things. And it's just, yeah, just it's it's like this whole level of arrogance. And it's like, yeah, because you basically own the Bundesliga and every every player in the league will go to you, unlike any other team I've ever seen. Like, yeah, that's why you don't need anyone else. But yeah, maybe maybe a bit hypocritical for a Real Madrid fan to be talking about like you know arrogance from an institutional standpoint. But yeah, I can't stand Bayern Munich. So for me, uh, number one is Manchester United. Number two is Levante. I just don't like Levante. What? And three is <laughs> Juventus. What? I I really don't like Levante. I don't like their stadium. I don't like any. I don't like the way they play. I just I, Levante. Just, I don't know. <laughs> uh, this is the one thing I forgot to mention, uh, and it should have been part of the intro. It's funny because United and Madrid fans like they hate each other so much now. Real Madrid and Manchester United used to share a really special connection because after the Munich air disaster, mm. Real Madrid actually offered Di Stefano for the rest of the season for Manchester United as an overture to be like, we're two great clubs, two great institutions, and like we should help each other out. And so like I guess for maybe like throughout that era, that's why like the United players had so much respect when playing Real Madrid and like that was a long time ago, so that doesn't really exist. But it's just interesting to me. There was a period where actually, like, you know, these two clubs felt like brothers, like, you know, in the European continent. And, like, we would go to the extent that, like, we would give them the best player ever at the time, um, you know, for an entire season just to help them get back get back up on their feet. 
I would also say, like, even during the entire Sir Alex Ferguson era, there was a lot of there was a lot of respect between the two clubs. Mm-hmm. I think up until Florentino Perez resigned and Ramon Calderon came in, like Ferguson couldn't stand Ramon Calderon, but um, basically, other than that stint, um, there was a lot of respect between the two clubs. I'd say. I think the fans bug us more than anything. <laughs> like for me, this answer kind of changes too because fans become insufferable mostly when their team becomes good all of a sudden and then when they're not you don't really hear from them but i would agree with Ohm's three currently uh and byron are just always just i don't know if hate is the right hate is strong but i just do not enjoy playing against that team it's just they're it's always always got wrenching um wait so matt you don't like united because of the fans i'm guessing yeah, and ever since when Ferguson said he wouldn't sell us a virus, like I just oh yeah, that's I, yeah, that was all Calderon's fault. He just tainted yeah. our image forever. Yeah, um, uh, Levante is a funny choice though. That I admit. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like the lone tracker has scarred me, Keon, <laughs> with poor Amira. Osasuna was a team I hated growing up too, just because their fans what were was so. The team? Sorry? Osasuna. Oh, Osasuna. Going to El Sadra yeah. is, was such a... It was just such a hostile environment. The fans were just so apeshit all the time. And a lot of races in that stadium, too. I didn't I didn't like that team growing up, either. That was another one, but, you know. Um, number four, the footballer you love the most all time. Uh, Marcelo, I have to say. Huh. Um, St. Saint I- Saint Icarus... Really close. Um, oh, it's Cristiano really, for you. No, he's, not, he's not been there. canceled. He's been canceled. Uh. Um, <laughs> but Casillas, Casillas, like no, no departure devastated me more. Like Ozil came pretty close, but it was more just kind of like it was just an utter shock to me. Like I just didn't believe any of the rumors. It, it happened pretty fast, but there were rumors, and I was just like, no way, we're not going to do that. But the whole Casillas thing was just a buildup of heartbreak over many seasons and that's like the way I idolized that guy and the way he left it just I was like are we ever like and and there's still fans like who and I won't say this is a majority but there are still fans who hate that guy now and that just breaks me but even with all of that number one it's Marcelo like I I think like he's in almost every Real Madrid's fan like top 10 like it just it just has to be you just you just have to love the guy it was on this day, by the way, in 2012, where he scored and the captain when Ozil had that assist um, to Ronaldo. Um, the one where Barca had just scored to equalize and then Ozil gets the ball on the wing and he plays an unbelievable through ball to Cristiano in that half space. Uh, it was on this day, 2012. You're talking about Ozil? Ozil's assist to Ronaldo in the camp, remember? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Uh... What you got? Yeah, um, most people know this for me. It's uh, David Beckham. Close second is uh, Sergio Ramos. Okay, I knew you liked Beckham. I didn't know he was your favorite player. Ever. Yeah, he was my role model growing up. I lo- I was like obsessed with David Beckham. Do you still <laughs> follow him? Like his on social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a... yeah, like on social media and stuff, but not like nothing else. Nothing more than that. Yeah, I mean, where else would you uh, like Shanta Ronaldo? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Um, mine is Raul. We all know Everyone this knows is that. Uh, question yeah. number five: PK or Godin? Uh, PK. 
and I think it's barely Piquet. And I just say that because, like, I think more and more with the modern center back, it's about defending the high line, um, you know, dealing with, like, you know, the organization that comes from press and then having, like, the passing ability to deal with the opposition press as well. And, like, Godin is still one of the best defenders I've ever seen. But if I was to think about take any team across the world and any random team and put PK in there, I think, like, PK has more versatility across systems. So I pick him, even though, like, consistency-wise, I think Godin, you know, beats out both PK and Ramos over the course of their careers. I went with Godin. I couldn't bring myself to pick PK. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's PK for me. I mean, it's. I don't think this question is about popularity, but it's more about uh, who would you? No, I respect that. Matt's a true Madridista. We're we're cowards. <laughs> well, it's not like Godin was was this like angel that we all loved either. But um, that's true. from a pure footballing ability. If I had to build my team today, well, my next answer might change here. Yeah. Next question is uh, O Black or Ter Stegen. Back to me. So. Right now, like, okay, so is this like, I'm guessing this is right now, right? Um, I think it I might be just Stegen. like, a, I, the way I'd answer it is like, if you had to choose one for your team and you get to choose their peaks, that's how I would answer it, but uh, that's my interpretation. Okay, so I'll just go based off that. I'd say Ter Stegen. Um, if you look at their shot-stopping numbers, uh, first of all, Old Block has two more elite seasons because, like, Bravo was a, was ahead of Ter Stegen. Um, he has, like, 14, 15, 15, 16. So, like, you can maybe argue that he demonstrated his eliteness more. But um, if you look at both of their shot-stopping numbers, extremely close. Every single time, Old Block is a little better. But I factor in ball-playing ability as well. And Ter Stegen, the separation in quality between Ter Stegen's ball-playing ability, you know, versus Old Block versus, you know, Oblak versus Ter Stegen in terms of their shot-stopping ability. I think I'm not losing that much in terms of shot-stopping when I go to Ter Stegen, whereas I gain a lot more, like, building up against high pressure and just, like, you know, whereas Oblak pump, you know, punts it long every time. So by a shade, I go for Ter Stegen. But if you, like, purely value shot-stopping, I think Oblak is the correct answer. And it's worth noting that this season, both of them have actually not been very good, which is why I was like kind of wondering whether it was just now or just kind of like their peaks. Yeah, for me, it was Ter Stegen as well. I think uh, everything you said, Oma, just and also just his ability to play out, play with his feet. I just I want that in my in my goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because there's always this argument against Oblak that you know he has a better defense in front of him. It's easier for him, but like I. Ter Stegen is better with the ball. I would take O Black just by a hair, and I and I'm always okay. Like if you're on either side of the fence with O Black and Ter Stegen, to be honest, because I just believe in O Black's ability to become a freak alien and save the most unbelievable, make the most unbelievable save in any moment. So I I would just take O Black by a little hair, but I totally get Ter Stegen, to be honest. Um, number seven, who is your all-time favorite football manager? Ancelotti. So for me, um, I kind of broke this out two ways. In terms of like just a person and role model and class act, obviously I'm, I'm going with Zidane. But in terms of influence on the game and tactics, I would always um, – I just love Bielsa. I really think um, what Bielsa has done for the game and just even though he's nuts, I would love to, I would love to have been trained by him or learned from him 
And I also really like Pochettino as well. Uh, yeah, Pochettino, obviously. Mine is Del Bosque, mostly for nostalgic reasons, not in terms of just pure ability, but I just I always love that guy. Um, by the way, Ancelotti, I was interesting because Sari had a quote the other day. He was saying, um, he's been during the quarantine, he's been watching old games, and he's realized how ahead of the the curve, um, Saki's Milan were in the eighties, and uh, it got me thinking. Maybe if we, so I was thinking like, if would there be a good historical game <laughs> for if we were to bring on this podcast if they played Real Madrid and they just absolutely destroyed Real Madrid four nothing. And Ancelotti <laughs> scored. Ancelotti scored an incredible goal against Real Madrid in 1989. That I think it just it's watch. It's worth it just to watch how incredible that goal was. I think. I think if we pick another game where Real Madrid like don't win or like they don't go through a knockout tie, there's going to be a revolt because at this point, I think we pick <laughs> more of those games than ones that Real Madrid have actually won. Like, yeah, even the last a one was a two-two draw. Yeah, we picked a lot of bad ones. Um. It's funny, I, I tweeted the Gento goal on my Twitter, and people who had no idea that Real Madrid actually got knocked out that day were like, were like tagging their Manchester United friends and be like, see, we owned you even back in the world. <laughs> 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 That's amazing. Um, number eight, Vinicius or Rodrigo? Um, so this has to be about their potential right like i don't yeah, see any other so. way um yeah i i go with Vinicius because i think the explosiveness the agility and the balance that just allows him to glide past defenders and just turn them on a dime i think that pushes his ceiling through the roof like when you have that ability to just generate offense all by yourself like that we're talking about rarefied air and like what we're what we're, we're for him to realize that we're talking about maturity, we're talking about better finishing, which I think is very positive. I've seen enough development now where I know that it's it's not necessarily easy, but it's absolutely possible to refine that, you know, be, become more mature and like really hone that into something incredibly dangerous. That's just the only way it stops. It's, it gets stopped if he has an off day. And Rodrigo, I think the reason right now he, you know, he's rated so highly and he's performed better than Vinicius this season is because, you know, less erratic, you know, stronger decision making. He just he just gives you a higher floor at the moment. Um, but in terms of potential, I I got to back Vinicius because I think just his explosiveness, ability on the ball, gives him something else that very very few players are going to have by the time he hits his peak. Yeah. So this was really really difficult for me. Um, I I just it's it's hard to choose between the two. I think Ohm's point about Vinicius. I mean, Vinicius has had some games where it's just blown you away. But I mean, the Real Betis game and. Was it real fit or real sociedad uh, in the in the Copa del Rey? I mean, uh, just see one player just be relied upon so much and just burning players and doing so much. But for me, I think Rodrigo just barely edges it. Um, I've been just so impressed, and maybe this is just I'm looking too much at the current the current time. But I've been so impressed with his maturity, how cold he is in front of goal. Um, I just think. I think he's got all everything it takes to be a Real Madrid player for a long, long time. I think Vinicius has a higher ceiling, but Rodrigo has a higher floor. I think like I think Rodrigo's going to be really, really good. I think it's he's really, really mature. I think, but I also think if Vinicius can just get it, get it together, polishes himself a little bit, he has a little bit of a higher ceiling. 
last one. As Ronaldo was no longer at Real Madrid, please answer this question, unbiased. Who was a better footballer, skill-wise, talent-wise, and temperament-wise, Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo? So I don't really know what talent means when people talk about talent. Like to me, it almost seems kind of like a meaningless term or a term that like holds too many meanings. So I'll just answer skill-wise, temperament-wise. I'll say Messi for both. Um, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily have to justify that. I will say that I think in their peaks, um, I think Ronaldo's peak is underrated. I think, you know, from that 2000 kind of like 8 to 2013, 2014, if you look at their creation numbers, they're very close to each other. Ronaldo actually surpasses Messi in some of those seasons in key pass numbers, like the 2009-10 season, 2012-13 season, you know, and dribbling-wise, Ronaldo was never on Messi's level, but he was, you know, he was definitely one of the best in the world in his prime. Um, but you know, I think Messi just edges it out because, like, longevity-wise, I actually think he beats Cristiano because Cristiano, like, as we've seen now, has gone into a phase where like he's more one-dimensional he's more about you know poaching in the box he can't do as many of the things he's done before whereas Messi's been able to sustain that goal scoring while you know pushing his creation to new heights and so I think he just has added more value as he's moved on later is later in his career than Ronaldo has so I I'd say Messi you know greatest of all time then temperament temperament wise I'm not also not really sure what this means like I'm I, I'm going to take this as like the ability to control your temper and then like leadership because I think that's kind of what it's getting at. Obviously, like Ronaldo's a lot more of a hothead, lashed out quite a bit in his career. I think that's actually something underrated about him. You know, he's picked up a surprising amount of red cards at Real Madrid. Messi is just a little more even. But in terms of leadership, I think Ronaldo is like far and away, you know, a better leader than Messi is just because he's far more vocal and assertive. You know, and we saw what he did from kind of like, I think, 2016 onwards, starting with that Euros, like his ability to lift the entire team, just kind of with his body language, what he's doing in practice beforehand, like all the scenes before the 2017 Champions League final, he he ended up getting this aura around him that was like, his ability wasn't the same as the peak ability, but he imbued this confidence in his team by the way he conducted himself and the way he like spoke to his teammates that elevated the entire play. So, yeah, I, I guess I'd give the edge to Ronaldo there, but I'd say Messi the GOAT by a clear amount, but not by as much as I think a lot of people think was the separation between the two. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's it's the same for me. I don't think I have much to add different from what Ong just said, um, but I think Messi just barely edges it out for me. Uh, I have decided a long time ago that I'm going to not answer this until both of them have retired. And then I, I plan on writing an article about it. And, but I, but I don't, I don't, I, I don't, uh, I don't see eye to eye with the people who think it's clear one way or the other. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as clear as people think. I think it's, I think it's incredibly close. I think one has an incredible track record of stepping up when his team needs him and is, record in Champions League knockout games is insane. And there's another who has just a million league titles and scores a lot of goals. But yeah, ultimately I think they both have kind of these pros and cons, but I I don't I don't think it's close either. I don't think it's I don't think it's a matter of like one is clearly above the other either way. Um, and I want to kind of just wait till they both retire and kind of assess it that way. 
that's my my cop out answer. Um, the coward's answer. That is the coward's answer. Um, all right, I think this is this is going to be an insanely long podcast. So I think it's time to wrap it up. An hour and a half into our segment, um, gentlemen, it was fun. Uh, and for our listeners, we'll be back Tuesday. I know Matt and I are recording something. Um, but uh, that'll be over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. So if you want access to that and make sure you're a patron, we have a lot of content coming your way for patrons and a lot of content has come your way on, on Patreon throughout this whole quarantine. So make sure you're a patron for that. Before we move on to segment number three, which is Sam, Ruben, and Chris, the ever popular and ever their, their rise to fame has, has been really monumental um, on this podcast. Um, they're going to talk about Castilla and other things. So before we get to that, we just wanted to give a quick patron shout out to all of our $10 plus patrons who do so much to support the show. Um, hope you guys are all staying safe and, and healthy during this very strange time. Um, so thank you to all of our patrons, but thank you to these $10 plus patrons. Um, Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Bellaccio, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Grantakiro, Leon Stavernakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Ilian Zakko, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Sad Omar, Oluwapamimo, Oladonjoy, Christian Toff, Charles Williams, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raghav Potluri, Jeff Thurston, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Pena Maradista, San Francisco Bay Area, Brennan Stevens, Catherine Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Somanchu Singh, Brennan Powers, Nelson Mazariego, Umar Mahadi, Rovi Tahiev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Varun, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Alex Perez, Muxi Thangal, Sergio Arispe, Graham Gerard, Matan Baron, Kevin Rivera, Michael Cruchon, Zafar Chaudhuri, Keith Lisenby, Hassan Chaudhuri, Tobias Arroyo Bocher, Mago Youssef, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, Fabian Moreno, and Philip Hammer. Thank you guys so much for your support. And thanks, Om and Matt. On to segment number three and Hala Madrid. Madrid. It's that time again, Castilla Corner time. Uh, welcome back, everyone. I'm here with the two main men of the show, uh, Chris and Ruben. How are you, boys? I'm good. All good. All good. Perfect. Nice. So, um, quarantine is um, well and truly upon us. It's week two or three. I can't remember. All the days look the same at the moment. Um, and we are using this weekly podcast as a form of therapy for, for ourselves, if not for everyone yes, else. What do you think? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, it's really important that we keep ideas fresh and mm. so far I think we've managed to do that um, it's been it's been decent we had I think we started off with Nav as a guest uh, and then last week uh, what did we do last week I thought it was awesome we did we asked people questions great like questionnaire absolutely and we got um, the public to vote which was uh, dangerous yeah. it was risky to say the least but that was a lot of fun um, this week we've come up with something uh, a slight uh, a slightly bit different because we're looking at the Castilla squad as a whole so 24 25 players um and we want to profile them for you guys it's something that a couple of people have asked about in the last few weeks um and it's something that we said we'll get around to doing and now the the season is on a complete hold um i think that now is the time to do that and we're going to do it 
via a special kind of method. So the best way I can describe what we're going to do is by saying it is like the higher or lower card game. We're going to pick a player using a, a random name generator. I think Ruben's got a, a name wheel up, yes. actually. He's going to spin it around. It's going to land on someone. Um, uh, we'll talk a little bit about them, and then we will rank them according to the player that went before. So we're going to say, are they higher in terms of their potential or their ability, or are they lower? Um, eventually, we're going to end up with a list of 1 to 24, 25 players, um, and it should give you a fair bit of information. It should give you uh, our opinions on them as well, and it might help you form your own opinion. Uh, so yeah, hopefully, I'm, go on. I just think this is for the, the fans, Real Madrid mm. fans, who don't follow Castilla too much. I think this is what basically they want. They want to hear who is the best player from Castilla, who are the ones to watch, who are the ones with the best chances of making it, making it into the first team. So that's yeah. pretty much what we're going to do. Cool. And we're going to also add um, context because context is important in real life. If this was FIFA, we could just go 1 to 25, best to worst. But in real life, things uh, happen, unfortunately, such as injuries, sometimes career ending. It doesn't look that bad at the moment. There is actually some nasty injuries within the squad at the moment. We're also going to look at... um, favoritism in the eyes of the first team which players would they like to develop maybe someone has been at the Mm. club since under eights Mm. um maybe someone joined at the under 19s but is a a real prestigious talent and they want to get them in the first team that will be uh thought about and um obviously their ability is going to be really important as well yeah so just to repeat this is not only about the quality but it's mostly about which players do we think will reach uh the highest who Mm. will who will become the the best player in the future who will have the best career pretty much no yeah absolutely yeah. so um you have the wheel don't you Ruben? yeah i have it should cool. i spin it Stand up in I his living so. room. <laughs> <laughs> fortunately it's uh, interactive or what you call it but yeah but it does have a sound so uh, let's spin it and uh, it's going Ooh. and it stops on it's going slow to okay starting with a good one frank garcia Wow. So, so Frank of course, Garcia is just going to go across the middle of our, all our charts yes. then. So he will, but he is, of course, uh, I would say one of the best players because he yeah, one of the one of the ones I rank the highest. Yeah, I don't have any arguments there. I think he's uh, he's been one of the players of the season. I think the only reason he isn't player of the season is because Fidalgo stayed an extra year. Yeah. Mm. So he's kind of like. What's the word? He's he's the in like an alternate universe for the players when when players that should have left left when they yeah. should have. He's yeah. the player of the season. Mm. Yeah. There's definitely a better way of wording that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I in think, terms of yeah. go on. I think just, I think he has a decent chance of becoming uh, maybe a hundred first team player, but at least a La Liga uh, regular. I think. Yeah, we did. Yeah, should we say what position he plays? In? Left back. <laughs> I'm just thinking. He's left. Yeah, he's left back, and he's. I think he's. He'll be 20 years old this year. Oh, that's maybe a, we need to put that down as well. Yeah, maybe I can just get the transfer mark list up to for the age. So yeah, yeah he is currently 20. Um, I think he's coming on 21. I'm not sure. My math oh, isn't great. Um, but in terms of those contextual checkpoints, I think in terms of the first team, he's made his debut. Um, obviously, this season with the Copa del Rey changing a lot, um, nobody's going to get that cool up. But I think he would have probably made some more squads this season as well if it was the same system as last year. Um, I think the first team rate him highly. 
Uh, I also think he's got a really high ceiling, one of the highest mm. in the team. He's going to be probably top five on this list come the end, I'm sure. Um, but his determination as a player, fitness-wise, I remember, I can't remember what season it was, but I think it was last season. There was uh, a 90th-minute assist from him where he just bombed down that left-hand side, didn't stop, um, put in a real quality ball, and then I can't remember who headed it in, but it was either an equaliser or a winner. Um, mm. And it just summed him up. He, he's someone who will always keep going until the end. I think he's quite complete as the left back as well. He he will run up and down all the game, and he is he's his crossing is good. He's good on the ball and uh, good defensively. Uh, if I would have to name one weakness, it's that he's very small. I don't know how <laughs> tall he is, but uh, it can be a little bit of um, yeah a weakness in the air. Mm, he's got a yeah. really weird posture as well. Have <laughs> yes. you ever like he kind of he kind of. Hung, like walks around the touch the sideline like the hunchback Notre Dame so it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really weird yeah but wow. why I'm interested to know why Sam thinks he's rated by the club what what have we gotten to suggest so that? um the way that I saw it is that um back when you could get call-ups and you would I think he trained with the first team quite a bit um a lot more than any of the other players that debut I have got transfer market up um I can't even remember the game it was in the cup against um I, th- I want to say it was Leonesa um and it was in the game that Erdegaard scored. No, it was in it was the Melilla game where they won six one. In fact, um, do you remember oh, that game? Oh, yes, Ahmed Mizian played. Has he answered scored? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Oh, so was he... that the that was the one where one of the Zidane's son scored? I can't no, that was the Leonesa game where Enzo scored. Oh yeah, okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember um, that now. Yeah, it just appears that he uh, gets a lot more opportunities than. Uh, I, we go by fullback, I suppose, than any of the other fullbacks currently at the club. Sergio Lopez has also made his debut. Guillem's just joined, but um, Danny Fernandez didn't get that opportunity before him. Quesada never really got that opportunity. Gregory Long got very lucky and managed to um, turn that luck into something really amazing. Um, it's uh, Fran Garcia looks like he has a pathway, at least, where other players don't. Yeah, well, it's only... The, um, yeah, go on, Chris. He's one of the... He's he's Raul's one of Raul's favorites, which means there's kind of a long term vision where he might end up in the team mm. because Raul is going to manage the first team at some stage. Yeah, it probably. just depends on how long Fran Garcia is going to stick stick around. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, okay, he has to be first. <laughs> so yeah. at this moment in time, first place. I'll just I've, go on. I've just put him on the. Uh, I've put him in the middle because I because I presume since we're doing like high or lower, he's just gonna. You'll shuttle yeah. up the charge as we yeah. rank yeah. players. Okay. Okay. Let's go next one. And it's going to be uh okay, Victor Chust. Uh, well, so, so he goes under, clearly. Yeah. He's uh, under for me as well. So he's the center back. Um he is uh twenty years old. He just turned it twenty in March. So he's still young. I think he will probably be Part of the of Castilla next season too, but uh, he he must be one of the players with least amount of minutes now. So I've got the minutes up here, or the at least the appearances up. He has not made double figures. He made nine appearances. Um, this was his first season though, so I don't think that's unexpected. I remember when no. Javi Sanchez uh, had his first season, he had really similar game numbers. Um, it's just one of those players that his time is going to come within the next couple of seasons. And I think you will see a massive um, explosion, so to say, I would say progressive curve from him where he's going to step up. He'll be a start for Castilla and then he'll go on to play in a high league. But um, for now, not seeing too much. No, 
I, yeah, same. I haven't seen a huge amount from no. But I think our centre-backs have played well enough that they probably will get... One of them, at least, will get a move away this year. Mm. And Victor Chews will step up to the plate to replace one of them, whoever leaves. But yeah, he's been... he's just been a bit of a zero this season because he's hardly played. <laughs> mm. So it's not yeah. a, there's a huge. I can't say a huge amount about him to be honest. Yeah, but he's under uh, under Frank Garcia at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah lower. Absolutely lower. Lower. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next cool. one. Uh, spinning the wheel. It will be uh, Sergio Lopez. Oh, Sergio Lopez, and that's uh, the other fullback, of course, the the right back. Um, yeah. He has been, uh, he's not been a clear starter, but uh, he has been starting a lot of games. Uh, Role is rotating a lot on the fullbacks, but um, I, I know that you like him a lot, Sam. I remember his start for Castillo, and it was um, genuine quality. I think he got an assist on his debut, um, and he looked, I mean, he's taller than Danny Carvajal. He's maybe Ashraf style in composure. Um, he just looks so good on the attack, such a quality player technically. Um that it's hard not to fall in love with him because he's he's that Real Madrid standard. But um, he didn't keep that level up. He really showed some inconsistencies. And at times, his physicality just hasn't really been able to adapt from that youth academy football to the Segunda B, which is <laughs> one of the worst places where you can try and make your debut um, as a pro footballer. I think he's only been unable to adapt because Raul gave him PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> I love that video so much. I've got to find it again. It's yeah. amazing. It's so funny. It's just like, Sergio, Sergio, all the time. <laughs> that was from the start of the season. He was just yeah, that... giving, he was shouting at Sergio Lopez the whole game. And it was, mm. it was like someone had made a video, like two minutes long video of just Roll shouting at Sergio Lopez. So... It was like he didn't know anyone. He didn't know the names of anyone else in the squad. And he just knew Sergio. And it's like, yeah. oh, I'll just have Sergio do everything else. For him. He's like my assistant manager on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. But, he um, yeah, I, he went I with agree. the first team for a preseason. Um, I can't remember if he's made his debut though. It's not. It's okay. in my head that he hasn't. He didn't he go with Lopetegui? He was with yes. Regulon as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you're uh, right. He's not made his first team debut, but he went and he played quite a few games in the summer in where is that America or wherever they go. Yeah, mm. it was America. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms, he, of, go on. But he, uh, I think this is another clear one. He is in the middle now, under Frank Garcia, but over. Victor yeah, Chus. I would say I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, Same. slap him in the middle, lower than than Fran, but higher than Victor, just because he's had that extra season. Um, really, he should have secured that starting spot this year. But really, yeah, he hasn't been able to do that, Ruben. You're right. So maybe he struggled could... last year as well. Mm. Like Danny Fernandez really gave him a run for his money yeah, last year. Absolutely. And I th- but I, th- I think a lot of what happened last year was that he was injured a lot uh, yeah. last year, and this year he that he hasn't been injured. He just he just hasn't yeah. been in favor all the time. But I, I think actually maybe he has been a little bit injured without us really noticing it too much. Because when you look at this um, history from this season on Transfermarkt, some games he's just been dropped from the whole squad. So oh, I think wow, that yeah. maybe, maybe he has been picking up some injuries I that will, we just haven't noticed. I will say for him that. I, I rate him still, but I am a little worried if that's the case for him, that he's kind of not been able to... I just think he has the talent to have put his foot in and be up there with Frank Garcia as a really top prospect, and he yeah. hasn't yet. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of looking at him and you're thinking, when are you going to do it if you're not going to do it now? <laughs> uh, I think it's the last 
Nathan Castillo. Yeah, I, I, yeah, so do I. And I think he might be someone like Oscar, Rod- a, like a better performing Oscar Rodriguez, where he might move elsewhere and he could mm. like stun us all on how good he is. But for now, yeah, yeah, I can I, see I him. Uh, I can see him playing in La Liga soon, and I can see him playing yeah. better. I think that suits. It's a weird thing to say that La Liga suits you better than Segunda B. <laughs> Tier one suits you better than Tier three. I've got a bit of an analogy that I'd love to to introduce because we say this quite a bit. How some players perform better in the Liga than they did during their first seasons is going to be. Um, I had a friend who, uh, we're, we're terrible footballers, but we managed to get him to a semi-pro standard, basically through lying for our teeth. Um, and we got up to this semi-pro team and the pre-season, they managed to pull in loads of professional teams to play. So they had, um, uh, I don't want to lay, name any of them, but they had one in the, the third tier of English football, one in the fourth and one in the fifth wow. for pre-season. Um, and I was really excited. I was going to see my friend play against players that I can play as on FIFA that I know <laughs> of in real life. Um, and the weird thing was he played pretty well against these pro teams. Oh. I was, and he's just come back from an ACL injury. He's never played that high in his life, semi-pro. Um, he's a left back. He's a bit of a like a bland defender that will just do the job. Um, but he played well against these technical players that were strong, but mm. were fiercely technical then we went i went to watch him make his league debut i think this is like the seventh or the eighth tier of english football and <laughs> basically the standard in this league is 50 50 the ball bounces somewhere else into another 50 50 and everyone is just crunching each other for 90 minutes and he looked terrible and he got released the next month oh um, yeah. so he looked better against a team in league one than he did uh against i don't even know the division's name a team in the Division nine um, of English football. Um, yeah. And I feel that that it translates to everyone. If you're a player that's better technically, the in fact, the best leagues are probably going to be better for you than some of the, li- the lower leagues. Yeah. And we mentioned uh, a couple of episodes back, uh, Javi Sanchez, who just took the, mm. the first team step so easily and was probably better for the first team in his games there than in average for Castilla. Yeah, for same with, same with Reguilon. Same with so many players. Yeah. Because- at Real Madrid, you are technically superior to probably many of the players this is going to be. Oh, that's true. Um, so I guess mm. when they move up, it, it's just a natural step. And the quality around them also, I'm sure, helps them a ton. Mm. Yeah, OK. Next one. Spinning the wheel again. This time, it's going to be oh, a very good one. Miguel Baeza. Oh, wow, it's been a big And we start. are already going to have a tricky choice I think Miguel Baeza of course uh, an attacking midfielder and um, he, I think maybe he has turned 20 has he just turned 20 uh, it would have been just if, if that's the case um, um, I think there's going to be some disagreements here for the first time yeah I think so too <laughs> <laughs> um, Baeza how old he's is he he's 20 he's 20 yeah but he, he just is March he turned 20 yeah so, but he is the, still the top scorer of the team. And uh, is he also the top assister? So the top scorer and the joint top assister, yeah. Yeah. And just, uh, actually, and that, it's, that's even without being a clear starter for the whole season. Mm. So that's very impressive with the amount of minutes he's got. Yeah, the first player to get a hat-trick in. Um, I can't even find the stat for the player to do it before. I'm sure there must be a midfielder to bag a hat-trick because dear, but I cannot find that midfielder. So... Potentially, he could be the first ever, but if not, he's the first in decades for sure. Mm. And what I especially like about him, he, he has got great technical ability and good passing. But he also is a ten, number 10, an attacking midfielder who will get into the box and can score goals, which is very rare, I think. So 
I like him a lot. And the question is, does he have a better future than Fran Garcia? So I think in terms of who was last, Sergio Lopez? Yeah. No. It's higher than Lopez and Chiefs. Can we agree with that? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. So now yeah. our, our table is Fran or Baeza. And I'm going to say, simply based on this season, because the stats are, I mean, he's outstatsed. Is that the word? <laughs> he's <laughs> he he has... <laughs> He's outstatsed. I'm going to make it the word. He's outstatsed. <laughs> Martin Erdegaard, Marcus. In fact, every player that has won Champions Leagues, that's gone on to win the Leaguers, that's gone on to play everywhere in the world, he has outstatsed them all as a midfielder. And this is his first season. Um, so mm. I'm going to say higher. Who, who, who? What do you think, Chris? I'm, I need to double check again. <laughs> what is it? Best chance of playing at Real Madrid or best chance of playing mm. in? A I would just say edition? a career, career in general. No, mm. a good I career. So. Yeah, and that can think, include Real Madrid. And that nah, that would okay. th- that yeah. would mean that you know for Frank Garcia at least he uh, uh, there's not too many left backs. So this is really weird. All right. I I definitely rate Fran Garcia higher than I rate Miguel Baeza. You do, yeah. But I think Baeza has a wow factor that means I think he has an outside chance of making mm. it in Madrid. Oh. I'm just so afraid, I don't. So yeah. in in that sense, I'm I'm not really certain where that puts him. I'm just afraid that you know Baeza is very uh, good for the reasons that I just mentioned. But is there? Maybe this kind of player, are there a lot of similar players to Baeza? Is you know, is he a rare player? I don't know. I mean, in in terms of his position, um, if he wants to make it at Real Madrid, we're talking he has to overcome Martin Erdegaard, Oscar Rodriguez, Renier in his own squad, yeah, Fidalgo. There's so many players on that list, and then Real Madrid obviously can go out and buy another one. Isco, mm. James Rodriguez. Um, I it, the list is endless. He's got a hell of a mountain to climb. But what I would say is, um. I would just turn it back to Sergio Reguilon, who was an outsider of Castilla. This guy's not an outsider of Castilla. He, he's the top of everything. He's top of the tree. Yeah. Uh, he must have a chance. It's just a very difficult one. Oof, I think, oh, the, but these are two of my favourites. So <laughs> this is this going to hurt either way. But um, <laughs> I just think Fran Garcia is... Wow. Uh, it feels, feels like Fran Garcia is a little bit more secure to me. But do you think that if we take Real Madrid out of the equation because both of them have got a difficult mountain to climb in that respect Yeah, and we go because I think they're definitely going to make it in the league of both of them no, yeah. no questions asked who do you think would thrive more I think it's it's one of those technical aspects where Bayesa is just going to go to La Liga and thrive surely whereas Frank Garcia I think is going to be a very strong I left think, back in La Liga I personally think in terms of like a career I could definitely see Garcia having like this outstanding career mm. outstandingly consistent career Steady, yeah. at, at a top La Liga club I could definitely I'm not sure La Liga but I can definitely see Baeza having a top flight career somewhere where he mm. he has enough wow factor to mean that he's always going to be in and amongst it winning trophies and stuff but in Ooh. terms of uh, he might be a player that we'll look back on and say could he have been better so okay I've oh. decided I'm putting him below Fran Garcia oh, I'm so I think Ruben is as well. I'm going to decide this one a bit, but I think if we're going to just who is realistically more, who is more likely to, who is more secure bet to to just be a starter in La Liga in a few years, I would say yeah, Frank Garcia. Um, yeah. But if I'm going to, with a higher ceiling, I would say Miguel Baeza, and therefore I think I will put him over. Oh, uh, I'm happy about that. 
So, just because I'm afraid <laughs> that the, the history, history will come back to, to bite us. <laughs> you never know. I Maybe think, they both don't. Yeah, but I think Baeza could be a player who we just... Oh, he could be a really top player. Um, so, But Frank Garcia, I think, can be too. But I don't think he will be like a club legend. I think he will just be a... It will be a very good player, but I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely got favoritism here because Fran Garcia is my favorite Castilla player. <laughs> okay. Probably outside of Fidalgo, yeah. Garcia is my favorite. Nice. So maybe it's the rose tinted goggles talking, but yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm very. I suppose if we were ever going to have a disagreement, that's definitely where it was going to be, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly close. It's not. Um, yeah, it is. It doesn't oh, away with that. Yeah. But um, I, okay. Let's let's leave it at that. Uh, I okay. will say Baeza. So it's then Baeza, Fran Garcia, Lopez, Chust, right? Yes, that's what we got. Well, so except for me, I have Garcia Chris, and Baeza, Lopez, Chust. He doesn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but aren't we? Are we creating separate lists, or are we? Playing... Yeah, I have. I have them separate. Okay, I'm gonna try and go with one with Ruben and see. Should we? So but... Chris and ours. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But, is, but it, will, will it be better to three depend? separate? Do you think? Hmm. We should. I maybe mean, we can. Maybe we can actually. That's I, 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 what I was thinking was that we'll have three separate, and by the end of it, like one of the lists is going to be the Okay, I like it. Yeah, we'll do and that. We can make it official. You know. Okay. In that case, I don't have to be too uh, angry when my players don't get picked. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, if, let's do it. But if, if we the listeners if we haven't just... already haven't already uh, figured it out, we like we've come up with this on the fly, really. <laughs> we've come up with it. We okay. can't. We had the idea yesterday, but the kind of specifics of it are like only happening while we're figuring this out. <laughs> but it works. It works nicely, yeah. right? Who's number five? Okay, next one. Next one will be. Do 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 do. It will be. <laughs> Alvaro Bravo. <laughs> nice. Oh. Uh, and this is a, a tricky one because he's a central midfielder. Mm. But it's kind of a it's not someone who who you notice too much during the games. At least that's how it is for me. Is that the same for you? Yeah. He's always kind of a solid defensive option in midfield. He's just a bit of steel in midfield. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing I would say about him is he's he's already played higher. I think he played the second division and started for Mirandes, I want to say. Um, he's been around quite a while. He's How old is he? 22? So he's one Ooh. of the older players in the squad. He's He's been around the block. He played in the academy. Um, I want to say that this is his first season for Castilla, yes. um, which is really strange. He got loaned out from the under-19s uh, to mm. Fuen Labrada and then Mirandes. Um but he's really popular amongst the players. I remember seeing like all of them hanging out with him at the time. I, I knew his name straight away because he was still there on the scene. He just didn't play for Castilla. Mm. Um, but obviously, he's a player that <laughs> has a, had a potential to go higher and will play higher, at least at second division level. But I don't think... Uh, wow, he'll, I don't know about much higher than that. Mm, I, I, I think I may will put him on the... Also, on the bottom. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just because Victor Chust is a lot younger, he's in his first season, he has that potential to, to spring up, yeah. become a starter and change um, change the prospects for his career, in fact. Whilst Bravo, I mean, he's going to be 23 next season. This He will leave Castilla. Yeah. Um, he could obviously explode at another club and then go into La Liga from there, but it, I don't think it's going to happen here. No. 
Mm. I was going to put him. I was going to put him above Chews, but you guys have talked me around. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he's probably a better. He's a more experienced player, and probably a, at this moment playing at a higher level. But Chews is younger. He's got that. He's got that um, advantage on him. Okay. I'm already spinning the wheel. Let's go and nice. let's go to the next one. <laughs> Cheers, bravo. And and it's actually Mark Guell. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, and um, oh, I, I actually like him as a player. He's a striker. He's the striker who uh, Castilla loaned after the um, the injury to to Pedro, and uh, he is, he scored in his first game. No. Yes, and his second. I want to say. And in second two, and then uh, he—I don't think he scored in his next two, but um, he... and then he scored a brace. So yeah. he's got four or five goals already. So, he? so he was very impressive uh, in his first few games, and uh, I just—I uh, liked how he his link of play was, and he has a good touch on the ball, good passing. He seemed to get into a lot of shooting positions, which which is good. Uh, I'm just not so—we have a very small sample size in just a few games. So the thing with him is, I guess the way we look at it is, um, I was really happy Nav brought this up as well, because he's one of those players that uh, was kind of a standard second division player. And he can use the name and the brand of Real Madrid. He can play well for Castilla and he can then spring higher than he was before, even though he's 23, 24 years old. So he could actually end up in La Liga with a good spell at Castilla. Um, What we need to do, though, is add a bit of context to that, because now he's 24. He's Mm. joined when he was 23. The coronavirus has all but killed the season for him. Mm. So that loan deal, I don't think he'll be extended. I think he will go back. Um, And he would have played six games for Castilla. So that impression he wanted to make is now not really going to be there for La Liga players or La Liga teams to look at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where will you put him on the list? Uh, I think uh, it is high, um, but it, it's different because, I mean, can you see a La Liga team coming into the shopping window in the summer to, to try and buy him now based on six games? Nah, but... I don't was, think he... on six games, but he had a solid career before he joined Castilla. Yeah, it was good. All but... he, it, it, the problem was that he just never got the platform. Yeah, And he's absolutely. gone to Castilla and he's played six games and he's played well in all six. I don't know, I think... I, I as soon as he was mentioned, I kind of made up my mind. I thought, I think he's got a a better prospect than yeah. Bravo because yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, yeah, I think Bravo's kind of he's twenty three and he's looking and he's like, okay, my career prospects, especially for a second division club, is even beginning to dwindle a little. <laughs> Whereas Guall, I think Guall at the very minimum will get a second division side next season. Do you think the well definitely do you think the context though would be um that Oh <laughs> did it did some uh, go away? He might have done. Yeah. Seems like it. He seemed like he was on a good point, but uh I think actually <laughs> this is the first time we've had technical difficulties uh on the podcast, no? <laughs> yes it is. Uh should we, we just continue? continue? Or, I don't know. Yeah, probably <laughs> the show must go on, I suppose. Yeah, the show must go on. Okay. Let's go to spin the wheel again. And uh, let's see what, what we will do with um, with Sam. Maybe we will have to do some editing for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, then I can just uh, I can let the curtain fall. I'm gonna to have to message him and let him know. Yeah, oh, he's back. Have... Is he? Yeah, he's we back. Are alive. Hey. Yeah, that was an also update. I do, but that was mad. <laughs> what happened there? It just updated. It did a little update. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Hate technology. 
<laughs> you were in the middle of a very good point there. Yeah. Oh, are we still recording? Yeah. yeah. Cool. We're back <laughs> in. I don't know how that sounds to you guys. The point, the point I was trying to make was that the context, I suppose, you said that he's going to play six good games, but in his head, he came to play, I don't know, 15, 20 good games. Yeah, but like, he's not like, he's not, how many other players are going to be discouraged by what's happened this season? Yeah. Uh, none. Well, to be fair, yeah, it's, everyone's in the same boat. Um, <laughs> it's all brilliant. kicking off now. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all in the, they're all in the same boat, I should say, but, um, I don't know. I just see it as him because his situation's a little bit. He's one of those older players that drops down to try and unlock just a stronger future for himself. And I, it was working. I just wonder if it's going to work as well. Um, I will put him on number four on my list. So ahead uh, of Houston Bravo, yeah? Yeah, but behind Lopez, Franco Cian, Baisa. Would you put him above Lopez? I don't know. He's around. The, I agree. No, I put him behind, behind Lopez. I'm thinking I could put him above it. I don't know. Yeah. But it is, it's either behind, yeah, he's in that kind of area. Yeah. I'm going to put him, yeah, I'm going to put him behind. I think that works. Yeah, because uh, I just think he, he's 24. That's the problem. Mm. I, he could be a late bloomer, but yeah. So you two have put him behind Lopez. Lopez put above Chust, and I have him below Chust. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, we we'd, uh, we did say that Chust is younger and has a... Yes. Mm. I could see that one. I could see that one. Yeah, yeah nice. I like okay, it. next one is Fidalgo. Alvaro Fidalgo, the captain oh, of Castilla. Dear, dear. And um, I, I know that this is a guy who is highly rated by all of us. And he's just such a technical player and uh, plays a lot on the wing, actually. But um, with a, a lot of combinations with Fran Garcia comes on the overlap. Fidalgo drives inside and... Uh, I think just maybe if Castilla's best current player, I think maybe that is something we have agreed on before. The question is, uh, will he be the one to have the best career? Hmm. I already have an answer. I, 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 I'm, I'm seeing that I'm like just going off my gut <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every what time. You, what are you saying? Uh, I have him at three. Okay. So below Garcia and Baeza, but above Lopez, Juice, Guel, Bravo. Uh, why do I think that? I think that this extra year of Castilla has, is a costly... It might prove costly. Mm. I just think he his midfield naturally is... Hit, like, midfield's a hard place to break into because it's just such a heavy position. Not at Madrid, but just generally in Spain. And uh, I don't think he has the wow factor of Baeza, and he certainly doesn't have the age profile on the the two above him, Garcia and Baeza. So yeah. I'd be, I'd be, I think, yeah, I think Tree's probably where I'd put him. He, I can see him kind of getting a solid La Liga side, but I'm not sure how far, how much further ahead of that he'll go. Yeah, I actually agree. I actually agree. I I put him number three because just of the reasons you just mentioned, I I totally totally agree. But I still rate him very highly. So, what about you, Sam? I mean, the problem with him is that he's one of those players that was he's been held back. He's been stopped from um, graduating, so to speak, Castilla when he should have. Um, and that is actually really really damaging. I remember when uh, Sayoane got the Player of the Season uh, award for Castilla. 
was supposed to leave, hopefully to a La Liga club that summer, but just stayed at Castilla and had a really mediocre season the season oh, after. Yeah. So yeah. He was like I don't player. know. He was one of the players of the season yeah, two years beforehand. Absolutely. And Fidelo and the, actually hasn't done that. He's been maybe the player of the season this year. Yeah. But, but the still, issue, there's another issue, and I, I think um, I might be overstating it, but that wow factors, I think, is a important part of breaking out of this out of Castilla into a, a good mm-hmm. side. And I think Fidalgo's a hard worker and he, his con- contribution is important. But I'm not sure, like, outside of a scout that's heavily scouting Castilla, if Fidalgo's um, contribution would be noticed by mm. top-flight clubs. To mm. justify them investing money into him when his age profile isn't... It, it, it doesn't favour him anymore. So what, he's going to be 22... Yeah, this year. Point. Yeah, mm. so, so, and that's just not. Yeah, that's not attractive to big clubs. So where do you put him, Sam? I'm going to put him higher, maybe higher than third. Not, you kind of talked me out of putting him top. I was going to put him top based on merit because he he has made Segunda be his own. He's not a physical player, but he's just so technically superior. And again, not in that kind of wow factor, that unpredictability factor, but just he's just so good on the ball and so smart that he can play on the mm. wing, he can play in the middle, he can play anywhere he wants, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's another thing that goes under the radar with him. He's and you a imagine very flexible if, if, player. Yeah, and if he got that move in the summer, we could have been looking at him, I don't know, performing brilliantly for a second division team, performing great for a first division team in a completely different light. But he you didn't know what? There's, kind of, there's a crazy world where we're looking... We, Fidalgo might have gotten a move, and if he'd perform like he has at Castilla, we could be talking about bringing him back to Madrid. Hundred percent, yeah. Because yeah. he just last year he was, and this year he was that good. He yeah. he has been that good for two years now. It's just just time is a time's a bitch. Game, yeah. mm. <laughs> it's not yeah. the best time to to hold back when you're at Castilla. Yeah. Um, so, so your uh, your uh, answers to this, Sam? Where do you? Put I'm going to put him in. I'm going to put him above Fran simply because. He is almost a Castilla OG now. I remember watching him preseason and being so impressed, and he's just been so good for Castilla throughout yeah. his time there. Same as Fran, really. Fran barely has a bad game, but mm. he's, yeah, for that one, I'm going to put second. Yep. Mm. Okay. So spin the wheel again. And um, this one is going to Rainier. Rainier Ooh. Jesus. And for me, it's not a, this is not a difficult one. Um, I'll put him up top immediately. Yeah. Uh, just I just don't think I'm. I've been so impressed by him, just from what I've watched, the little I've watched from him in Castilla, and also what I've watched in Brazil. He just looks like the real deal. His, we always talk about his physicality, but also he, he's technically great. He gets into scoring positions. He is a, seems like a great finisher. Can even score with his head. He's quick. I mean, I'm just over the moon with this player. So for me, he's clearly number one. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, yeah, I, th- there isn't much else to say in terms of first team con- uh, contact. In fact, they spent what thirty million euros yeah. on him. So they obviously rate him higher than any other player on this list by quite a while. He hasn't made his first team debut yet, but he only arrived a month or two ago. He's already scored twice for Castilla, yeah. two man of the matches, three or so games. Um, he got the back heel assist on his debut as well. Yeah. Um, he's just a breath of fresh air when it comes to the other Brazilian imports, simply because 
he adapts far too easily to Segunda B and he can adapt yeah. to La Liga and he can adapt to anywhere quite easily yeah. based on his traits. Um, whilst... And, and, uh, and it's, you mentioned his price tag. That will just make sure that the club will give mm. him more opportunities than others. And too. many others, yeah. Um, so they had to move Baeza, for instance, who's probably the top performer, top scorer, top assistant. They moved him onto, I think it was the wing, um, just to accommodate Renier in the last few games. I hope he stays at Castilla for a little bit. I won't lie to you. Um, but part of that is uh bias <laughs> yeah yeah chris uh yeah i was i was really toying with fran garcia topping it but i uh, yeah renier is too good yeah, <laughs> yeah. renier is way way too good so we're, we're definitely gonna i'm putting him top as well <laughs> how is your top three now my top three yeah. so it's renier fran garcia and miguel baeza and Ooh. sam i've got renier baeza and fidelgo Oh, and I got Rainier by Fran Garcia. So this Ooh, is interesting. Mm. Like three different ones. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one, De La Fuente. <laughs> so another center back. I think another player who will have his last season at Castilla. I think he's... Uh, how old is he? 22 now? Yeah, 21, I think he is. Going on 22. Um, and this was the year he was supposed to start and really shine for Castilla. And what I will say is he hasn't really done that. Um, the first thing that come up in my head, I don't know if you boys remember it, was the mistake where he, I think he tried to head it back to the keeper. Do you remember this? Yeah, Mis- maybe. <laughs> headed the oh, air. Oh, yes, that was horrific. <laughs> I remember that. Now, that was probably the worst thing he's ever done because he's actually been pretty good. Um, but he's. this is the year that he was supposed to step up. He's played 14 games. Um, I, it just hasn't really been there for me this year. Um but then again, it's the same with Hernando, who now starts for Racing Santander in the second division. So he's a player who has the ability and will play higher as of next season. Um, I just don't know how high that can be. I am um, um, in yeah. agreement. Uh, I was very taken by De La Fuente in his first season in Castilla last year. I have been I'm very, very, very disappointed that and how this season has panned out for him. I think so much so that I actually forgot he was on the roster. <laughs> for yeah. a while there and that's saying something because he was he was up there as a prospect last yeah. year he's really really good and he tra- and i think it it shows because he traveled with the the senior team for the summer preseason last the, mm. this season i think he played against bayern short for a little while yeah he did yeah you're right so, and, he, and I, I did, oh, yeah i definitely <laughs> you definitely wa- i definitely watched him and thought he merited that sort mm. of that sort of uh game in the preseason, and that it's kind of gone downhill from there is quite disappointing. Mm. I think it will be difficult to place on the list now because I'm tempted to put him either over Victor Chust or under Victor Chust. The question is, you know, the potential, but there's just one year between them, no? Yeah. Um, I so... think the big difference is that I can see De La Fuente playing in the Liga. I think he has the skill set too. I can't because Victor Juice is. We've got such a small sample size. I can't yeah. do much from him. So I put him above just for that reason. Yeah, I think I will too. But under Mark Wall, actually, oh, or will I? Or will I? Or will I? Over or under Mark Wall. <laughs> you have to make the same decision, Sam. You who's where's going to go? I'm gonna obviously Gual. I can see Gual making the step up to La Liga, but I can see it stronger in De La Fuente. Does that merit a? I don't know. I've already made up my Well's mind. been a higher performer. <laughs> yeah, um, what are you saying, Chris? He's under Sergio Lopez. Okay. So above Juiced. 
Yeah, I've got I mean, whatever. I mean, obviously, Whoa. terrible season this year, but that one season behind them is say, <sighs> really does take it for me. Yeah, uh, I want to see what age he is because age is also important. Uh, he is twenty-one. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah mm. definitely. I'm happy with that. I'll cool. put him uh, over Mark Wall under Sergio Lopez. Okay, so, cool. So same place as me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, did you choose yet, Sam? Yeah, I'm going to put him under Mark yeah. Wall. Mm. Under Mark Wall? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> next one is Rodrigo. Rodrigo Rodriguez. So not Ghost, but Rodriguez. Brazilian. And uh, actually one of the players who I've been most impressed with just by the, the few games I've watched. But he's been so unlucky with injuries. He's a forward. And uh, especially one of the games he played against Barcelona, I just realized this guy has got a... An amazing potential, but the question is, can he fulfill it? What do you think? Um, he's been unbelievably unlucky, hasn't he? I remember he came back for a couple of games, scored a goal that wasn't offside, but the referee thought it was offside, so ruled it out, uh, and then got injured again. And it was two terrible injuries that have just broken up his season completely. Yeah. Um, but he was the probably the player... Marvin Park was my favourite academy player, I remember it clearly, but Rodrigo was... Uh, an import from someone else. He, he was bought from a Brazilian team um, for over a million euros, I think as well. So it's not a small fee for an academy mm. player. And he mm. looked the real, I can't remember how many goals he scored. He must've been in the 20 zone. Um, there was one goal in the, the Classico uh, that was just ridiculous. He took on half the team. Yeah, I think, that's I think we've one. all seen it. That was in the mini, uh, the mini camp new, which is now gone, which is sad. Um, but yeah, he, he looks like he, is a real prospect, a massive ceiling, but the injuries, especially this season, have meant that this season is basically a write-off, so I don't, it's all up in the air. But he's actually still 19 years old, so... He's a young boy, I think. I'm going to put him quite high based on all of those things. The injury shouldn't set him back too much, especially now. He's probably one of the only players to benefit from coronavirus because he misses a lot less football. Um, That's a hell of a sentence. <laughs> Maybe one of the only... One of the only people in the world to benefit from coronavirus <laughs> people with, with these horrible sports injuries because they just don't, their, their career is not, um, it doesn't go across uh, unwarranted as, as it would if the season was on. Does that so, sentence make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah so, cool. So we have 10 players now on the list. I will put him as number five behind Fidalgo over Sergio Lopez. Okay. Uh, I like behind Fidalgo over Lopez. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to join you. You agree? Yeah, I'm going to put him in fifth, is that? I just think yeah. he has the potential, as I said, to... I think he can be a very good striker. But the the injuries, he's had two big ones already. The, it, it's possible that he will get another one. And just let's hope that it, it doesn't happen. But, um, yeah, I think Fidalgo is a safer bet. But Sergio Lopez is just not good enough to, you know... I, I will choose the... Yeah, that's... that's... Well, I'm, yeah, I'm agreeing. I, I'm putting them in the same place because I'm thinking... I was just looking at it there and I'm thinking Lopez and Rodrigo are actually two... In, not in position, but in terms of their position in Castilla is of two very well-matched players. The yeah. difference is, is I've been definitely more impressed by Rodrigo when he's been fifth than I have been Lopez. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he takes fifth for me as well. Nice. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I've got him in fifth, yeah. Slot yeah. in. Same. Yeah, okay. So... Next one is uh, one of my favorites, Antonio Blanco. <laughs> Antonio Blanco. And this one is going to get this is very difficult. difficult. Yeah. 
uh, defensive midfielder, uh, but more of a playmaker. Um, but we did see a clip of him in the gym, so he has been responding <laughs> to our, at least my criticism of him not being good enough physically. So uh, if he can combine that amazing passing and technique with a bit of physicality, physicality who mm. knows? But um, I, I will. it will be difficult. I need to think a little bit before I place him on the list. What, what do you think, Chris? Uh, okay, I'm going to ramble and maybe I'll come to a, a <laughs> conclusion at the end of it. So, Blanco is a player who I watch and I think there's a, there's a huge amount of potential there. Mm. Uh, I think there's definitely, I think defensive midfield and his sort of profile, there's definitely a place for him in the world. I, I think that, I think his style of midfield, that that style of defensive midfielder that Blanco is, like, I, I think of Rodri and kind of Lorente to a lesser extent, who they have, they're good defense, I mean, they're all right defensively, but definitely their technical qualities steal mm. the show for for them. So I can definitely see him I can definitely see him having a top flight career. It's just my worry is, is my two main worries with him is how good is he defensively? Because yeah. I don't think he's been properly tested there and also his consistency because his kind of performance has been kind of here, there and everywhere. He's, he's not really been very consistent for me this season. Yeah. So I'm thinking he's above Rodrigo, below Fidalgo for me. Okay. Sam? I would agree and say he takes that fifth place. One thing I will say about him is, um, I mean, let's look at it this way. He's nailed on a starting spot because they in his first season. He's played 23 games. Yeah. He's been fine. He's played pretty well, if anything. So he looks great. Next season is one of those awkward seasons where he has a little bit of pressure because he has to push on. He has to raise that performance if he wants a chance at a Real Madrid spot. And this season, weirdly, I feel that, if anything, he's been slightly um, hyped up a little bit um, just by certain areas. I Obviously, we're all on Twitter. We all see everything. Certain areas of the, the kind of Real Madrid Twitter fan base, um, yeah, you really mentioned really that, yeah. that you think he's maybe been a little overrated, maybe Slightly. because of the video clips I think, on Twitter. I think his season's been overrated, but I think in terms mm. of his potential, he's definitely a top prospect. I could see him playing for the Real Madrid first team. I don't know if that could happen anytime soon. There's a lot he has to do um, yeah. in order to make that a reality. But I think his ceiling is, is one of the highest on this list in that regards. Mm. Um, his performance at the moment is high and it's steady. But it isn't um, unbelievable. He's not blowing the water out or anything like that. He's just earned that starting spot, which is what else are you going to do in your first season? Um, but next season is so key for him because it's make or break. You can either jump straight to La Liga with a superb season or you can kind of steady the ship and, and work your way up the second division, first division or whatever route you want to take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so where do you place him on the list? Uh, Me and he... Sam have him at fifth, I think. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I'll put him, I will actually put him above Fidalgo. <gasps> Where was so, Fidalgo for you? Fidalgo, so for me now, it's Renier, Baeza, Frank Garcia, Blanco, Blanco Fidalgo. fourth. Nice. Okay, cool. Just because I just looked at the, the list now, and uh, of course, um, Fidalgo just had his birthday, but Fidalgo is 23 years old. Is he? My God. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's late to be... Is he really... That, I hope the transfer market is wrong, but it won't be. But they won't be. So he's 23 years old. <laughs> Time is running out for him. So I just, um, for me, I've always said that he's a safe bet. But now I'm starting to think that 
maybe he will be. No, I will place Blanco over him. So yeah, that's actually pretty clear for me now when I see the age. Um, yeah, he was too mm. late to Castilla, I think. Yeah, I'm changing my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blanco. Sorry, sorry, Fidalgo. <laughs> yeah. Are you staying strong? Is that? I'm going to stay strong simply because again he's probably just 23. You. April is it? Eight? He was 23 nine days ago. So yeah. Yeah, twenty. It does look awkward. Twenty three is the maximum age you should be really playing for Castilla. Um, but again, he's been held back. I don't think that's his fault. Perhaps a move wasn't on or whatever. He, yeah, high potential and all that. Yeah, but it's it's crazy that I think maybe the best player on Castilla currently I've played I've put him at number five. So says a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it's all about the future here. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what counts. But now I'm spinning the wheel again, and it's going to be. Franchu Felassier, and this is another oh, tricky one because it's um, another yeah. injury prone player, uh, Sam. Yeah, really bad, actually. Most of his Castilla career um, has been blighted with injury, but the segments that we have seen him, especially at one point in time, not this season, but um, it must have been almost two years ago now, he looked su- like just superb, tremendous. Mm. Um, Almost like, again, I don't want to, I hate making Argentinian little winger comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> but the way he was dodging players, his, his, his center of gravity, his balance is superb. He's got an eye for goal. Um, on his day, he is unstoppable in Segunda B. But he must have had about six days in his entire Castilla career. Um, and the rest has been, I don't know, out with a knee injury, out with an ankle injury. He's had everything. So it's a tough one. Yeah, so he's had a lot of small injuries as well. Yeah, he's had all sorts, literally everything. And then obviously the big one, I think it was uh, he had a really bad shoulder. Was it his ACL he did? It was one of the two, yeah, probably yeah, both, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Um, but there was there was two separate injuries that kept him out. One for, I think, about six months, one for an entire season. Um, so, yeah, it's been really pausey. And he would have been gone by now if he was fit the whole time. It's, the context really changes it for Frenchy because technically he should be up there. But I'm not actually going to put him that high, I don't think. Oh. Yeah, I love him as a player. I love him as a player because uh, he. I just love watching him play. Cutting him from the left, yeah. uh, such a skillful, quick player, and can score goals. But you know, with the injuries, and also I see that he is um, he's turning uh, 22 in May. So uh, yeah, doesn't look that bright for him either. Uh, and maybe mm. you feel the same, Chris. Uh, I've rated him highly. I remember, I remember in a podcast, I think it was a mailbag we did. I said he was one of the players I think could break into the first team. Yeah. So you're based you're on his potential. You're yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm looking at that. Okay. Okay. I'm being bold here. I'm gonna put him above Rodrigo. Okay. Yeah. Did you put so, him? Did you do the same, Sam? I've actually put him under Rodrigo. I did too. Um, I did just too. less injuries so far. They're yeah. actually really, so, it's a really similar story. Yeah. Above Sergio Lopez still. Same with me. Same with me. So, but it's number seven. Seven so. for me, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. But okay. Yeah. But I still rate him higher, highly, but uh, mm. it's the injuries and, and the age now. That's the problem. But next yeah. up is uh, Sam's favorite, Altuve. <laughs> oh, so a goalkeeper, that's always difficult to compare positions, of course. But um, he is actually, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird situation because he is the third goalkeeper at the first team. Mm. But he's pretty much the second goalkeeper at Castilla. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you make of it, uh, Chris? I think he's 
our best. Ugh. I like him oh. as a prospect. I like him. I like him in terms of his his where he'll be in five years. I like where I think I could see him. I think he's good enough to be uh, in La Liga. I'm not sure Javier Belman is ever going to get that. Ooh. That door, that just it seeing it's. I mean, if we're talking about the train passing by Fidalgo, I mean, it's been half an hour gone for Bellman. Mm. He should have. He should. I think he must. He must have. Should have left at least two years ago. He shouldn't be here. Mm. <laughs> he really mm. should not be here. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's the case for Altuve. I think there's. He's the third. He's the third goalkeeper for. Real Madrid, like Mark Wall, that's going to buy him a certain amount of, yeah, uh, a certain amount of kind of brand and stuff like that to make him move for himself. I mean, I, I'm I'm probably very much making a bold assumption here, but I think those couple of appearances Lucas Zidane made for the first team last season did him the world good to get what he got mm. this year. Uh, so where am I putting him? He's definitely not high. Uh, I'm putting him I mean, uh, number nine. He's uh, above De La Fuente, yeah. but under Sergio Lopez. Yeah, I'm the same. And I need to mention that uh, actually, he actually, yeah. I think I'm gonna put. I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have him above Mark Wall, but below Victor Chust. Okay. It, the thing for uh, Altuve is that he actually just turned twenty in February. So. Um, Mm. I, I thought he was older. Bellman is 21. He is 22 in October. So there's almost two years in difference between them. Um, so, uh, but I know that uh, you're not his biggest fan, Sam. I actually like him a lot. Um, yeah. There's no way he's better than Bellman, but I like him a lot. He's a good keeper. Um, ju- just a really strong player. Uh, come from the academy taking chances with the first team that I can't say anything bad about him. I've liked him from what I've seen at Castilla. Um. Yeah, just a good keeper, just uh, not as good as Bellman. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. So, so where are you putting them? Uh, this is really difficult for me again with the goalkeeper situation in comparison to outfield players. I think I've got him. I've stuck him in here ahead of De La Fuente. Maybe I should put him ahead of Mark Guo. I don't know. I'm going to put him behind Mark Guo and be bold, just because mm, he's a goalkeeper. I feel that his opportunities are going to be different. I mean, there's only yeah, going to be the 20 same. starters in La Liga. I think of oh. all the positions in Castilla, I think goalkeeper probably has the it's tough most. Yeah, the goalkeeping position is really um, lackluster. I put him above De La Fuente under Lopez because um, Real Madrid seem to, you know, Real Madrid goalkeepers, academy goalkeepers seem to do well always. So maybe mm. that's a poor reason to to put him higher on higher on the list. But I, yeah, I believe him in, in him. So let's see. Um, so we're spinning the wheel again, and uh, yeah. it's uh, Ayub Abu. Ah. Uh, yeah, another weird one. Another weird one. Uh, central midfielder, and uh, I don't know who how old he is, but he has. Uh, I, I know that Sam had uh, higher expectations for him. Then he just Raul just didn't play him at all. And, but so, then he started getting slightly more back into the team, and just before the season ended, if we can say it like that, he got some opportunities and uh, and played some good games. Mm, yeah, he came in, um, and Real Madrid worked hard to get him. Mind, he just signed for Getafe in La Liga, um, and one month later he signed for Real Madrid. I don't know how moves like this come about, how that happens. 
Um, but it it caused a bit of controversy at the time, um, but went under the radar. And he came in, played for Barca in the past, played for Porto. You're just expecting good things. He started in the second division for Majada Honda, I think, when they were there. Um, and he came in in his first season, just wasn't very good. I'm going to be very honest. There's not many players I dislike um, for Castilla. But in that first season, the UBI I just thought was point. He played 15 games, nothing, no goals, no assists, not really any contributions. This season, he's actually probably played less. I got the stats here. He played 11 games, but he scored twice. He got an assist. He got a man of the match and he just looked a different player. He actually looked all right and I liked him. Um, mm. But then again, can you see him going anywhere? I, I don't see it. He's 22 in the summer, so... 22 this summer. I don't know if he'll stay. He doesn't really... He hasn't... I mean, as much as he's been good this year, I can't say he's been extremely impressive. No, 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 no. no, He's just been someone you didn't think was there, I think, from last year. Yeah, he was a pleasant surprise, but I don't know. He's he's nearly a player I kind of think... I'm I'm looking at him and thinking he might be around for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, it's going to take something... I don't know. I think he's going to be knocking around the third division for a little while anyways, and maybe he might end up in a promotion team and playing Segunda, and we'll see where his career goes from there, but I don't... It's very bold to say that I don't see him in the first division, because he could very much end up playing for Real Madrid (laughs) uh, down the road, and I look like an idiot because I said this stuff, but yeah, right now, 2020, I'm not impressed. So I have him... I have him... Actually, no, I'm going to change that. I have him second to last. So, below here's Mark a, Ball, uh, Bravo. Here's a conversation nobody's ever had. Um, do you think he made the wrong choice leaving Getafe to go to Real Madrid Castilla, the first team he was training with? They obviously finished, what, fourth that year? Oh. Um, mm, it's a Could tough be, one. But, uh, but it just, it's Real Madrid, so I can understand it. It depends on whether he was uh, about to get chances for Getafe. If so, that was uh, a poor You move, think if his I first guess. season was a good one as well, We'd be talking about him in completely different light here as well. He could have been a starter this year. He could have been trying to get into a higher league this summer. Um, but he's just been okay. And, and this season, again, he has been a breath of fresh air. But you're right, he's not been a standout performer. He's just no. been uh, a player that you go, oh, yeah, maybe he did play for Barca once. Do you put him um, <laughs> over or under Victor Chust? <sighs> That's really tough. I'm going to put him... Chust is bottom at the moment for everyone, yeah? No. I have over a Bravo. I think that's hard. Everyone has Bravo him, bottom. I'm going to put him just... A, um, Bravo's bottom. Yeah, I forgot Bravo. <sighs> I'm going to put him above Bravo and below Chust. Are you... I've switched. I've I've put uh, Ayu bottom. <laughs> I actually think I'm going to do the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's really harsh? harsh, but yeah, it's just... Feels harsh. Nah. But I just... Hmm, Bravo. Now maybe I'm putting him above Bravo. How old is Bravo? Uh, 22, 23. <sighs> okay, I, I think uh, Bravo is uh, bottom. Yeah. Mm. So, so but uh, have I've actually, I've got him above Bravo as well, simply because I like Bravo, and again, he's he's highly rated. And he's been around the block. Um, but in terms of going around the block, a UCV is going to surely help him out wherever he goes from now on. Hmm. Yeah. He's never going to struggle so, to find a I'm the only one who has IU bottom. Bottom. I can yeah. see it. It makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Spinning the wheel again. And uh, we now are on the player number 15. It's going Ooh. to be Martin Calderon. Oh. Um, yeah. Another central midfielder. And uh, 
uh, seems like maybe it's uh, an unforgiving role to play, you know, next to Blanco, just doing a lot of the dirty work, maybe. Uh, but I, for me, it seems like another player who will go down pretty far down on the list. He managed to make a lot of appearances last year um, and he looked fine. And you thought, again, he's going to push on. He's going to get that starting role this year. And that didn't happen. It's a lot like De La Fuente. Um, I don't actually know what's happened to Calderon this year. He doesn't really play that much. He doesn't crop up that much in your in your mind when you think of a, a, a stand-up performer. Um, I'm not really sure what to put. Where, where does he go from this season? I think this season and the consequences of that are going to put him low on this list. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Yeah. I'm the same. Uh, I'm looking at between L2 Bay and Markwell. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere uh, around that area. He was. I was. I liked him. I thought. I thought last season he was going to push on and be a starter, and mm-hmm. then he just completely dropped off the map. And he's not even fulfilled his role from last year. <laughs> this year, he's not even a sub anymore. He's it's just probably a, a worse season. You're right. He's probably depreciated. If anything. Is is this the worst position in Castilla's starting lineup, the central midfielder next to Blanco? This year it's all it's quite jumbled. There's loads of attacking midfielders. They scrambled in to kind of bring players in. They they brought Bravo back. I don't know. I think it was maybe an unplanned area. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But I I think maybe he will he will be bottom three for me. I think. Bottom three. Ooh. Yeah, I've. I have him below Markwell. So my bottom three now is Calderon, Bravo, and Naive at the bottom. Yeah. What about you, Sam? He's bottom five for me. I got him above De La Fuente. Yeah? Hmm. Oh, that's a difficult one. But uh, he's not the most interesting player, so <laughs> I think we should just get on with it. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see who... Um, I think we have not too many players left. No, but, uh, you didn't. You didn't say where you put him, Ruben. Oh, I think we'll put him... Um, I'll put him under Victor Chust, so he'll be number 13 on my list, actually. So I just uh, I just have high hopes for Victor Chust. He has the potential to... He has the opportunity to show his abilities next season. Calderon just is a meh player to me, at least what I've, <laughs> from what I've seen. So I think that's yeah. a pretty good description of him. Yeah. <laughs> They're harsh, but... Maybe, but that's just uh, yeah. <laughs> and and now over to a player who we you know we, he, he just got into our team, but he has been playing. Uh, he's getting, been getting some minutes. Pablo, mm. who was uh, for a while looking to be the replacement of Pedro, uh, the striker who, who was you know our first uh, choice striker who but uh, got uh, injured. Mm. Pablo is, uh, I think, he's nineteen years old. And uh, oh no no, he must be just eighteen. Just 18? He, he made his debut at 17. Really? So this is the thing with Pablo is that if Israel Salazar is as highly rated as he is, he can actually follow the exact same footsteps as Pablo did this year. When you're 17, you play for the 19s, and then you also make your debut for Castilla and score some goals. Mm. Mm. Pablo is 18, you're right, you're right. Yeah. So he could. he has good potential. I think he could get not high on my list, but I think maybe he's... Competing with Sergio Lopez for now, nah, maybe oh. higher, maybe higher because Franchu. Eh, but it's difficult. He's he's barely played for Castilla, but you have watched him more than us, maybe, eh, Chris. Yeah, I rate him. I've I've already decided. <laughs> yeah. I have him. I have him below Fidalgo. 
below for Doug. So Holmes. he would be one, two, three, four, fifth on my list. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. I have him fifth as well. You rate him as highly as well. Yeah. What do you mm. like most about him? Me. He's just. He's just all you want in a nine. He can. He's cold blooded. He scores. He's just for his size. He's got an incredible amount of strength that mm. enables him just to get in the box and get his foot in on the end of anything and mm. get the ball in the net. He on his uh, kind of outside of finishing, his game could do with some improvement, but I think that'll come with time. So I, I very am. I'm very high on him. I think he's a very, very good striker. I, I will put him under Rodrigo, actually. I think, yeah. I've just been so impressed with the few opportunities Rodrigo's got. I guess Pablo maybe is a safer choice as he's he's a little younger and he doesn't have the same injury problems. But um, Pablo will be number seven on my list, uh, actually. But uh, I got to mention that, you know, we have a lot of players with good potential. And I, I, I've said it a lot of times. I like a lot of the players in Castilla. And I think many of them have a good future. So... When you put Pablo as number seven, it's not, it's not mm. like he's a, he's a poor player, and uh, it's just also that I need to see more of him for Castilla. But uh, I mm. like that you're so optimistic, both of you. Well, he um, <laughs> he came in in preseason. He was 17, and he was the best performer in preseason by a country mile. I can't remember how many goals he scored, um, but I was just adamant that he should have been part of Castilla immediately. Um, yeah. So when Pedro did get injured, the top scorer Pedro at the time. It was devastating, but then when Pablo got promoted to fill that gap, um, well, partly with Mark Gold coming in as well, um, I was really, really excited. And he scores goals wherever. He scored, what, three goals this season for Castilla? Two of those came when he was in the academy as well. Um, when mm-hmm. you took me to Madrid and you uh, you got me tickets for that PSG Youth League game, he yeah. played like 10 minutes, still managed to score. Okay. Um, he, he's a player that is just so electric and so exciting. Um, mm. Perhaps has to be up there with Salazar in terms of academy oh. prospects. He has to be. Okay. Simply because if Salazar is as highly rated, he should be taking the exact same footsteps as pa- uh, Pablo did, in fact. Um, uh. I don't know. From what I've seen of Pablo, he's well, he's currently my favourite academy player, 100%. Wow. So mm. you think very highly of him, then. Okay. So highly, yeah. You're almost starting to convince me to put him a little bit higher, but I will stick to... <laughs> Now he's number seven with me. Just yeah, I just need to see a little bit more of him. Uh, that's all. But uh, he'll be promoted. We'll see, you'll get that that viewing for sure. For sure, yeah. Mm. So okay, do you have anything more to say, Chris? Uh, no, I think no. no that's pretty much wrapped. So I was just thinking that Latassa has really stormed up the kind of mm. prospect ratings because he was so good after Pablo got promoted. But yeah, yeah, it's the I I think Sam probably has him around the right bracket there. Mm. Okay, next one is uh, Cesar Gelaber. And uh, another player who has been unlucky with injuries. I feel like we've been saying this a lot about Castilla players. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of them there. <laughs> and another player who didn't really... I don't think he was celebrating when the club signed Renier. Um, he, I think he's pretty much been pushed out of the starting lineup now. Um, yeah. So now... But he was... One of the most highly rated players I remember. Going, uh, yeah. Even uh, fans not following Castilla were talking about him, and uh, but then he got his injury. And uh, what are your thoughts about him now, Sam? After after have all you seen this? the uh, rumors? Yeah, I have. He's yeah. linked with basically every club in the world at the moment. Um, where did that I've... come from? 
Well, I guess there must be something in it. I don't know if it's a contract thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's because Renier's coming in and he just sees a better opportunity. I think Arsenal were mentioned. Uh, uh, who else was it? Monaco or something like that? Leon? Really? Um, you think he could have a shot at the Leon first team in a couple of years for sure. Real Madrid's first team? I don't know. Um, so maybe it would be smart to him to, to look at that. But this season, what I will say is uh, he's played, I think, two games and maybe one game, two games last season, one game the season before because of those injuries. This year he played 13 times, and at times he looked really, really good. Like He looked like he was getting back into his, his mojo um, and looked like he, he didn't spend much time out at all. He just looked quality. Mm. Um, so I was impressed with him this season. Again, he didn't get that many opportunities, even less when Renier came in, and obviously there has only been about 24, 25 games played anyway. Um, 28, I think it was actually. So I would actually place him quite high, I don't know how much that injury is setting back. Um, this is a really confusing one. Yeah, but I think maybe I will put him over Rodrigo because of um, no, this is difficult. What, what are you where are you placing him, Chris? I have him between Fidalgo and Pablo Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm quite happy. That's with that, high. I, I like I like his prospects, and I think he's a sort he's the sort of player that be thinking of moving on next in the summer mm. uh, and I know I know it's us so it's terrible rumours <laughs> it, it's really <laughs> rumors, but the rumours nonetheless there's mm. you know where there's smoke there is fire somewhere so uh, yeah. I think he will definitely he's he's definitely got some interest uh, I think he was a very highly rated academy player as well so mm. Yeah, I think performance, I think prospect, yeah, I, I'm quite happy where I put him there. Mm. So he is, uh, how old is he? He is... Um, He's quite he, young. He is quite young. I say 20 I, max. I think maybe uh, uh, my uh, computer... No, he's 19 he's still. 19, yeah. he's still 19. Mm. So that's... Uh, I'm actually tempted to put him above Fidalgo. Oh. But I, I have be- him above... I have Fidalgo above him on merit more so that's literally uh, I'm not sure in terms of career prospects it's definitely above Fidalgo in career prospects but just in terms of performance I thought Fidalgo was better so just Fidalgo being 23 years old has been you know I haven't really thought about how old he is really because that's <laughs> you know does he have a chance of he of course has a chance but I think Cesar Gelaber, he he's 19 Fidalgo is 23 I'll put him above Fidalgo actually so we're going to have five. to run over these lists at the end because I've definitely made mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm what, what 100% you... certain I've completely butchered Sam's list. Uh, <laughs> what do you think, Sam? I've got him quite, wow, I'd say mid-table, not really low. Two. I've got him in ninth. Wow. Ninth, yeah. Um, below below Franchu. And above yeah, Lopez. I haven't butchered this list so much. Because <laughs> that's exactly where my list says you would have them. Ah. Okay. There is there is hope. Nice. Do you have uh-huh. him ninth as well? Me? Nice. No, I have him um, I have him um, sixth. Okay. Alright. Well, let's uh let's see who the next one is. Um we don't have too many left now, but no. uh we have some some good names here. It is Marvin Marvin Park. Oh, and I I really like this player. He's uh, such a quick winger, running up and down the the right flank. 
And he's such a hard-working player too, just doing everything for the team. He's not uh, cheating with his tasks. And um, I think he's only 19 as well. Will surely be at Castilla next season and uh, be a key part of uh, Raul's team. Mm, yeah, Sam, how highly do you, do you rate him? There's always one academy player every year that, that stands out. And I remember when Marvin came up to Castilla for preseason a couple of seasons back now. Uh, he was one of the best players. Um, he then spent the season with the 19s and I was devastated. But I've rated him a really highly since then. This season, I think um, he's lived out those expectations, perhaps not as consistently high as we would expect because he's so good. Um, but yeah, he's one of my favorite players here. And I think his ceiling is massive. Yeah. Chris? Uh, I have him seventh. Seventh, yeah. I got him seventh. Yeah, I think he's got every box ticks. I can't mm. think of something that he's not. I mean, I know Sam mentioned that he didn't perform as well as we'd liked, but I would. I do remember that as soon as he started performing, Renier arrived and knocked him out of the <laughs> team. So uh, there's that. And I think, I mean, he has the age profile, he has the talent, he's got, he's just got everything going for him. And I just think, I think another thing that he has going for him is, is I definitely can see him being Zidane's type of player. Yeah, I totally In the future, probably. and I'm definitely looking at that right wing thinking, uh, is there going to be a little gap opening up soon? I'm looking at my hero Vasquez and thinking uh, he wants to retire at Madrid, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to. Mm. And I think if 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 you got lucky, Marvin Park could definitely walk up and say, "I'm here to take that spot." <laughs> you know, you know what? I, I think, think I think I think Zidane just has to give Parks the chance to to buy into his fandom. He'd love Marvin Park if he got a chance to play him. I actually think I'm the one who's put him highest. I put him number five. Oh, yeah. so between Blanco and Cesar? Yeah, because ah. Uh... I just, as you said, he's got everything to succeed, and I think there's always need for such quick, hard-working wingers uh, like him. And he, I think, when he gets a full season as a starter with Castilla, he will surely show his full potential. And uh, I think it's just how how Harley works, and if, combined with his his pace and how he can run in behind defenses. Nah, that's that's such a great skill set for a winger. So I. I'll put him number five behind Blanco, yeah. Mm. He's going to be a starter next year, so um, yeah. really exciting. One of a great player to watch. Pretty sure of that. So, spinning the wheel again. And uh, the next one, Bill, will be another who is not really a Castilla player, but uh, has played a little bit, Jordi Martin. Um, so, this is maybe a player Chris can talk more about, because he's uh, you've seen him quite a bit for Juvenilano. Uh, he was. He played a lot in the UEFA Youth League. Uh, mm. He was very good at that. He didn't really. Uh, he's a. He's worse off than I call Pablo Rodriguez an in-between player because he's not under 19s, but he isn't Castilla either. Jordi was is just worse because he's not on Castilla's radar for some. He was. He. I think he started out as a Castilla player. He played a couple of games at the start of the season for Castilla, mm. and then just kind of. I don't, I don't, Raul just, I think Raul had a change of system and cha- or changed up a personnel and the Jordi Martin never really recovered from that. And then he's just, he got in, he played the UEFA Youth League games, but then the under-19s haven't really looked to him too much. 
yeah, I think he's a good winger, very, very good winger, really productive winger. I can say that he scored. He he's getting goals or assists every game he plays. If you had to put him somewhere on the list now, yeah, that's what I'm looking. Yeah, is it a difficult one? I don't know. I'm I'm looking at Lopez. Sergio Lopez is kind of my middle mark. Yeah. And I think he's better than Sergio Lopez. He probably has... Yeah, Sergio. he's above Sergio Lopez for me. I think we'll put him just uh, just below Sergio Lopez, actually. But this, again, is uh, just because I haven't watched him enough. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, it, will, it would feel wrong to put him above Lopez, who I've watched a lot more. So, do you agree, Sam, or... I've got him really low because I see him the same as Trist. The confusion with Jordi is that um, Raul thought he had Kubo and Rodrigo Goes on his roster. And um, Kubo was loaned out and Rodrigo Goes was promoted very quick. So um, Franchi was injured at the time and that left one winger, which was Marvin Park. So Jordi was brought up uh, basically full time for Castilla, like Chris said. And he played 20 games. He's one of actually the highest appearance makers this season for Castilla. Um, Yes. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't expect so because those first games, Franchu wasn't there. Um, there was no Rodrigo goes. There was literally one winger. So Jordi played on the wing um, and he played pretty well. He's played better than most academy players do when they come up for the first time. Um, but then again, it has panned out as Franchu came back in. Rodrigo goes was brought down for a couple of games. Baeza was moved out on the wing. Um, there was no room for Jordi anymore. So again, it's a weird season because he, he's not really full-time Castilla, but he will be soon. Yeah. And for that reason I'm gonna he's gotta be a lot like Victor Chust, so I've put him just one above Chust. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So I will I think I will put him just above Altube. So it's under Lopez over Altube. It's number nice. twelve on my where, list. Where do you have Marvin Park Sam? Marvin Park that. was uh he was high, two four uh is that six? No, it's seventh. Okay, cool. Mm. So now we will go on to player number twenty. So uh we just have uh, four left, actually. Ooh. And uh, it is going to be another striker, Pedro. Hey. Pedro, the unlucky striker who, <laughs> you know, he he was, uh, when we went to Madrid with our uh, Peña, he was, uh, you know, pretty much nobody had watched Castilla before of them. But they were very impressed with him because he was so tall. And, and you could just <laughs> see his presence. He scored that day as well. And uh, he is uh, a player who is, I, I think, I like his uh, build-up. I like how he can score goals with his head. He's good in the air. Of, yeah, and uh, he's got a lot, but he just doesn't get to too many chances for me. But uh, I know that you two maybe rate him higher than me. I do, yeah. Um, again, simply because he's a player, and it doesn't happen that clearly with all the players, but he's a player you can clearly see growing. Um, he came in, um, he was really inconsistent. I think he got one goal in his first, like, 19 games for Castilla. Um, and then he got three in three or three in four or something like that. And he looked like he was about to go on and push for double figures. Uh, mm. Then, obviously, he suffered this injury and he's been out ever since. He doesn't even have a squad number anymore. Um, yeah. So, a player that was growing so quickly that, but come the end of the season, he would have been around the top three of this list. Um mm with the way he was growing again that growing was now is stagnated it stopped so where does that leave him um pretty high i would say quite high yeah but i would say still behind marvin i would say in eighth i I put him in eighth as well Mm. but i'm i'm not sure i think maybe chris can change my mind if he if he makes some good points 
<laughs> I'm I'm kind of stuck as well. I don't know where I'd put him. Uh, I think I'd put him behind Fidalgo over Rodrigo. I think he can become a good player. Um, he is already a good player, but uh, I just don't see him becoming a superstar of a striker. It's just, but but he he does. I th- if he starts scoring, I don't know how he, how well he has done for Juvenilar, Juvenil B. But if he he has goals in him and he starts scoring, I I think he has a lot of qualities. You should have seen the uh, goal he scored against Paris. Yeah, with Man. a UFU oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. insane. That goal was brilliant. <laughs> okay. Near post yeah. finish, brilliant goal. Yeah. Uh, he's also just 19, I think. Yeah. yeah, this is his first full year. We should say that. He got called up, again, probably because of his size. Um, if you're looking in the academy for someone who might place in Segunda B for Castilla prematurely, you'd yeah. obviously go to Pedro. So that was, again, his goal inconsistencies were partly because he was playing whilst he was in the academy. Um, but if he stayed fit this year he would have grown so much. He would have been a double-figure striker. And then next year, he would have been eligible for La Liga, the same way Mayoral did, the same way Danny Gomez will very soon, um, mm. for sure. Yeah, okay. I so... have him between Pablo Rodriguez and Franchu. Okay, so a bit lower then. Yeah, where, where does Sam have him? I keep missing Sam's pick. <laughs> Six, eight. He's an eighth. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> three left. Come on. So it will be Javi Hernandez. Oh. So we actually have uh, our two starting center backs left, and this uh, is one of them, Javi Hernandez, who uh, I think he actually started the season as a left back while uh, Frank Garcia was playing for some yeah. reason as a left winger. Mm. And uh, Javi Hernandez did quite well. It just shows how he's uh, versatile. He can play. He is quite good on the ball and um, left footed player. Uh, I think he's had a solid season, uh, although because he has been conceding a few goals. So, um, but I think this also will be his last season with Castilla. Mm. He's twenty-one, and uh, Chris, uh, how highly do you rate him? Javi, uh, yeah, Javi Hernandez, brilliant, uh, really, really good. I think he's been our best. Ooh, I suppose he is in there, but I'm going to give Hernandez the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I'm going to say he's been our best centre back this season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he's been. He's a very, very, very good performer. Uh, in terms of career prospects, I don't know where he he's moving next season. I'm not sure where. Mm. Uh, I'll be interested to see who has him on his radar. I think he yeah. he could be. A, he's the sort of player that, like, I don't know, a high ranked Segunda club or a kind of lower ranked La Liga side looking to improve their fence could really make their money back on. Mm. if they bought him this summer. Mm. So the yeah. thing I like about this player the most is his resilience. It's a lot like uh, Reguilon. He was sent out on loan last year to Oviedo B. Now, we've seen Oviedo B play live, and it's not much of a talent factory, <laughs> of all due respect. Um, what actually ended up happening is he became a starter for Oviedo A in the second division. And he became really popular there. He played so well last season that that earned him preseason with the first team that last summer uh he scored mm. against atletico madrid he was actually horrible all the way through um but it doesn't matter because he got that opportunity and this season with castillo i think he's been perhaps arguably the best performer up there with fidalgo because he's just been so consistent um i saw a twitter he tweeted the other day about real oviedo and i it 
it was shocked me how popular he is there just with one season's uh, experience. And I think he may even end up back up there. I don't know. Okay. He could play La Liga though. Um, so he's high. He's going to be top five for me. Top five. Wow. Seriously. Because just okay. the, the way that, that he has come back, I, I have a lot of respect for people who take the journey he took. So mm, there's going to be quite a difference there. I think, I don't think he's even got... near my top five. Oh, yeah. So where is he? Uh, uh, Sam, you have your top five currently is Renier, Baeza, yeah, Fidalgo, yeah. Garcia to me. So yes. where is he in the last? He'll be the last top five, fifth. Oh, so Garcia is six now. Very uh, no, Fran is fourth. Oh, Fran is fourth. Uh, okay. Pablo is seventh. That would make it. Ha! I think. Yeah, I'll... we're going to have to go through this list at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. I think this is a tricky one, but I, I'm not as high as him. As you are, Sam, I think it will put him... I think maybe he will be barely into my top ten. Whoa. Just into my top ten. Um, Who's ninth? Rodrigo Rodriguez. I just, okay. It's this uh, potential thing that just hmm. uh, it messes with my head. But uh, I want to hear what Chris says as well. Okay, so I have him... There's kind of, in my... For me, there's kind of a gap forming. So there's like the players I rank I rate really highly. So like Garcia, Baeza, Blanco, Fidalgo, Cesar, Parks, Rodriguez, uh, and then I kind of have this in my head. I have a line from Rodriguez's name. I have a second list, and I think Hernandez tops that list. So okay, he's he's ninth for me. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> Sam is completely in shock. He's like, what's going on? Here? <laughs> I just don't get how... Who's under... Uh, name the three players under having done this for you, Sam. So, in fifth is Javi. I've got Pablo uh, in sixth, Blanco seventh, Marvin eighth. And I feel that he's performed higher than all of them. I think he's performed higher than Frank Garcia this season. Um, uh, I just think he's so, so good. And obviously, the experience he's had... I mean, imagine if Castilla could sign a starter in the second division every single summer. Every player they signed was of that quality. Um, it would be some of their best coups. Um, yeah. But that's not... We didn't sign him. He was already at Real Madrid. He's come back. He was he was cast out on loan to the B team, managed to start for their first team, went to the, with the first team, and he's been so good this season that I, I, I genuinely see him as, as a massive player. Javi Sanchez style. But he is 22 in the summer, I think. He'll be 22 this summer, I believe, yeah. So for me, actually, I will put him number 10, actually. So... Mm. That's that's uh, I think the first time we've disagreed that much, but uh, okay, it's yeah. good, it's good. <laughs> like it. So next one will be either the goalkeeper or the. Uh, it will be the next turn back. It will be Mario Gila, Mario Gila. So oh. place uh, next to um, to Javier Hernandez, and I don't know how. I think we we've barely talked about the turn back, so I don't really know how how you feel about him. But what do you think about him, Chris? Mario I love, yeah, I like here as well. So I've already kind of made up my mind with this list. Yeah, I, Pedro, I I think he's above Pedro as well. Uh, I still think Hernandez is probably our best centre back prospect of the current lot. So I've got him right next to Hernandez in tent. So Hernandez up to now. Mm. Uh now. Yeah, I think I think he's brilliant. It's it's just I don't. I kind of it's for difficult for me to figure out where they're gonna go in five years' time, those mm-hmm. centre backs. Because I just the and maybe it's because the last set like Javi Sanchez and Manu Hernando were just such 
outstanding performers like two seasons ago and last season as well with Sanchez that it's kind yeah. of difficult to like kind of put that that uh, sort of that kind of bar to you back of your mind. I still I'm still looking I'm still uh, looking at these center backs and thinking that were they as good as Javi Sanchez is, but mm-hmm. which is what I'm struggling exactly. with at the moment. Exactly. So so where do you put him? I, I think tent is where I have him. Yeah, tent. I think it's the same for me. It's, what about you, Sam? I'm putting him high again. I'm with Chris and I love him. I think here's a statement. I think Gila has had the season that people think Blanco has had. Oh, okay. He, this is his first season. Every time I've seen him, he just looks completely solid. He played in midfield one time. He scored a couple goals already. He's just a great player and one that has shocked me because it's just not a player I knew of, not a player I particularly rated very much. He's surprisingly, um, surprisingly good on the ball, no? Oh, he's so, yeah, technical. He's a technical, smart centre-back. And that's why he probably could play in midfield. And that's why Rail tried him there once. Um, mm. And he did well when he was there. I just think he's great. I really, I like him a lot. And, um... Oh, here again. <laughs> <laughs> Exceeded my expectations. <laughs> I'm going to get some clothes out of the <laughs> washing machine afterwards. But, uh, okay, so, Marikela, I think it will be number 10 for me. It's just... Uh, Maybe it's because I don't. Center backs aren't that fun. <laughs> Maybe it's so, simple, simple as that. Do you, would you have him above Javi Hernandez, Sam? So, this is a good question. I've got him below twice. I got him below Pablo um, because he's been fantastic, but this is fantastic in terms of a first season because, yeah, 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 Blanco secured that starting spot. Fantastic when you do that. That's a great first season. But Gila has actually secured that spot and also just been great. Um, yeah, and, and for I, a first season, you cannot be better. I noticed that Blanco was like my was third in my list, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't put him that high, so I've had to change. <laughs> and uh, I've I've gone for the controversial pick. I put Marvin Parks third. Oh, oh I like it. Oh, okay, like we're getting close to the to the end here. I think we we got to do this one this one um, quick. We mm. forgot Guillaume. For some reason, Guillaume didn't make the list. But we have Guillaume and Bellman left. Okay. Let's go with um, Guillaume first. Uh, uh, right back. Uh, joint top assister for Castiano. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, Sam, where do you put him? It's a strange one because he came in from uh, the Division 4, which, again, is, is part-time. Um, I don't know if he... I don't think he played for any big team before that. So he's actually caught the eye of Real Madrid from local level football and I, I feel that's great and he's coming and he's now the joint top assister in the team he's secured a starting spot over Real Madrid's own Sergio Lopez who I like a lot um but I don't rate I still don't rate him as highly as Sergio Lopez it's not that he's got the starting spot it's just they share the minutes because he's been that good Guillaume um yeah. he's adapted really well to the league above remember this is a step up for him that's not the case with many of these with these young players um I rate him really highly I just don't know because of his roots, I don't know if this is bias or or discrimination to players that come up from the lower <laughs> divisions. I don't know. I just cannot rate him. I can't see a player with that high of a ceiling with a background like that, even though yeah. the performances have been great. Yeah, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm having a similar issue trying to rate, trying to rank him. In fact, uh, this is really hard. I've got. I'm looking at. Yeah, hey, I'm. I mean, it, it does. It does say a lot that I can't say the. It doesn't look like the fullbacks have really stolen the show like like I thought they would. I mean, Frank Garcia seems to be the outstanding uh, mm. 
it's mm. an exception to the rule because Lopez is quite low down and I'm done. I mean, Guillaume has had a good season, but I don't think he's been as he's been like extremely better than than uh, Lopez has been. And I'm looking at kind of the players that I have around. I'm kind he's of also thinking 20, that Fran- he's also 22 years old, so yeah, maybe I'm thinking too much mm, about the age I'll thing. Knock but him down. Yeah, I actually have him same as Sam seven <laughs> from bottom, number 17. Um, <clears throat> feels second harsh. from bottom, you've got him. No, seven. Seven from bottom. bottom. Oh, cool. I was going to say second. That's why I'm not having this, really. No, you're second. I mean, has he got a better prospect than Ayub? I don't know. Yeah, I would say. Do you think so? I mean, his performances have been high. He's been, I really like him. He's he's statistic-wise at the top of the tree, which is great. Um, But I just cannot, how high is he going to go? La Liga 2 for sure. Is he going to go higher? It's a difficult one, but I... Yeah, he's 22, so I don't want to go any higher, at least. <laughs> You've Could got him go seventh. Um... Bottom, seventh. Mm. I have him fourth from bottom. Fourth would work, but I don't see him as better than Jordi. I just don't. Or Victor no. Chutes. I'm going to no. put him third. You know what? I'm going to put him above you, Guillaume. Yeah, Dan. that's fair. Okay, so over to the last one. Bellman. Bellman. So this is uh, one of Sam's favorites, at least. So he's been. Uh, some would say that he's been treated unfairly, but it's now uh, he was finally the starting goalkeeper until he got injured, mm. and um, I think he's been quite impressive. He's made only one big error, um, and for me, he's, he's a very good goalkeeper. Again, a player who should, probably should have left earlier. No. Um. The praise I would give him, I mean, he should have been gone. Yeah, that mistake wouldn't have happened. I, he's just got a bit complacent, and, and it's it's a really weird situation. Um, what I would say is that I think he's had the best uh, career academy career that any Real Madrid goalkeeper ever would have had. I don't think a, an academy keeper would have had a better career than he did, including Ike Casillas, including everyone. He was part of that under-19s team um, that is historic under Guti. His first Castilla season was so, so good. It was just such a high level that he could have pushed on to La Liga from there. Um, his second one was superb as well, but it wasn't suffered with injuries. It was suffered with um, uh, nepotism, is all I could say. Uh, yeah. And then, obviously, <laughs> he um, probably after that is probably when he should have left. Um, mm. But he signed a new contract. Uh, I actually I don't really want to say it, but there was, there was insight there and... and there was an internal struggle because a lot of people didn't want him to sign that contract because they knew how he had been treated. Mm. Um, he signed it. He loves Real Madrid. That's superb. I, d- I don't know. He's got such a high ceiling, but this season, again, that performance level has dropped. Yeah. But if for a goalkeeper, he does have a little more time than the others. Yeah, absolutely. And he is the best goalkeeper I've seen maybe in the last decade for Castilla. Um, yeah, really highly rate him. Yeah, so where do you put him? So where is the where is Altube? Altube is quite low. I'm gonna put him above uh I'm gonna put him above Franchu and below Rodrigo Rodriguez. In fact I'm gonna put him above Rodrigo and below Pedro. I mean that's a better place to put him. I mean that's directly but, mid. But I mean, yeah, that that's mid. My issue with him is he just does not have a willingness to leave the club. Yeah. And I'm just looking <laughs> at those other players. I you're not gonna like it because it's not a reflection of his talent. But I have him where I have him one, two, three, four, five. I'm sixth from bottom. Oh, because I mean, I'm I... looking. I'm looking at the players above him, and I'm thinking Altuve. I think will get a loan. Victor mm. Chust, he just hasn't played. 
De La Fuente will get will get a move away. Lopez can get a move away. Jordi just has a an upside to him. Rodrigo upside. Franchu, I can see him getting a move away. You see, I mean, and just up and up we go. I can't. It's just him. He'd be higher for me if he showed if he was willing to move, but he's not willing to move. And if he's not willing to move, he's not going further than the third division for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I have in uh, number 13 out okay. of 24. So he's almost in the middle of the table. Um, I, I think, he, I still think he has time. He's only 21. Uh, well, when the season starts up again, he will be 22, but uh, nah, I think he has time, but not enough that I will place him on the top half of the list. Mm. Yeah. Is that it? Uh, is that every player? I wow. think so. Yeah. Cool. Uh, unless we missed someone, and then it's quite, pretty exciting to look at uh, the final list. Um, uh. Who will start? Chris, do you want to start? Okay, so, yeah. Should we, go with number, to... should we all go number one and then down? Yeah. And then agree if that if we're not on the same page? I've been trying to I think to... that's quite a... Big differences here. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to keep. I've been trying to keep a track on the players that we've largely agreed with. Okay, and rank them overall, so I can give you that. Oh, nice. But, in yeah. ter- but there's there's still like a lot of there's some serious dis- <laughs> there's like some serious differences of opinion in some of these players. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, but uh, yeah. So you have an overall list. That's good. That's good. Uh, kind of. I'm yeah. just. Putting it together here, but yeah, I can give you my. Oh, we can go number one, surely we all know. Renier, yeah, number <laughs> everyone agrees. Renier's Renier, done. Number yeah. two, who was number? Surely the same as well. My for me is Baeza. Baeza, Baeza well, nice. I, I I picked Fran Garcia, but uh, Baeza oh. wins because you two okay. picked him. So so you had Fran, but we had Baeza. Are you number making three. the list now, uh, Chris? The yeah, I'm, list. I'm keeping it together, yeah. yeah. So number three, and I think this will be different. Fran Garcia for me. Okay, I had Fidelgo. I had <laughs> Miguel Baeza. Okay. <laughs> What's the medium? That's a the, there is, there's, we, we can't agree on a tree at the moment. So wow. I'd have to put that yeah, together let's... off air. And then I mean, put if you someone put Fran second like... and Ruben puts Fran third and I put him fourth, I think it will be too difficult to to put together a list. Maybe we should just uh, go through each list and then yeah. and and then we will yeah. put together a a complete list afterwards. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. So you can start, Chris, with your complete list. So my complete list is Renier, Fran Garcia, Miguel Baeza, Marvin Parks, Fidalgo. So that's the I think that's the top five, and then outside of that, it's Cesar Blanco. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have a change of heart again. No. I, I, I have Blanco, Pablo Rodriguez, but I'm actually going to switch that to Pablo Rodriguez, Blanco. Mm. Uh, just because I, I like Rodriguez more. Uh, mm. And then it's Javi Hernandez, Hia, Pedro Ruiz, Franchu, Rodrigo Rodriguez, Jordi, Sergio Lopez, De La Fuente, Victor Chus, Altuve, Bellman, Mark Wall, Guillaume, Martin Calderon, Bravo, and holding up the list is Ayub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, it feels like it's a, bit, a little uh, difficult to follow with so many names. Maybe we should just... Um, should we just well, give our... I, I definitely... I think it's worth reading out, but then I think uh, we'll post them. I'll post yeah. them in the uh, description. Well, no, I can't. 
We'll have someone will have to tweet it out. <laughs> yeah, I can send someone the list and they can tweet it out. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, should, should we take the whole list? Um, minus list. My top five list is Rainier, Baeza, Frank Garcia. Just I just rate him so highly. He's number three for me. Mm. Blanco is number four. I I I, I still believe a lot in him. Yeah. Now I was just thinking about it. It might. Uh, I think the main takeaway people should take from this is our top five and our bottom five. Yeah. Uh, for, for Blanco, I agree that maybe his season has been, hasn't been as good as a lot of people say, but he's still young, and I, I think he can he can become a very good defensive midfielder. Um, and he's above Marvin Park in fifth, who I also like a lot. And it's crazy now that Fidalgo is actually seventh for me, but it's just because he's 23 years old. Um down at the bottom, <laughs> it hurts me to say, but I, it's Mark Wall is uh, five from bottom. I, I like him mm. a lot, but he's is he twenty four now? Twenty four. It's just it, it's too late, man. It's just <laughs> yeah. And then it's Victor Chust, Martin Calderon, Ayub Abu, and Alvaro Bravo. And you can notice that the bottom three are only central midfielders, actually. <laughs> so the ones who are holding mm. together the midfield are not getting too much credit with me. <laughs> so nice. Uh, Okay, Sam. So the top five, Renier, Bayessa, Fidalgo, Fran, and Javier Hernandez, who I really do not see any difference between him and Javi Sanchez, Russell Gustiato. Mm-hmm. Um, bottom five would be, uh, we'll start from the top. Uh, let me see here. Jordi, Victor Chust, Guillem, Ayub, and Bravo bottom, unfortunately. Um, I guess top picks in the middle would be kind of Marvin is in there. Pablo's at sixth. Um, yeah. Javier Bellman is at 11th. Um, and I suppose everyone else is, is speaks for themselves. Yeah, mm. hurts me to put some of these names that low, but uh, yeah, it's a good. I get this. This is a list of Real Madrid players, so it, I, I <laughs> yeah, I have um, five players that we all agree are in the top five in terms of uh, talent for Castilla. So mm-hmm. those top five players, according to all of us, we all agree is Renier, Baeza, Cesar, Blanco, and Hia. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And then at the yeah, we all seen we've all ranked them kind of around the same oh, spot. Yeah. But it looks that. And then towards the bottom, we have all agreed it's Markwell, Victor, Choose, Calderon, Ayub, and Bravo. Okay. Yeah. So that that's what we appear to agree on. The rest of the list <laughs> is <laughs> uh, is a battleground. Like so, that it's been an interesting exercise. That's for certain. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, nice. I hope that gives everyone a decent idea, a nice little bit of profiling. It's something we've been meaning to do for a while. And we've spoken pretty much in depth there about every single player on the roster and more. Mm. Um, so what I want to do um, by next week, it is going to be confirmed that uh, Segunda B is going to be postponed unless you are lucky enough to be in that playoff place. Because they are not. They're not far off it, but they are going to be unlucky. Um I think it's safe to assume that that's what's going to happen. Uh, so what we want to do, perhaps for the next pod, is a season review. Because then we'll have the final stats. We'll know exactly what everyone did, how many goals they scored, how many amount of the matches they got. And we would have watched every game as well. So perhaps a spoken review would be a good yeah. thing to go through next. Um, that can fuel a written review later. Um, until then, we're just kind of sitting ducks waiting for that news. Uh, there's also the similar news for La Liga. Am I wrong? That they might just uh cancel it no it's it, at the they're making contingency plans to cancel la liga but at the moment segunda b and all the divisions below it are they're they're like 
it doesn't look at all likely they're going to go ahead. Like I was reading that Castilla are currently preparing for next season. Yeah, yeah. So I get like the Real Real Madrid have not made an official statement, but according to uh, this, it was uh, what's his name, Sanchez. Our, yeah, Julio, our friend Julio, I forgot his name momentarily, he posted up an article about it, and uh, I don't think he wrote it, but he po- shared it anyways, and by the looks of it, Real Madrid think that Castilla's season is over. It's just and not going to happen, so, is it? Yeah, yeah and they, all, I think, they think the youth academy below it, all their seasons are over as well. What I don't like about that is that um, relegation is going to be scrapped, so teams like San Sebastian, the state <laughs> teams are still going to be there. I mean... I, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm fuming. Fuming. Yeah. But that Absolutely. also means that there, there's going to be promotion from the fourth division. So the hellhole that is going to be is just going to get bigger. Um, oh, that's I true. think there's going to be point. maybe 80 or 90 teams. They are now, talking, so they're teams. talking about four extra teams, I think, per, per group. group. Oh, 24. insanity. That's crazy. And I, but, I, I yeah. think I, a lot of... I had a conversation with some with some people... And they're like they're kind of a bit dismissive about the idea. Oh, it doesn't really matter and that. And I'm looking at it, it's like four extra games and like four extra teams is just awful really for this in terms of promotion hopes. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Ninety-two teams, and that means that they're, they're obviously going to try and normalise it within a couple of years. So there'll be more teams going up, more teams going down. Um, in a way that more teams going up, if Castilla get a good team. Uh, there might be a fifth or a sixth playoff spot, which is great, but that also means that they're then playing so many other teams just for a few spots. Yeah, I was about to say, um, that, doesn't that mean that there's an extra playoff game yeah, as well? Yeah, so there'll be one extra playoff spot, <laughs> but four extra playoff teams. So for I don't me. know if the chances are any better. I don't know. For, yeah, I was about to say, for me, that instantly <laughs> negates the idea of an extra playoff spot. Another... In so terms probably... of the league, though, Martin Erdegaard would finish fourth. Uh, Real Madrid mm. would not win the league, um, so I don't know. There would be controversy there. Yes, a lot of controversy. But you, don't you think we know a lot more in just one or two weeks? I think maybe one or two days in terms of Segunda. Really? Is okay. it Saturday today? I think next week. Um, yeah, they, they will. They'll uh, make an announcement for sure. I don't yeah, know about the Liga, but to be by next week, we should know. It, yeah, I, I agree. I think every. I mean, whatever about the the. Uh, the how solid the sources I'm reading are, they're all in agreement that's going to be and below are just not looking, not looking okay. hopeful in terms of coming back. If so we, definitely, definitely um, next week we'll know. Yeah, the next podcast we will do will be that yeah. spoken review. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk yeah. about the players that we profiled today, but we'll talk specifically about how they fared this season. So you'll get to hear me saying that Bravo has been overrated again. Uh, we'll get to argue about Hernandez for an hour. It'll be great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we'll give them a rating. I think that'll be good. Um, apart yeah. from that, thank okay. you very much, guys, for tuning into this one. Hope you enjoyed it. I want to know if you have a tier list, 1 to 24 or so, what that would be. Um, I don't know. If you if you respond on Patreon, I never see it, but I do see there are some comments on there, so I do apologize. Um, apart from that, uh, once again, it's been great, boys. Yep. Until Bye-bye. next time. Hello Madrid. Number one down, Hello Madrid. <laughs>